Anyone can make a name for themselves in this reality TV age. Especially in today's politics, if you're loud enough or controversial enough, you can get some attention. But to make that name mean something, to have it associated with dignity and integrity, that is rare. There's no shortcut to get it. It's not something you can buy. We've lost one of the most influential, courageous, and profoundly good human beings that any of us will share time with on this earth. will be with you always. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the next 18 hours, and you are listening to episode 32, Ron with the Wind. Joining me, as per usual, is our loose completist and R5-D4 focus collector. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Dickie. Evening, guys. And also, as normal, is our Star Wars completist, cast and crew item hunter and TIE pilot focus collector. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Happy New Year, everyone. Next is our Ladies of the War collector, putting together a mint on card run and always looking to add to his grimy crack. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. What are you looking at, shorty? And finally, it's our Luke X-Wing pilot focus collector with a house. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Sadly, it's been quite a hard time over the Christmas period with the loss of Carrie Fisher, and I think it hit all five of us quite hard. The last shot of Rogue One seems all the more poignant now watching it after her passing so we'll all be discussing Carrie and how she touched our lives shortly during the intro and then we will continue with the normal podcast help me Obi-Wan Kenobi you're my only hope I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan short for a stormtrooper I don't know where you get your delusions laser brain Well, Your Highness, guess this is it. That's right. Don't get all mushy on me. So long, Princess. There's still light in him. I know it. Who are you? Someone who loves you. 
learn who you are and where you came from. From now on, you do as I do. Okay? I've always hated watching you leave. May the force be with you. Carrie Fisher was our princess and always appeared to be proud of the Star Wars fandom, always happy, sassy and up for a laugh. And I know we were all lucky enough to meet Carrie. In fact, mine was only recently at the Fax Convention, which we attended together in Belgium at the end of 2014. Now, I'd love to hear our stories of those meetings. Mine was with Pete. So perhaps, Pete, you can talk through our meeting with the princess. Well, Stu, you were a rather cheeky little monkey to her, weren't you? By trying to um, <laughs> be a little bit... Uh... Um, how should I put it? Trying sassy. to chow her up a bit. <laughs> wow, sassy if you want to say that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, she looked kind of, I don't know, I mean, I guess if you, you were faced with a queue of several hundred people <laughs> who wanted to want her autograph, you're, you're, you're not going to look on the best on form. But uh, my, my abiding memory of the day was um, the fact that we did queue literally all day to, to meet her, which was uh, amazing, really. And uh, she had many, many breaks, and uh, we, we we got turned away several times. We were going to head back to England because we kind of missed our time, and uh, the queue was so long. But we stuck it out, and uh, what, what must have been six, seven hours of queuing, you reckon? Must have been. Oh, yeah, easy, yeah. Something like that. And uh, all I can remember is, is young Richard telling us that, that we would not make it, and let's go back to Blighty. But uh, in the end, we stuck it out, ignored Richard completely, as we normally do, and uh, and got to meet her. And uh, yes, uh, you you got some strange looks from her. I think I would imagine it was probably her agent by um, trying to um, trying to chat him up as well. I believe. <laughs> I think he was actually more her security guard, wasn't he? Didn't you tell her something about your um, your like for her, Stu? I did, I did, and she asked me um, who I like now, and that's when I said, "Oh, this gentleman sitting next to you," and he just glared at me. I'm glad we uh, stuck it out now, you know. We did, but there is there is a, a tragedy to your story, there isn't there, Stuart, about your your signed picture. Well, yes, I've got all my signed pictures in one area, but for some reason, I put Carrie Fisher's in, <laughs> inside a book to keep it flat, and all the books from my living room are currently gone. So they're either in my garage or gone to a charity shop. So the hope is that it's in the garage because it does have oh, from your first true love on it. <laughs> hope <laughs> so fingers crossed that i do still have it and it hasn't been uh, donated to some lucky bugger jez grant i believe you two also met her together at essen in germany am i right well not quite right we were both in essen i witnessed a giddy grant queuing up to get her autograph I, uh, I didn't, unfortunately, get her autograph in Essen. However, I did settle to watch her doing her panel, her, her sellout panel. Um, but more of Grant's giddiness because he's got, he's got a great tale. I don't really care about celebrities. As they're just people at the end of the day. And I wrote this when she passed away. And I, I just think that um, there is a major difference. And I think George Lucas, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, for some reason, no matter how rational I try and tell me that they are just people, they're, they're not. They're they're really important. They're like family, you know. It's uh, and seeing Princess Leia and Mark Howell there was just uh, just amazing, especially after a day of meeting. You know, having never really met any of the main actors. I think we, we met Peter Mayhew, followed by Andy Daniels, followed by uh, Ian McDiarmid, and then then I believe it was Carrie Fisher, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think we started off with the minor parts and then went forward. We <laughs> I don't want to disrespect anyone, but we started off with some jabber goons, didn't we, and yeah. a few Ewoks in the bar, it just got, it just got and yeah, better and crazier better. and crazier. 
And there's yeah. like about three people in the queue, so you could just walk straight up to her. I mean, Disney had only just acquired Lucasfilm then, and I think Star Wars wasn't as big a couple of years ago as it was then, so it was quite easy to get access. And, you know, I, I approached her, and she was beautiful and amazing, and I said, you know, can I have a... I can't remember how it started, but I said, you know, can I have a, an autograph? And I told her, I said, uh, Carrie, you need to know this. No matter what, you'll always be my first love. And she just gave us that little, that new hope smile that she gives, gets in Star Wars, and um, said, thank you very much, and wrote, uh, love to Grant, my only hope, Carrie Fisher. Man, I, I freaking melted. I was like the, the top ten moment of my life, for sure. And then to meet Mark Hamill straight after that. But, you know, I think one of the things I really liked about Carrie Fisher was if you ever got into an argument in the playground with the Lord of the Rings fans or the Harry Potter fans or the Marvel fans, you could just say, yeah, but we got the coolest princess. And none of them could ever argue with that, which is which is great. But, I, you know, I also think her openness about alcoholism and drug abuse is amazing especially like she, she almost legitimized or give good reason for people to be open and truthful and candid about something that's heavily tabooed in society and uh, I think that's influenced the way I talk about uh, drug and alcohol abuse that um, you know it is real and there is a lot of misinformation out there and you can wear it on your sleeve you don't have to be you don't have to hide from it. You don't have to carry it as a heavy burden. You can wear it on your sleeve and it will be okay. Always going to miss it, man. That's a major loss for us lot. You, you saying about Carrie Fisher, it was only three people at Celebration Europe 3, wasn't it? I was only listening to Toy Run today or yesterday, and they were talking about her, and they were saying that Celebration 2 or 3 was her first appearance. The queue was going out the door, and they had to cut the queue off. Everybody there just wanted to meet Carrie Fisher. Just goes to show what she meant. Yeah, she was the best, man. Rich, did you meet her? I don't know whether you would pay money for autograph or not no i'm the same with grant in that at the end of the day they're just people no i'm, I'm not the one for paying to see to see in guests i'm not one paying for autographs or anything like that it's a it's it's a massive loss um it's not just for star wars i think it's entirely selfish to look at just being a loss from star wars she's a loss from so many different areas lots of people looked at carry for support i can just imagine how much she did in hollywood for alcoholics and for people who are depressed, and for people who need somebody to talk to, th- th- there's a hole there that's gone. I know a while ago on one of the episodes, I said all I'd love to do is um, <laughs> meet Carrie on a, on a night out, just have an evening out, just in a bar or something or other. But I'm sure right now, she's just up in heaven partying with Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness and all the others who have sadly moved on. And... Um, yeah, it's just she's always been our princess. She's been there from the beginning. It's been a fantastic ride, and I'm so chuffed that those of you who got to meet her, I absolutely loved watching her in Essen. She's always been a hoot and a hit on the TV whenever she's been there. So, um, yeah, Carrie Fisher, thank you so much for what you've done for us. And uh, when my time is up, I hope me and you can have that drink. It feels weird moving on to like a normal discussion now about the podcast, but let's go to our acquisitions for the last month. Jez, have you added anything? Well, actually, I have ticked off something from my 2017 list. Oh, I've got a feeling it's going to be dialing Ian Sanderson up now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello. Not too um, Can well. I buy something for a pound? <laughs> that was brilliant. That was inspired. You both yeah. that covered. Well, actually, yeah, I've got myself a non, non-Sonic World did Luke X-Wing, courtesy of Geeky Monkey on the uh, on Star Wars Forum. And obviously I've got my um, my Wackling. Oh, well, now we'll, we'll talk about them at, at the end because we forgot to do it on the Christmas one. But uh, I'm glad you've got one. So uh, I'll come to you first when we get to that bit. Good boy, Jez. Good boy. Can you imagine if there's a clown on here that hasn't got one? Pete, 
buying anything over the Christmas period? Well, I have a little bit, um, but I've got a couple of things I forgot to mention in the last podcast, which was uh, Simon McCowan gave me a lovely cracked open slave layer comb, which he was he had purchased, but sadly the person who put it into a um, jiffy bag put it into a jiffy bag and sent it to him. And these are really brittle. Um, it's a Return of the Jedi comb. Um, the bubbles are so so brittle. I mean, I mean, I've got a sealed one, and you know, when I bought it, it was sent in you know, with kid gloves. Effectively, it was it was so beautifully wrapped and padded because these things would just fall off if you knock them. He got one, and he thought, well, you know, which which lunatic out there collects slave layer items? So he gave it to me. So big thanks to him for giving me that. That was really nice. I did pick up a Return of Jedi vinyl LP, actually from a shop in my town. For Secret Santa, I got. I haven't taken pictures of this yet. Uh, I keep forgetting. I got a Burger King promotional sticker album thing, uh, all completed, which is very nice. And uh, the Burger King Empire Strikes Back Frisbee, which is lovely. I think, I can't remember what I put on that list of things to get, but I think I might have picked something up that could be part of it. This is a really odd magazine, Empire Strikes Back magazine called, it's Media Scene Preview uh, magazine. It's got uh, an original cover drawn by the guy who actually edited or edits or edited the magazine. It's a really fascinating magazine called uh, Mr. Steranko. Um, he was a, a comic book artist and various creator. I mean, the guy's involved in comics all the way through uh, from the golden age up to now, really. Still going. Uh, the magazine itself is fantastic. It's so beautifully written. Um, it's not like just full of utter, you know, garbage articles. This guy is quite precious about giving you proper information about pop culture at the time. So this is a 1980s magazine, 1980 in fact. And in the middle of it is a whole thing on Empire Strikes Back. And there's a little pull-out section, um, sort of half, half the size of the magazine. Um, the art of Empire Strikes Back by Ralph McQuarrie. It's actually a little insert with, um, I guess, things from the, the portfolio um, that came out at the time. It's, it's an amazing magazine. It really is beautiful. It's really well-written. Uh, it's black and white, but the cover is, is stunning. I, again, I'll put a picture in the latest acquisitions on the forum, but really nice magazine. Okay, Rich, what have you been treating yourself to? I haven't bought a lot. I've knocked off two quarter figures off my £50 under one. I got a 77-back Gamorrean Guard, and I got a 77-back Bib Fortuna. I also got some fantastic Secret Santa gifts. So for Stars from UK, I got um, a boxed Sigma Chewbacca mug, which I think puts me up to seven now. I got a couple of loose figures and a Star Wars eraser, uh, one of the, the four erasers, so I was pleased with that. Over on TIG, I got quite a few of the carded butterfly erasers. Uh, I got the Emperor's Royal Guard, Wicket, or 2 Vader, Yoda. I got a loose Bib Fortuna uh, butterfly eraser. Uh, a number of loose figures and uh, quite a few sweets from, uh, I think it was from Norway. So I was really pleased with both of my Secret Santas. Um, absolutely stellar, stellar work from, from both those guys. Lovely. Grant. Yo, thank you, Stu. Um, a big thank you to Ian Sanderson of GW Acrylic USA, our good friend. Ian really helped me out on this because I managed to get three 1977 Factors life-size standees. Uh, these were used... Uh, Factors was a company that made a lot of the early badges that came out uh, when Star Wars came out, some of the early memorabilia that was probably out in 1977 before the toys came. And to market these apparel and badges and whatever, they, they had a set of standees it was Darth Vader C-3PO R2-D2 and Chewbacca and I managed to pick up the Darth Vader which is a, I've got two of these now so 
ones for trade and then if anyone's got anything out there that they'd like to trade for it it is massive by the way it is like the size of Darth Vader it's a sort of like cardboard life-size standy uh, I've got the RTD2 and I've got the C3PO as well haven't got the Chewbacca and I believe that there's a Boba Fett out there as well interesting about these if you go to the Star Wars Collector's Archive there's a write-up and uh, they suggest on that write-up they've actually found some with Kenner very small Kenner stickers attached to them and they believe that Kenner went to factors and said listen we haven't got actually any store displays ready for the release of our Star Wars figures so could we actually use some of your standees uh, but there's a really good write-up about it on the Star Wars Collector's Archive these things are enormous. A massive thank you to Ian. I'm sure of the thousands of things that he's sold over the last couple of years. This is probably the biggest parcel he's put together. So I'm really grateful for it. I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to put it with my life-size uh, Adam Joseph Royal Guard and my KFC Pepsi life-size Darth Maul. And uh, yeah, I'm not, not sure what I'm going to do with it all. But they, they are amazing pieces. So really happy with that. We started the new year with a, with a massive bang. Lovely, lovely start, mate. You, Stu. Well, as you well know, this year's going to be very, very quiet. My Secret Santa got me a Ben Cooper Chewbacca costume, which I was delighted with. The wrapping was amazing. It was Christmas wrapping with about two or three different types of Christmas wrapping wrapped up with brown parcel tape. Yeah, really, really chuffed with that. Because I'm not going to be collecting much this year, I have tried to focus on what I chose. So I have started my 12-inch line. I've got Darth Vader complete and another one winging its way to me, but I'll use that for next month because uh, I haven't got it yet. And I've also started my Leddy Loose run. I said I'd definitely have three loose complete Leddies. I have got the Green Kate Squidhead and Low Grey, so two of them not knocked off too busy boys so happy days one One thing we didn't talk about at christmas which we talked about all year was whether we all got a wackling the deal was that the next farthest from anyone who hasn't has to spend the whole weekend dressed as a wackling so let's just go round because i believe jez was about to tell us tonight that he has got himself a wackling got my wackling just after farthest from can we see evidence of this because you're you're quite shifty at times um haven't i not already sent you a photograph don't record it yes I believe you. You don't need to apply an image. I think he cuddles it at night. Guys, I, I, I know this is never a good way to start a sentence, but I can't tell my Walkmans. I mean, Gwig, Milani, Willy, Mookie, Leany, and I think there's a variation on Nippet. There's like there's a a, a white and there's a brown nippet and I can't. That's right. There is, isn't there? That, that, there is. Yes, correct. That's that's threw me wild. I don't know. I know mine isn't. Oh, it might be. I don't. I can't <laughs> tell the difference. I'm sorry. But you've got one, which is the idea of the game. Well done. Two out of two. Uh, I'm quite happy to say I haven't got one. I'm quite proud of that. So you're going to have to wear the same outfit as that lady at celebration. I'm anyway. quite happy with that. So that that be. I've got the breast for us. You you can't just leave a stupid game. It, it no longer becomes a stupid game. As you Rick. guys know, I purchased a Wackling at Father's from The Wackling in question was on a sealed sorry not a sealed, was on a set of 12 barges that I picked up from Simon and one of those barges had a Wackling on it so that was my Wackling. I had an Ewok on it, you're not having that, that's a lot of rubbish <laughs> But it was never it was never said it had to be a cuddly Wackling, it was just a Wackling but if you also check the Facebook thread right now. I thought you said we're not allowed to surf the internet whilst we're recording Yeah. Both of you haven't got one, I've got two, I've got myself a Willy what? and a oh, whoa, Have you checked the Facebook thread? <laughs> I don't want to check the Facebook thread because I know you're a liar. I've put me picture in the Facebook. Yeah, thread. it definitely looks. He's put a picture up and it looks like something out of I don't know Crime Stoppers or something. He looks. 
<laughs> dodgy. It almost looks like he's he's taking this wackling and he's demanding money for it or something or other. Like, that's oh, that working. that is not a wackling. That that's that's a modern Chewbacca because the wacklings have like they don't have lips. Load of rubbish. Load of rubbish. Two two then. I've got a willy and a nippet. Um, but, uh, so three of us are good. Richard yeah. and Pete, you will have to dress as an Ewok for the entire weekend. How far is from? Let's go over to Richard's question because I know he'll be getting itchy feet because the intro is currently two hours, 40 minutes. Rich? <laughs> right, guys. So as I forewarned you, this quiz is going to be about mailers because I've been researching mailers quite a bit. I was quite fascinated with some of the mailers of father's from and I got my first mailer through the post recently. So I told you all to do plenty of scrubbing up and with the exception of one of you, you've scrubbed up well by the looks of it. Four rounds. Questions get a little bit more difficult as we, as we go through the rounds. So we're going to start off with the one-point easy ones. So, uh, Stu, we're going to pick on you first. A, B, C or D? Yes, please, mate. I know nothing on mailers, so give me it. Give you it. A. Very, very easy question for one point to start off with. What was the first Kenner mail away promotion? Early bird. Oh. Right. Okay, Pete, go on you next. B, C or D? Uh, oh, I don't know. C. Okay, how many action figures... Okay, so this is single action figures, not sets or anything. We're available as Kenna Mealers. Uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, just let Grant answer it. Okay, Grant. Six. No. Jez, do you want to go for a point? 96. 96. Stu? I'm going to go with um, seven. No. Nope. Well done, Stu. Stu's on two points. It's not. Yeah, so Mealers, not bad. Stu baggies. wins. Yeah, Stu Mailer, wins. Yeah. Stu wins. Stu's racing ahead here. Jez, B or D? D, please. Oh, you've probably got the easier of the ones. Ooh, Two of the Mela promotions referred to an incorrectly titled film. Which two figures? Easy. Admiral Akbar. Yeah. Yeah. Full on. No, I'm sorry. Full on is not correct. Anybody uh, want to yep. pick that up? Nine Nine them. Actually, Jez, I'm going to give you half because you've got, you got one of them. And Grant, you, your question? What was the biggest difference with the Emperor Mela promotion when you compare it to the other promotions that came before for action figures? Uh, it had the Return of the Jedi catalogue in it. Throw it out to anybody else? I think he's right. I would have gone with that as well. It's true. <laughs> I'm with you. I think I know. Is it the first one which went up to five? It was an nope. increase in pop. Nope. Pete? <laughs> uh, it was in a type of baggy. No. The answer was it was in the triangle graphic in the bottom corner as opposed to being the circular shape of the Starburst logo that featured on the other figures. And it's also the first one to have a Jedi catalogue. That may be true, but it's not the biggest difference. That's half a point, Rich. (laughs) We'll think about it. Right, you're three pointers. Okay. Stu, you're so we'll move on to you first. A, B, C or D? A. A. What was the first card back to feature Boba Fett Mailer? That's an easy one. Good noise, good noise. It might well be for you, Jez, but I know nouts on these things. I'm going to go uh, 20 back. 20 what? I'll give you half a point for 20 back, and what letter? Oh, well, I'm just going to take a guess here. I'm going to go with F. Nope. Throwing it out? B. D. Nope. C. C. C for granted, <laughs> half a point. <laughs> you got half a point for waiting your time. <laughs> Pete. Oh, D. Oh, I'm going to give you B. No, actually, no, I'm going to give you D, right, because you might get this. How many backdrops came with the display arena mail away? Oh, that's an easy one. No, that one. That's very oh. easy. Very easy. We've answered it by now. I think uh, the mail away, think how many backdrops it would have had. Four. I have no idea. 
Is that what you said, Jez? Yeah. Four? Yeah. Okay, point for that. Rewind now. Rewind I said the that tape. And that's a fact. <laughs> okay, Jez, you've got B or C. C. C, what was the first meal I advertised on a Jedi call back? That will be the display arena? Nope. Throwing it out. Um, that would be on the Jedi car back? Yeah. Uh, that oh, would be nine numb. Correct. No. One for Grant. Damn it. And Grant, your question, what was the name of the figure that was called the secret action figure? The secret action figure. I know this. Um, it's Boss. <laughs> it's Boss. Damn yeah, it. One point. As now. So, Stu, A, B, C, or D? Um, yeah. I. A. How many pops were needed to redeem the Hoth survival kit? Easy. Five. Good. Well done, Stu. Pete, B, C, or D? Uh, <laughs> does it matter? Uh, it's just it B. B. Good, good choice, B. You may get this one. No, 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 no. Don't, don't say that, Rich. What product, which may have involved milk at breakfast time, was needed to be purchased in order to claim the micro collection meal away set? Oh, those three PO things. Yep, one point for Pete. Well, no, yes! I'm going to give yes! you a second as well, just for the sake of it. Jez, C or D? D, please, Bob. D, which minirig was a popular palatoy mailer? Oh, minirig. Yeah, minirig. Um, I'll just say... He's Googling. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm Rich, just thinking. I'm, no, I don't think it's an MLC. Oh, less MLC. PDT-8. Correct. It was the PDT-8. Grant, there is evidence of collectors writing into Kenner to request a full set of 62 Power the Force coins. How much did Kenner charge for the full set of coins to those collectors who wrote in requesting a set? Uh, was it $25? <gasps> you are so close. I'm throwing it out. It was very close. $26. Close. $24. Jez? $24. Stu? 20 Oh, you were going the other way. It was actually twenty nine dollars. Okay, last round. Okay, so we've got Pete on two, Jez on one and a half, Grant on four, and Stu four. Say that again, say again, Rich. Start again. Okay, Pete's on two, Jez is on one and a half, Grant's on four, Stu's on four and a half. Okay, last question. Stu, pressure's on. Do you want to take a moment to wipe your forehead or anything? Right, E, B, C, or D. I'm going to stick with A, as I've gone with them all the all way right. through. Okay, this is interesting. Which licensee released the Biker Scout Pistol Mailer? Biker Scout Miss... I, I don't know this. I'm just going to guess at a Mailer Leddy. <sighs> nope, I'm throwing Lego? it out. Is it Sears? Nope, I'm throwing it out to Stu or Jez. Sorry, Pete or Jez. Clipper. Clipper. Well done, Pete. That you get yes! seven points. It was so hard. Well done, Pete. In your faces. Nice one, Right, Pete. B, C, or D. Oh God. Uh, D. D. I think this is possibly the hardest question out of all of them. <laughs> what card back was to feature the coin collector's album as a mail away? Hmm. Let me see if I can Google that for myself. Uh, can I have okay. second dibs on this one? Um, you oh, can't do uh, I'm assuming it's a return of Jedi something or other. No. Nope. Uh, Power of Force. I need the card back. 92 back. Nope. It's not the 92 back, nope. 93 back. 94, 94, 95, yeah, something like that. 93 back. Yeah, the 93 <laughs> card back was to have the... Grant is not taking that extra point there, where he's, he's just gone 92, 93, 94. Yeah, because I said power of the force. I think you asked me the card back, and he interrupted. I would have said 92. Yeah, yeah. he's not getting the points. 
I don't think any of us at that point. I'll just split them between Stu and Jez, so... It doesn't make any difference. Stu can have five, and Jez can have two. Right. <laughs> okay. Who's next? Jez, you? Yeah. B or C? Which one's easiest? I'm in last place. I would Ooh. say you've got no chance with B. Okay, okay. <laughs> C. C, right. In a palatoy promotion, if you bought one of five Star Wars-related items, you could claim two free mini-rigs as mailers. Four of the items were the Millennium Falcon, the Atat, the Y-Wing, and the Rebel Transport. What was the fifth? Good question. I'm not Googling, but I had in my head Rebel Transport, so just Atat, Millennium Falcon, Y-Wing, and Rebel Transport. Is that what you said? Yes. X-Wing. What was the fifth? X-Wing. No. Throwing it out with Stu. Can I have, can I have it? Is Emperor. it the uh, Imperial Shuttle? <sighs> no. Throwing it out to Peter Grant. Skywalker. Nope. Throwing it out to Pete. Pete, if you get this, you're um, being found some, Grant. R- some rubbish, some rubbishy mini rig. <sighs> you know, you were very, very close. It was actually the 14-inch plush Ewok. You Ooh. are kidding. I am not joking. Right, Grant, if you get this, you might edge Pete, Pete out, depending on how many points I give you. <laughs> how many... Palatari Denga mailaways were shipped in the first batch, catching Palatari off guard, and they had to order some more. We talk about what? this all the time, don't we? We do. 500. I'm going to give you half a point for that. Throwing it out mm. to Pete. Oh, oh, oh a thousand. A thousand. I'm, I'm going to give you a full point for that. Throwing it out Can to I... Joe. Oh, 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 oh. Um, oh. 1,500. I'm going to give you one and a quarter point for that. Yeah, I'm just going to say all of them. Right, I'm going to take two points off you for that. No, no, it caught them off guard. They suddenly realised, oh, we've got none left. The um, answer was 10,000. Well, there 10, we go. 000. That's all of them. Really? 10,000? Wow. Yeah, wow. so that had the scores up. Pete, Pete you've got 93. Uh, how would that be that? Grant, you've got uh, 14. Stu, you've got uh, 89. And Jed, you've got <laughs> minus 7. So I'm going to say that Pete has actually won the mailer quiz. So well done, Pete. Big round of applause for Pete. Well done, That's Pete. That's some nice. ninja googling. Good question. Standing. Good question. Terrible scoring system. They're crazy about the pally toy uh, dengas though. That they there's that many of them and it's that hard to find. That's insane. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. Kids played um, with their dengas. Yeah, and 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 the '93 back. I've never even heard of a '93 card back. Yeah, never heard of one. <laughs> yeah, because it's got the, it's got yak face on it, isn't it? It has, it's got your face on, that's the 93rd. Do you know what, I bunked off work for a bit this afternoon, I did loads of research, not that you believe it, I've got loads of notes in front of me about Sears US with a 49 serial number, Sears Canada 492, Montgomery Ward, JC Penny, Eldon Spiegel, blah blah blah, it goes on, Jawa Jawa Jawa, some people, four pack in 1979, I was, I, I was surrounded with information. Well, you should have chose better letters. Mate, he's, he's, grov- he's grovelling for points again. I'm not. I'm just absolutely so I'm stopping this. Let's go to Rebel Briefings. Wanted. Dead or alive, but preferably intact. Try logo, show and tell. Talking Top Toys.
Havi raps PBB better than Jez. Running Stormtrooper comes out of retirement. The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Rich wanted dead or alive, but preferably intact. Yeah, well, I think everybody had spotted the post from Brian Rockfell on his Facebook page, which was also linked to many other groups. And rather than us just discussing that now, I've actually had the pleasure to talk to Brian. So let's cut over to that now. Regular listeners to the Vintage Rebellion will have heard of my guest tonight on episode 22 when I had the pleasure of interviewing Daryl Johnson and Brendy Burton on their rocket-firing FET mailer discovery way back in March. And now today I'm delighted to be joined by one of the guys who was brought up in that conversation, Brian Rockfell. Brian, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Hi Richard, how's it going? You're a well-known rocket-firing FET enthusiast, collector and documenter. What is it about the rocket-firing FET which appeals to you? Well, it's sort of a uh, figure that's gone on to become, um, it, it's very iconic to the hobby. And what I like about it is that there are various different variations of it that um, have survived over the years. You've got your portal mold that has survived. You've got various different L slots that have survived, the J slot. So you're not just kind of locked into one or two figures. There's kind of a bit of a variety out there. I've also been very intrigued that, you know, I mean, this is a piece that made such an impression upon the children that were waiting to get it so many years ago that today, I mean, well, maybe not so much today, but um, for many years, you'd have people that had these vivid memories of having played with this uh, this toy, which they absolutely had no chance of ever having gotten the mail. I just can't uh, think of any other pre-production type of item that has inspired that in people. Uh, there was, um, I was watching a program on TV a while ago, and this one guy really nailed it. It was that comic book men show, and I think it was Kevin Smith that made the comment when this guy was sharing his uh, J-slot with him. And he said that um, it was the crown jewel of unproduced toys, and I would have to agree with that 100%. Can I just ask if you were affected by the Rocket Firing Fet apology notice when you were a kid? Oh, dear, yes. I think there was about two to three months of depression there. You know, just just kind of, you know, looking at what would have normally been a really nice toy, but looking at it and, you know, and every now and then mumbling something about Kenner, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but what happened to me is that I didn't end up with false memories on playing with the figure. What happened is I was kind of really intrigued about how they were going to pull this off. I mean, this was only, I think, at the time, like a $2 toy, so you knew the firing mechanism couldn't have been anything too complicated, but you really had nothing to nothing to go on except, you know, that uh, that little weird protrusion in the back, and you're trying to figure out if it would have been a, you know, been a lever, a firing, uh, a little button, or whatnot there. So, yeah, I was a little affected by that. Recently on Facebook, you made a post in an attempt to locate a key part of the rocket firing fed history. Could you explain to our listeners what this post was about? Well, what I'm trying to find is the uh, the prototype to this rocket firing uh, Bubba Fett, the uh, kitbashed Fett. And for those who aren't aware what the kitbashed Fett is, it was essentially a little action figure that Kenner put together from other pre-existing toys. They took the legs of a death squad commander, the arms of a stormtrooper, C-3PO's body, and they modified these parts to conform to the design they uh, they wanted. 
And, uh, well, some people will use the term prototype for some of the other Fed examples, like the L slot and the J slots. This is essentially the only piece that you really could apply the term prototype to. And uh, it's missing from the record, and it would be really nice if it could be found. So that's what I'm trying to do with the uh, reward that we're offering out there for it. What do we definitely know about the history of this item? Because there's a lot of misinformation about the Walker Firing Fed. What can we categorically say that we've seen it exist? Well, we know a lot more about it today than we did back in the day. And initially, like when I was a child, and all you had to go by was that Kenner insert that was in the little vinyl collector's carry case. There was a really good shot of the piece in there, but it's only from the front, so you couldn't even tell if it really rocket-fired at the, at, at the time. But uh, thankfully, over the years, other uh, photographs of the figure have uh, come to light. I believe it was Kim Simmons that saved a lot of this stuff from being uh, thrown away. He was the uh, one time he did a lot of photography for uh, Kenner there. And if I remember the story correctly, he caught his boss throwing a lot of this stuff away, and he saved it, and thank God. Because based on those uh, new images, we were able to get a better look at what was going on with this particular type of uh, prototype. And it becomes fascinating at this point because it looks like it went through several different variations. There's one with a cape, one without a cape. There is one that looks like it's painted really like gray, almost like the gray they used for the, uh, for the uh, J-slots. And then finally, a version that matches the one that was illustrated on the back of the uh, 20 back cards. And so then, you know, when I first saw this, my, my initial hope was, oh, goodness, you know, maybe they made more than one, which would sort of increase the possibility of you being able to find the piece. But when you really begin to study those images, you really get an idea of what was going on. It was just kind of the, I, in my belief, there's no way to absolutely prove it at this point, but I believe it was just the one prototype and what they did is they just kind of kept reworking it until you kind of get to the last one where it really kind of looks a little bit rough and that's kind of what you would expect if the piece was reworked and repainted and that might actually kind of explain why they didn't use it they used the earlier version a picture of that for the collector's case insert because it was very nice and crisp but where they went with the artistic drawing on the back of the 20 back cards because at that point the piece was kind of looking a little bit um a little bit rough. And that's pretty much all we know about it, uh, with one little uh, exception. Once people got a look at the back of the figure, they were able to figure out what they used for the firing mechanism, and that was a little um, part off of the um, off of Mattel Shogun Warrior toy. But other than that, there's still a lot of uh, questions that go unanswered. What did they use for the rest of the backpack? How did they tool the little missile? I've got a guy right now trying to build one for me from scratch the way it was supposed to be done just to get a better, deeper understanding about the figure. And where he's kind of gotten stumped is how they made that little diamond-tipped missile. So, you know, maybe if the piece turns up, some of those questions could be answered. But that's about what we know, and only 2D material to re- for reference. Now, your love of this iteration of the Rocket Fire and Fed is really coming across, and I'm sure you enjoy the L slots and the J slots as well, but this particular piece is really coming across strongly. Has anybody, without naming any names, been able to track down anybody in Kenner who actually remembers this piece at all? Okay, um, I've got to be careful here because some information I have I can't really share, but I think it's safe to say that this is a piece that, yes, some people do remember having seen it back in the day. 
but it seems to fall off the radar. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any idea currently where it is today. It is maybe hoped that there are some people that some ex-Kenner employees out there that are still associated with Hasbro that maybe perhaps they might have it or have access to it or know where it's at. But that, but there's nothing really, there's nothing really concrete. And that's kind of one of the reasons I did what I did here with the reward. I'm hoping that maybe somebody may reach out and even if it's not something that they're willing to sell, but it may be it's time for some pictures of it to come forward so we can get an idea truly, does it exist? What shape is it in? Get a little bit more history for it. I mean, I would love to own this and have it in my collection, but I think it would just be important to find out what happened to it. Even if we got someone that came forward and said, you know what, I'm the guy who threw it out. It does not exist anymore. It'd be sad, but would be would be sadder to find out is was it lost like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but it was lost more recently. And that's kind of my concern with this, that it, 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 that it's off the beaten track somewhere and that whoever has it, might be looking at it as something that is kind of rough and not really kind of attaching the proper importance to it. That was a fantastic answer, that by, and that, that ticked every box for me. Now, is there a possibility that this figure does not look like the photographs we have now due to further modification or splitting up of pieces? And if that is the case, how would somebody be able to identify it now? Oh, that is a very good question, because unfortunately all we have are those photographs to go by. So I would think what you, if, if it exists today, I would say the smart money is on it looking very similar to the illustration on the back of the 20-back cards, because that seems to be the progression of how this thing goes. It goes from cape, no cape, repainted, and then modified. And it's that modified version that shows up on the back of the 20-back cards. So I think that is going to be how it's going to look today if it survives. And that's assuming if it's also intact. My experience with the collectibles would suggest that maybe the missile's missing or maybe the backpack might be missing. I mean, it might not actually be complete anymore. But I think essentially that's what you're going to be looking for is that particular version that was found on the back of the um, of the 20 back cards, or at least the version that that image was modeled after. Now, you've mentioned the reward a couple of times, Ryan. For those who don't do Facebook, which many of our listeners um, stay away from Facebook, what exactly is it that you are offering and what are you hoping to achieve? Well, here we go. What we're offering is, is a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the purchase of this figure. And I, I need to be very clear with that there. It has to lead to the purchase of this figure. And that the $10,000 reward is the total body of the reward being offered. If more than one person comes forward and provides the information, at my sole discretion, I will decide how that reward is split up among those people based on how I feel that information was helpful uh, in achieving this goal. I also want to make it clear that that is just the reward we're offering. By no means am I suggesting that this piece is worth $10,000. This piece is, of course, worth in excess of that. It's, um, I expect it to be a profound figure, and I wanted the reward to also be profound to basically match the worth of that figure. And that's essentially what, we're, what, what, the, uh, what that reward is about. If anybody has any information, however small, however seemingly insignificant, you'd much rather hear it than not hear it. What is the best way to contact you? 
The best way to contact me is through my website. It's rockfullenterprises.com. You go down to the bottom where it says contact us. All our information is there. They can shoot me an email, but my phone number is also there too. And realistically, if someone really thinks they've got a good lead on this, uh, they should pick up the phone and give me a call. That would be the probably the best way to uh, to do it there. And uh, hopefully we will uh, eventually hear from somebody. Yeah, because you've really come across well tonight for your love and passion of this item. This is not an item that you are looking to sell and make a, a, any kind of book on at some point in the future. This is an item that you want to say, yes, it exists. I might not own it, but I am happy knowing that it's safe or you're happy knowing that it's you know, accounted for in some way and just any any lead, any bit of information whatsoever, you're looking for that. Exactly. You just hit it right there. I mean, this is not something that we're looking to uh, pick up and sell. This is something that if we were to get our hands on it, I intend to put it into the private collection next to uh, the uh, other examples we have of this, of the rocket firing set. And even if we're not able to ever own it, I would call this a win if we can just get confirmation that the thing still exists. Or even if someone doesn't ever contact us to say they've got it, to at least get the awareness out there where they know that it is something important and that they don't throw it into the trash today. And that's really kind of where my concern is at this. It's not that it was lost back then. If it was, what can you do about it? But maybe today somebody has it in their hands and is thinking, oh, well, what's this worth? I want to get that information out there. I want that awareness uh, to be there. Okay, Brian, many thanks for your time tonight. All of us at the Vintage Rebellion hope that someone comes forward with any information at all in this piece which helps you on your journey to a closure. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you very much, Richard. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Richard, can you give us your tri-logo show and tell? Grant sent me the link to this and... All of us know that Joe O'Brien is one of the, the fantastic guys in the hobby and he runs a great website. And as part of that website, he has regular interviews with Trilogo collectors. And the last interview that he's just done is with a guy which probably none of us know is Frank. And I'm, <laughs> apologies if I butchered the name Frank, but Frank Gadal is what I'm going to say. Now, Frank Gadal is not a name that everyone's going, oh yeah, I know him. But you probably do know him from Facebook because he actually uses his partner's account. And you may have seen about the forums as Dorothy Druin. And this uh, Dorothy Druin, or to be more correct, Frank, has been making a lot of posts in the Trilogo info group looking for some information on Trilogos and also showcasing on some of his finds. So in Joe's interview, which I encourage everybody to read, and we will make a link to it on our Facebook page, you will see some fantastic shots of Frank's um, finds, as well as two stories that I briefly want to cover today because I don't want to take anything directly from Joe's Trilogo place. So guys, the first thing I want to talk about is the first haul that Frank discovered, and I'm just going to read out what he found in this haul. Now, there are lots and lots of baggies, and I'm sure we've seen the Meccano baggies with the red stickers dotted around Facebook for sale. He doesn't list how many's there, but I'm looking at the picture, there's got to be around the 50 mark, which which is fantastic to find 50 French Meccano baggies in one go. But he also found 122 carded Trilogo figures. Now, that's just staggering. 122 Trilogo carded figures. And in there, there were 14 Stormtroopers, 12 R2 sensor scope, 8 Vaders, 
seven Leah Organas, and two Jawas. Okay, guys, so before I go any further, what do you think of that? How many times have we said there were big discoveries waiting to happen in France? Absolutely, Rich. I totally agree with that. And I, I think we said it on the last podcast, didn't we, that uh, well, I've talked to, to uh, Chris Botkins about there's always stuff that we think we know everything. We think we know all the collectors. We think we know everyone in the hobby. And then, yeah, this is a guy. Didn't he, didn't he leave the hobby? He's come back. And I have to say, the name Dorothy Druins is the best name I've ever heard. Um, that, that we don't know it all. And there's stuff, stuff's going to keep coming up all the time. This, I've, when you post this link originally, Rich and I, think in our, in our chat, it was just, it almost seemed like someone had made it up. It's ridiculous. I'm so stupid. I'm going to blame you for this. Because when you told us to go to Belgium, right, and just stop me when I've got anything wrong here, you were the one who was going, come on, guys, we're going to go to Belgium. Great road trip. It'll be the first of many. We really enjoyed our time at Belgium. It was absolutely fantastic. Well, it was a great bonding session. We came back from Belgium. We've got to do that again. And I'm pretty sure in a podcast not long after that, we said we were going to send you out on a road trip around France and that you were going to contact us and say, Hey guys, I found a warehouse and then we want to come down and help you look around. I don't believe you put much effort into that, Stu. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You might have put a lot of effort into it, but I just haven't seen it. I did it and actually um, I found 55 Meccano R5D4s and I pulled them all off their card because they look really nice loose. <laughs> now, anyway, getting back to his collection then. He said that he can tell that many of them were part of the three-pack French sets. Now, I'd never heard of the three-pack French sets. Grant, Jez? Anything you've come across before? Is it, is this the one with the header card? Yes, it is. And and I think normally when you see them, oh, what I say, it's, is it the Canadian ones that are stapled? Uh, well, the I think the Italian ones. And the Italian the, ones, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I think there's um, is there German three. Is it German or Belgium? have also got the the, the Trilogo three packs. I'm a bit unsure. It's a bit outside my mm-hmm. my um, wallet. These have still got the glue residue. So it sounds like that these were glued inside of a header as opposed to, like you said, they're the Italian ones where they were stapled in. I don't know where the headers are because I haven't seen any photographs of those and he possibly has them. Um, so it would be nice to find out, you know, where the headers are. So Yeah, at Father's From, was it maybe last Christmas, the Christmas before maybe? There was a version, but I thought, do you know what I thought? I wasn't sure if it was French. I thought it was, it was like Belgian, I thought, or maybe a Clipper one. So obviously with them, with them unearthing 122 Trilogos, one of the, the big things about Trilogos and, and Joe's website's fantastic on this. If anybody's checked out either of his matrices on there, there are so many different variations. And because of this huge find, Joe's been able to update his matrix with some new never seen before discoveries. So for example, the no COO Meccano Tuscan Raider that was found in the set. Also some other discoveries that Joe's going to um, announce in his forthcoming book. I haven't heard of an update on Joe's book. Have any of you guys? Do we know, is it coming soon? Uh, he advertised it quite a while ago, didn't he? It was a while ago, but it, it must be heading towards a time where it's... Uh, though I suppose with discoveries like this, you know, when do you stop? Do you add another chapter with new discoveries? You know, you, you've got to make sure that everything settles down before you release a book, don't you? That's a good point. Certainly when Joe releases his book, we've got to get Joe on and have a chat about that. But it, it didn't stop there. After that discovery, he then went and found another 20 carded figures. And in there was another Jawa. Quite a few of them had Meccano CEO stickers on them, which haven't been seen before on some of the figures, such as the Luke Bespin and the Leah Hoth. 
So a couple more new discoveries here. So that's absolutely amazing. 140 odd carded Trilogo figures together with 50, 60, however many baggies that are there. Absolutely fantastic stories and I urge everybody to go and check Joe O'Brien's Trilogo.info page. I'm just going to give a shout out to Frank. First of all, you know, thanks for sharing your information. Thanks for showing these photographs. It's good to see them, you know, appearing for sale on, on the Trilogo info page and the prices seem very reasonable. Frank is only after two Trilogos to complete his collection now. He's after the General Maidine and also the Cloud Car Pilot Hybrid. So if anybody has any leads on either of those two, by all means, let Frank or Dorothy Drew and know. And I'm sure they'll appreciate it. He's also after a square Death Star droid and some Cantina aliens on the French cards and an X-Wing with a Meccano logo box. Okay, so if anybody's got any of those, contact Dorothy. And big shout out to Joe. Fantastic interview. Great website. Keep up the good work. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Uh, Rich, I understand that some top toys have been talking. Top toys have been talking, yeah. Top toys, I'm going to be probably the first one to hold my hand up. I know where the licensee is, but I know nothing about them. I don't know how many Top Toys figures were released, and I know what the car packs look like, but I don't know how many, how long they were available for. So the reason why I brought it up is because on the excellent Imperial Gunnery Forum, a friend of ours, Stefan, who goes by Walkie, he's released a new guide telling you all about Top Toys. It's a work in progress, and I've had the pleasure to talk to Stefan about that, so let's cut that interview now. Apologies for some part of this interview not being to our usual standard. Unfortunately, as many of you know, Walkie is a keen rollerblader. And in order to record this interview, I had to contact Walkie on his mobile. So I can just assume that his helmet was interfering with the mobile phone signal at some points. So once again, apologies of the sound, but I certainly didn't want to cut this interview for the great content that's in there. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by our guest from over at TIG, which most people know as Walkie. I'm just going to call you Stefan for the moment, and I'll come back to that in a second. But Stefan is well known as being one of the variant collectors, one of the bootleg documenters. He contributes a lot to TIG. I've seen him about on um, the Jabba's Palace and Jabba's Auction Facebook groups recently. So welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, Walkie. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Now, the reason why I haven't even attempted to pronounce your surname goes way back to when we had John Paul Ragusa on. And yeah. when I was chatting with John Paul, one of the things that I promised him is that we would get the correct pronunciation of your surname because we tried and I don't think either of us got it correct. So how do we pronounce your surname, Stefan? I would pronounce it Kalia. Kalia. Okay, there you go, yep. John Paul. That's how you pronounce it. And for everybody else who's struggling <laughs> with it. <laughs> now, Stefan, the reason why I've asked you to come on the show today is because you have created a fantastic guide over on TIG. I've seen, I think it was an update on the TIG Facebook group that pointed people over today. And I looked at it and I was just, my mind was just blown. It, it rivals any of the guides that we've had um, Jason Smith on before, about his Palatoy guides. It's absolutely fantastic. And I want to push as many people over to that guide and to learn about Top Toys. Because Top Toys is one of the seldom discussed licensees. First of all, can you give our listeners a brief overview of the Top Toys company? Yeah, sure. Um, and Top Toys was the official licensee for Argentina. I suppose one of the reasons not many people have heard about the company is because they only produced a very limited run of figures. So there was there was no play sets or vehicles. It was purely figures. The figure range itself, there's only seven figures there. As for Top Toys, company is actually still going today. But I think what not a lot of people know is that 
top toys didn't just produce Star Wars toys. They also held several other licenses for other ranges of toys. And one of the bizarre things is you would expect a company like that to obviously come up with a license agreement with Kenner and then maybe to add other toy ranges from Kenner. But this wasn't the case. So Top Toys, their other range of, shall we say, boys' toys, was He-Man. And obviously that was a, a competitor to Star Wars, produced by Mattel. And they also, as well, another product range that they licensed was from Hasbro, which was My Little Pony. So that was a, a range there that they had for the girls' market. And within Argentina, there was a lot of other toy companies there that did the same thing. So there was another company called Antex that licensed Playmobil. And then there was also other companies that licensed various other American toy ranges. Uh, there was the G.I. Joe that were also licensed. So within the country itself, they had quite a lot of the major toy lines, but they were all produced locally, which is something you find it's quite common for South American countries, so the likes of Brazil, Mexico, even in Europe we saw a similar thing where toys were produced locally, so the Spanish market we had Park and PBP, exactly the same with South America, and that was mainly down to, at the time, the economy of the country wasn't great, they had quite high debts overseas, and the government basically, to try and combat that, brought in certain rules where... You know, if rather than importing product, you know, that product would be licensed in country and manufactured in country to try and boost the economy. And that's why we see these nice sort of variants within certainly the South American countries because they were produced in country. They use different plastics, different paints, accessories. So for a variant collector, they're sort of up there with the top ones to go for. That's really fascinating, that's definite. And we've also heard similar tales um, with regards to Lily Leddy and some of the other licensees. So it's yeah. an, another puzzle fitting into the jigsaw. How many figures were released by Top Toys? You said they didn't release very many. How, how many are we talking? No, Top Toys only produced seven figures. They were all, all came out on with the Return of the Jedi card back. They were all sort of released quite late on. So you're talking 83, 84. Uh, so by that time, obviously Jedi had been out at the cinema. So you look at the figures, you've got a couple of Ewoks there, Chief Chirp and Low Grey, which are the sort of first characters that Kenneth released for Ewoks. Um, you've got other ones there, you've got Luke Jedi, which is, again, I'd say he's a pretty safe bet. You know, he's, he's in the early Jabba scenes in his Jedi gear, uh, and then later on, even on Endor, okay, he's got a battle poncho on, but Basically, his dress underneath is still the black undergarments of the Jedi sort of robe outfit. Other characters there, Darth Vader, again, a very safe bet. I mean, you can't, can't have Star Wars without the main sort of villain. The Stormtrooper. There are a couple of random ones there. I mean, out of seven figures, certainly Chewbacca, he seems a bit of an odd selection. And possibly even Yoda. Why they were picked, I'm not quite sure. Maybe when they looked, I thought, okay, from Jedi... We've got Luke Skywalker, he's, he's the main good guy. We've got a couple of the Ewoks who are sort of quite involved in, in Jedi. And then do we pick another human hero or do we go for something a little bit different? So maybe that's where Chewbacca filled the gap. As for Yoda, I have no idea why they picked that. There is some early promotional material that has come out in the form of a presentation board. And on there, there are actually clues to what other figures Top Toys had 
sort of uh, looked at producing. One of them is probably a lot of people's favourite character, which is Boba Fett. The other one is Lando Skiff, which again is, if you're only making seven or eight figures, Lando Skiff seems a very odd choice. I think of the, so you mentioned nine figures here, the seven produced and two that weren't produced. These seem to be carefully selected as opposed to when we were talking to Yehuda um, last episode about the Yuppie figures, where it was possibly hypothesized that the Yuppie company just grabbed whatever selection they could get and cast the figures. This seems more deliberate because you're right there, you've got got the one henchman, you've got the hero, you've got a couple of the the cuddly teddy bears that were expected to be popular. I would probably argue that Lando Skiff makes sense to me because, you know, he is quite, you know, a big guy in, in Return of the Jedi. The faceless Dom Trubak, I could understand. Trubak, I possibly, you know, certainly if they thought about releasing something like the ATST, I could understand Trubak being, you know, one of the ones considered. Yoda definitely seems to be an odd one out. If they wanted an alien or something like that, you would have expected perhaps Bib Fortuna or, or one of the other kind of aliens from uh, Jabba's Palace. Yeah, I mean, definitely alien-wise, they had vast range of aliens in Jedi. Like you say, Jabba's palace alone is full of them. So definitely an odd choice, dude, yeah. I would say. You've mentioned that there was some kind of government um, law which said that the, the figures had to be made in uh, the country to you know boost the probably the local economies. Were these figures then created from scratch in Argentina or were these kind of imports that were painted? Or Well, again, this is... Having spoken to a few collectors from Argentina, it's, it is a bit of a mystery why selected a route and went down down that route. Because if you look at the other toy lines that Top Toys had, which was He-Man and uh, My Little Pony, both those product lines are made from the proper tooling. So they actually look sculpt-wise, they are identical to the ones from the Far East, although the plastic and the paint will vary quality of those figures is very good yet you look at the star wars uh, range you know they for some reason and and people sort of put it down to cost top toys weren't prepared to pay kenneth for the tooling so they opted to go down the route of making their own tooling and the way they did that uh, i'll just briefly go over that is i know you've had guests on in the past where they've gone through the whole process of how a action figure goes from being a sort of 2d concept through to 3d uh, and then the various stages of pre-production. So Top Toys basically, they needed a sculpt. So they went and acquired a Kenner production figure. That was the basis for their, that, their template. From that figure, because the action figure is quite soft, it's not good enough to produce tooling from using the pantograph equipment. So they still need to produce a hard copy. So to produce a hard copy, you need a silicon mold. So the Kenner production figure, they would have produced a two-piece silicon mould, which was like a front and a back mould. They then would have used a material similar to like a urethane to produce a hard copy. Those hard copies were then painted for paint samples and also used on the pantograph machine to produce steel moulds. And it's the steel moulds that were then obviously used for production. So one of the strange things, and anybody that is familiar with the injection moulding process knows that because when you mould apart tools and shrink, Kenner would have known about this. So when they produce their tooling, they would be slightly oversized. So when that part shrinks, it comes out to what we know as a three and a three-quarter figure. Because Top Toys use that figure, produce hard copies and stuff off that, 
all these little processes, you add a little extra shrinkage, and then the final top choice production figure, side by side, is noticeably smaller. So that's another good feature of the top toys variant, as they are all side by side with Kenner, quite small. Is the same true of the weapons? Did they cast their own weapons, and did they use the Kenner accessories for that? Weapons, there's two routes they went down there. The more complex weapons, so, for instance, low-graze staff, they are cast from original Kenner accessories. So again, they've all not only shrank in size, because it's a recast of a cast, they are also the definition is missing. So you'll find on the accessories and the figures, the detail of the sculpt is definitely less defined. There are some really unique accessories. Uh, this is where they've opted not to sort of mould off Kenner parts. And you have the Stormtrooper blaster, the Luke Jedi blaster, and also Luke Saber. And those accessories are very squared off. And looking at them, you could almost imagine there that they've looked at the accessory and thought, you know, that Imperial blaster, that crosshatch pattern, you know, this is quite fine detail. That isn't going to cast very well. So let's create our own version of the gun. So the Imperial blaster that goes with the Stormtrooper is a very squared off rectangular gun. That Looking at that, I would imagine that basically just went straight to the metal tooling stage where they got a block of steel and machined out this rectangular gun from scratch. So there wouldn't have been any of the hard copies or taking silicon moulds and Kenner parts because it is just totally different from, from those originals. How rare are these, Stefan? Because I'm just thinking now for collectors who've bought, say, job lots of figures and they're going through and seeing these weapons and looking at something that you've just described and went, well, that's obviously rep will flick straight in the bin. Would it be a case of actually we need to look at these a little bit closer now and, and make sure that we thoroughly check the TIG guides? The accessories are very rare. The figures are rare. Some of the figures are more common, so Vader, the Stormtrooper, and certainly Chief Chirper. They usually can go on eBay any day of the week, and you will find maybe one or two of those figures on there. The, the other figures, I mean, I can't actually remember the last time I saw a Luke Jedi. Possibly there was one with no accessories, but complete. I can't remember seeing one at least for the last three years for sale. And, and then even when things have come onto the market, it's been maybe just a loose figure. So they're very rare. And again, I think that's partly down to the quality of the figures. Talking to collectors over in Argentina, quality of the figures. I think some of the kids, when they got the figures, although Star Wars was a massive thing, the quality was really shoddy. Some of the, the limbs sort of frozen in position because of the bad joints so you can't move an arm um yoda is very susceptible to that issue so, so you can't even take yoda's cape off on a lot of them because if you move that arm it's going to snap and fall off a lot of the the way they were packaged the bubbles sort of lifted off the cards and accessories fell out so that again is another reason why accessories are rare because they didn't even sort of get past the, the sort of retail shop stage without them going missing Am I right in thinking that some of the Chewbacca's that I've seen are almost coming away in two halves? can. I mean, this, this again, it's just down to the... Not so much with sort of POC figures where it's the sonic welding process that was poor, so the two parts didn't sort of weld together. With the top toys, it's down to the actual quality of the part, so, you know, the, the sort of male and female parts of the torso just don't match up very well. So two parts are pushed together, but you do get sort of large gaps between them. Mm. So it's, it's all just down to the quality of the part. 
You mentioned that um, Top Toys were planning on releasing Boba Fett and Lando Skiff. Have you seen any evidence at all that suggests that other figures of vehicles or playsets were planned on coming out? Um, no. We were quite, well, the community was quite fortunate that back in the early 2000s, there was quite a large find of pre-production Top Toys items. So I know certainly if you look on the Star Wars collector's website on that database, you'll see a lot of the silicon moulds. There's one or two steel moulds there. Again, very short supply. But the silicon stuff's all there. Uh, the hard copies, the painted samples, they've all sort of surfaced. So that gives us a clue. With Lando, we, we've got you know a painted hard copy plus we've got the, the sort of presentation board with the mock-up artwork on for Lando. So, you know, we know Lando was there. Boba Fett, there has been, I think, the silicon mould for the torso has appeared, I think, as, as separate parts. I'm pretty certain that one half of the torso mould showed up on eBay probably 18 months ago, and the guy, I think, he was able to get it had the other part to it. So he's, obviously, he's over the moon. Apart from that, there's no other signs of any additional plans for any other additional figures. I mean, certainly on the back of the card, you've got the generic line of the first 12, but again, that's probably just a bit of generic hardware that Top Toys had. There's no inkling that they were going to produce any of those figures, plus they were a new hope. They were from episode four, whereas we've seen the figures that they were concentrating on were all Jedi. And it is very bizarre because you look at Top Toys, the He-Man range was massive. There was probably 40-odd figures, and they also went into play sets, vehicles. Yet Star Wars just, for some reason, didn't didn't seem to pan out as well for them. With such a short-lived run, were there any callback variations? Was there enough time to have different versions of the callbacks? Yeah, believe it or not, yeah. Although there was only seven figures, there are, callback-wise, three variations. Purely by looking at Top Toys and during the time I was sort of researching the figures, I was able to acquire collections of figures with cardbacks and uh, various sealed mental card examples. And it was one of these things one day I was looking at and thinking, oh, these are different. And the more I looked at them, I then discovered a third variation. So yeah, for cardback collecting, there wasn't many cardback collectors aware of that. And I know I did notify a few of the, the well-known card collectors through Facebook and sort of made them aware of it. Yeah, I've tried to document it as best as I can in the guide. It's not something I'm personally that interested in. You know, I don't collect them, but whilst I was able to, it's like, well... I'm quite happy to share this information for, for those guys that do collect it. So, simple little feature in the guide, you know, these are the three. Fortunately for the focus collectors that go for the more rarer figures, it's made their life a bit harder <laughs> because they might want to track down that sealed figure on more than one card back now. So, I do apologise. <laughs> now, I'm guessing that your guide is a work in progress. That, that even if any guide can ever be described as being complete. How can our listeners help contribute to your guide? Again, the guides I've produced in the past, I've always published them on the Imperial Gunnery. The beauty of that is because it's not actually published in a book, that can be updated at any time. I can add to them. The guide there at the moment for Top Toys is not complete. I've got a lot more to add to it. You know, I've got the full range of figures. I've had a lot of examples of each figure. So there are some other things I need to publish that I don't think collectors are aware of, slight variations. So yeah, I mean, if anybody's, I mean, a, 
I would actively promote that, you know, or ask if anybody out there in the community has information. You know, come along to the Imperial Gunnery Forum, have a look at what's there. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the sort of person that if someone comes along and points out a few things, even if it's positive, negative, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the sort of person that if somebody comes along with a negative comment, this is wrong, this isn't quite right. It's just, I'm, I'm the sort of person that I can take constructive criticism on board and develop the guide with the new information. At the end of the day, I live in the UK. I have never even visited Argentina, so there's going to be collectors over there that grew up whilst this range, you know, was released into the shop. And, you know, I'm never going to have the knowledge they've had because they experienced it firsthand. So all I can do is talk to these guys and do my own research. If anybody heads over at the Imperial Gunnery Forum, it's very easily found this guide, as, as are many others. You just simply click the Vintage Chat button, and then there's a sticky at the top that has reference guides to Lead Epoch, PBB, Glassleet, Top Toys, um, and various other Star Wars licenses. So it's, it's really yeah. easy to find. What are the, the plans for take for this year? Is there anything new in the works? As we've seen across the board, while Facebook is trying to basically dominate everything to do with social media and how people communicate with each other, the forums have across the board taken a hit. We've still got a team in place on TIG. We are, as and when, we get access to new reproduction items. We do sort of document them and post them up on there. But again, a lot of that involves the community. So, you know, somebody listening to this podcast, you know, they come across it reproduction accessories or even an accessory it's not on TIG and they're unsure of it you know come along join up you know share these accessories with us we've had it in the past where collectors have sent us items so we can examine them firsthand at the end of the day it's a community so if people can put information in you know we can then publish it and share it with everybody else as for other projects I mean I'm going to do my best to evolve the Top Toys Guide even further, but that's probably now I'm not going to be till summer because the way I do my photography, I like to use natural light rather than light. And so, <laughs> Is that, are you uh, as for go, everybody, yeah. Yeah, you're going to go on holiday, are you? Because you're not going to get any summer <laughs> in this country. <laughs> well, uh, luckily... During the summer months, the, the back of the back of my house uh, in the conservatory, we get some nice daylight, so <laughs> it's ideal for taking photos. But certainly this time of year, anybody that lives in the UK, it's wet, it's dark, it's just cloudy, it's horrible. I've tried in the past photos, I'm just not happy with them, and I'm thinking, I'm going to share this, and people have got to look at that. And if you're trying to show the colour of something, it, everything's off. So it, it, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a fair weather thing. Stefan, thanks very much for your time. You are always welcome on the Vintage Rebellion podcast. If you have any other guides or you've got any news that you would like to share with the community, just contact any one of us and we'll ensure you get you on um, at any point in the future. And we will be more than happy to have you as one of our main guests at some point, hopefully this year, if we can make that. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much. And likewise, you know, and this goes out not only to, to you guys on the podcast, but to the community. You know, if you have any questions and, and this happens quite regularly through Facebook or the forums you know just get in touch with me I'm, I'm on the forums uh, across the board as walkie uh, I'm also on Facebook and again as a sort of surname nickname I've got walkie on there and I've got the same avatar so I'm on a lot of the Facebook groups but typically you'll find me on the Jabba's Court Jabba's Palace nowadays but you know I, I'm there and I do get people you know get in touch with me it's a hobby. It's fun. Ask away as many questions as you want, as long as you don't ask me to value, you know, to give you a valuation on about 
shoot 200 figures in one hit, then, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm more than happy to help. I am delighted to be joined today by Spanish Star Wars collector and author Javi to discuss his PPB POC Made in Spain book. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, Javi. Uh, uh, thanks, uh, Richard. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, to be here with, with you and, and all the, the fellow collectors. Now, it's important for our listeners to understand that English is not your first language, but yeah. I'm sure you'll be understood absolutely fine by the time this interview is out. Ah, okay, I, I will try my best to, 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 to be understood. Many of our listeners would have heard of PPB, but may be a little unsure of what that means. Could you give a brief overview of PPB? Yes, sure. PPP is a short of the initial letters of the three Spanish companies which joined forces to make a bigger company for making Star Wars toys. It was always under the supervision of General Mills, which already had the majority of the participation on the new Spanish company. The, the, the first PVP is from POC, or Novedades POC, actually uh, a long tradition toy company, which had, uh, in example, the licenses uh, for selling the Meccano construction toy here in Spain. Uh, <clears throat> the B is for Borras, or Juguetes Borras, a very important uh, Spanish company which is still manufacturing both uh, game and toys. And the last P, it's related to Distribuciones Palucier. It was a company which uh, already was in charge of the distribution of both uh, of both Boras and, and POC product back then. Uh, but, uh, Richard, I want to point out uh, that most people believe that PVP and POC were two different companies making sour toys, but they were not, actually. POC uh, was always a part of PVP company and POC never made toys on its own. Uh, so that's really interesting that. So three companies put together to make one yeah. company to distribute Star Wars toys in Spain under license of General Mills. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It, it, it was like, like that. At what point did you realise that there was a need for a book on PPB? <clears throat> When I did focus my, my collection on loose Spanish figures maybe 10 years ago, I quickly realized that uh, there was a lot of confusion and, in general, a lack of uh, contrasted information about the, the, the loose Spanish figures. So when I had a knowledge uh, about this Spanish toy line back in uh, 2010, I decided uh, to start putting uh, on paper my, my information and thoughts. But uh, it was not until 2014 uh, when I was making the, making the book in, in full time. I thought uh, it, it took me uh, maybe one year and a half uh, to finish the book. Now, Javi, I can imagine you've spent a lot of time doing research for this book because there doesn't seem to be a lot of information on the internet for PPB. How difficult was it to do your research? Yes, indeed, it was really, really difficult at the at the beginning to the the lack of information, as you already said. But I was lucky to to be helped by some collector friends of mine, so it was a bit easier for me. Are there a lot of Star Wars collectors in Spain? 
Yeah, yeah, there, there are quite a lot of uh, Spanish collectors here, and I have good friends uh, who, who they are willing always to, to help me. Can you describe your book? What does it look like? How is it intended to be used? <coughs> are the photographs high quality, and is it comprehensive? Yeah, yeah, I tried to make a, a very good book, material-wise, uh, uh, using hardcover, uh, very good paper, and, and the, the best print system to date. And, and the book is intended to, to be uh, used as a daily tool for, for any PVP collector, so you can compare your figures uh, on your collection with the, the pictures on the book. And um, as, as you said, uh, the, I took a special care about pictures as they, they are meant to be the, the more important part on the book in order to be a really a really useful book. I have your book in my hands right now and I have to say the quality is fantastic. The yeah. the pages, the paper, the paper is very good, glossy, finished quality. The photographs are very, very detailed. The information is fantastic and I can't stress how important it is to get across that this is a very, very quality book. It's quite cheap when you consider the cost that it must have went into making this book. It's a strong, hardback book, and it sits beautifully on my shelf. Yeah, th th thank you so much for for, for your kind words. Uh, I really, I really try to to make a, a, a high high quality book. In, uh, in information and, and in quality of materials. So I, I, I can only say thanks. I have a lot of loose Star Wars figures. Would I be able to identify PPB loose Star Wars figures from my collection just by using your book? Yeah, uh, I really hope so. Yes, you, you will be able to, to do that uh, without any problem, I think. And, and if you have any problem, you can always come to me with with any question uh, that, that you or, or any other collector may have. So, so I think it's it's, it's a very a very intuitive uh, book, uh, and and the and the pictures are are good enough to to be able to compare your your figures along with the with the figures on on the book. I'm just going to say for our listeners, I am looking at the Power Droid page in the book, and. Yeah. I can see lots and lots of high-quality photos of the power droid from different angles and then lots of photographs really clear of the stickers and yeah. the COO and the, and the antenna and the different parts of the power droid. It is a very, very clear book. I can't stress that enough. These photographs are very high quality and are better than what you are going to see on the internet reference guides. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I try my best, uh, as I told you, and, and I think, uh, I, think I, I made it. What has the community reception to your book been like so far? Yeah, uh, it has been a really amazing reception, and, and the feedback has been really great, and, and I, can, I can be more, more grateful about this. Uh, I want to say thanks from here to, to all of those fellow collectors from all around the world, for the kind words and the love they show me about the book. Uh, so I can, the, the only thing I can say is thank you so much, guys. I'd imagine that starting to put a book together is quite difficult. And some of our friends have released books quite recently. So did you ask Stefan Forcourt, 
Duncan Jenkins, Matthias Randall or any other recent book authors for any advice on how to approach this project? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I spoke to Stefan uh, quite often at, at the beginning. Uh, he was really kind with me and he, he always had a good advice uh, from me. And uh, I want to say thanks from here to, to Stefan too. You have an interview with a worker from the PPB factory in your book. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, it was a, a really a, an amazing surprise to get in touch with him when I had uh, almost uh, done the, the contents of the book. Uh, he was a, he was able to to confirm some to confirm some of my my theories and also he rejected other ones too. Uh, so so uh, thanks to him we can enjoy. Uh, we can enjoy of uh, first-hand testimony. Uh, and uh, I also want to say that he, he is still having an awesome uh, mind uh, remember uh, almost every detail fr from that time. Uh, and I think there is no other better person to, to talk with uh, about how the PVP factory works, actually. I'm going to say, Javi, that of all of the book, that is probably my favourite part because I do like listening from people who worked in the factory and yeah. I do like hearing the stories. Um, and that must have been fantastic for you, for him to get in contact and say that he wanted to share his information. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, for me, uh, is the better, part, it's the better uh, part of the book, maybe because I really, I, I don't write. I don't write that part. It's, it's a, a testimony of a, of a first-hand uh, of, of, of a person who, who, who worked there. So I think it's, it's the, the, the best part of the book. And finally, Javi, where can I get a copy of your book and how much does it cost? Yeah, the, the easy way to contact me is through my, my face, Facebook page. Yes, uh, typing my, my, my name, Javier Ruiz Lopez, I, I am there. So the, the cost of the book is uh, 55 uh, euros uh, plus the shipping cost. You have, you have all the information of my, on my Facebook page. So, so you can you can take a look, or anyone can take a look there for for other details on the book and uh, and the shipping quote uh, and everything. So, for our listeners, you also have a Facebook page which is Star Wars PPB slash POC Comprehensive Catalog, and you've got some great photos on there. And I urge our listeners to go and check that Facebook page out. Yeah. One last very very important question before you go, Javier. Barcelona or Real Madrid? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not uh, a fan of uh, football. Uh, football teams. Um, I was uh, at the time, but uh, I, I really like uh, Real Madrid uh, back in time. But to be honest, uh, I'm not uh, interested in football anymore. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> answer, Javi. Um, would you mind if I read your dedication out at the start of the book? Yeah, it's, it's, it was my, my, my grandfather uh, who who bring uh, who bring my, my brother and, and and I to the to the toy shop to to to, to buy the to buy the first uh, Star Wars toys. So it was a a really a, a really great moment for me, and it was the the beginning of the of of my collecting of my collecting history. Uh, so, so I, I thought it, it was fair to 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 make uh, to make a dedicatory to him because he passed away 
a long time ago. So, so I still, I still, I still have him uh, in my heart, and I'm very present in my in my daily life. So I can I can read the 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 the, the memorial. I can read directly from the book if you want. He took my brother and me to the toy shop, and he he bought my very first Star Wars figure long long time ago. I will never forget that moment. That was the beginning. Uh, this book uh, will never happen without him. I lo- I miss you so much, Grandpa. That there is enough for me to go and buy the book because it shows your passion and it shows your love for Star Wars collecting and it shows everything that you've put into this book. Your grandfather must be very, very proud of this, Javi. Yeah, I I hope so. <laughs> Maybe I have to reread because... It really uh, a very sentimental. I, I really, I really feel that 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 words. So, Javi, I want to thank you for coming on our podcast. We have wanted you on our podcast for quite a long time. I think your English has been very good, and I am sure that we will have a chat at a celebration at some point in the future. Yeah, I have. I hope so too. I, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Orlando. Uh, in a few in a few months, uh, so so uh, I'm really looking forward to to meet you and all the other guys, uh, fellow collectors here there, and uh, and to chat a bit and, and talk about Star Wars and, and no Star Wars and no and not uh, Star Wars things. Thank you so much to you and and the podcast crew. It, it was a, a real pleasure to to be here with you. Running Stormtrooper comes out of retirement. Blimey, he's got to be 70 now. What's that all about, Rich? You're right there. If the Running Stormtrooper comes out of retirement, we're really going to have to have all the first aid stations, you know, around the country on guard. But I'm going to pass this one over to Jez because has the identity of the Running Stormtrooper been outed, just like Stig was on Top Gear a few years ago? Jez, do you want to take this one, mate? <laughs> Cheers, Rich. Yes, for those people who don't know, the running Stormtrooper had a fantastic year last year, running the London Marathon for Make-A-Wish. And between the forum and everyone on Facebook and all those sponsored me, also ran the marathon dressed in Stormtrooper armour, raised £5,355 plus gift aid. So just over £6,000. And uh, it was fairly recently I went on to the Make-A-Wish website and very quickly after going back onto that site, I realised that actually they need some more money, don't they? We need us all to dig deep a little bit more because as soon as you start looking at the Make-A-Wish website and check out some of the wishes, you realise what a fantastic job this charity do and, um, and, and they need all the help in the world. So I looked into this and I thought, right, it's addictive. Running's addictive, very much like collecting. And I wanted to get out and I wanted to raise some more money. But the thing is, last year was a bit of a novelty. Running Stormtrooper, doing a marathon, and people know I've done it before. So I, I was worried that I'm not going to get anywhere near the same amount. So I need to up the game, lads. I need to up the game. Any suggestions? Oh, I mean, Jez, it was such a tremendous thing you did the first time. Um, what about running... I don't know. Have you have you thought about doing one of these five marathons in a week challenges? <laughs> I could hear Stu laughing in the background. Well, yeah, do, he's just going to make what you're doing seem inferior when you go. No, I'm not doing that much. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of expecting. 
Pete also, I was kind of expecting Slave Lear costumes or Jabba <laughs> costumes or this, that and the other. But I got one, Jess, I got one. Go on. Why don't you swim the Atlantic in a Slave Lear outfit with a cucumber in your mouth? <laughs> what? Okay, I'm the worst swimmer in the world. Fact. And you know what you know what that means when someone says fact at the end is is completely true. Um no quite a simple thing. I'm just gonna put the stormtrooper costume on again. I am gonna run the London Marathon again. So April the twenty third, run in now. Hopefully doing something at Star Wars Celebration, which is the week before. So fingers crossed, still trying to figure that out. Um I've spoken to a few people and whether or not that's me doing a half marathon every day where the queues are or near a fan area or what have you, um, just in the costume, something a bit bizarre, whilst everyone's queuing for hours on end, at least they can queue with the drone of a treadmill next to them. That'll probably really annoy them, actually. Um, However, all of this is a warm-up. Even the London marathon is a warm-up. Whilst doing the marathon, hopefully I'm going to be setting a Guinness World Record because I've contacted them at the moment. There aren't any records for fastest marathon in Stormtrooper armor. So I've asked and and I've um, sorted out the administration on that. And hopefully if I run the marathon successfully, there we go. Guinness World Record, boom, in the bag. However, 11 days later is May the 4th. And 2017 is a pretty big year for Star Wars, being the 40th anniversary. So on May the 4th, to celebrate, 40th anniversary of star wars i'm going to attempt to run 40 miles in the costume yes i am that nuts that's absolutely fantastic jez i mean i know we've often said that if we were the cast of stand by me you'd be the kid that nobody remembers but all (laughs) of the work that you do for for charity um, not just Make-A-Wish, you've did a lot of work for Click Sergeant in the past. You, you really are a true inspiration, and you are one of the cornerstones of the hobby. Um, can you not remember how painful you felt after the end of the London Marathon? Yeah, look, and I'm, I'm actually getting flashbacks now because I couldn't remember it brilliantly because I definitely sort of zoned out for the last three quarters of an hour. Um, certainly the last few miles really, really dragged. <laughs> So now I'm starting to kind of regret this a little bit because with the London Marathon, you've obviously got all the support, all the people cheering, all, all the music, suddenly over and everything spurring you on. This 40 miler, I'm going to be doing on my own, <laughs> so I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have a big support crowd. But I'm delighted to say that um, the last couple of days I've come out of a really successful meeting at Pinewood Studios, and Pinewood have very kindly agreed that I can start at Pinewood Studios, run around the large park, which is just adjacent there for about 38 miles or so. (laughs) Simple task. And then I'm going to complete the 40th mile by running back into Pinewood and through Pinewood Studios. How cool is that? That's tremendous, Jez. That must be so exciting for you to actually go to one of the homes of Star Wars to complete a challenge like that. Is that part one or is that the whole thing? (laughs) <laughs> yeah building up to do something really big no that that's it may the 4th i mean hopefully i'll get it done in one day i reckon it might be 10 to 11 hours worth of running because the marathon was five hours this is on um on grass and uh, on terrain as opposed to road so therefore it's going to be already a little bit slower a little bit harder going 
not going to have the support. And I do remember the last, as I say, the last hour or so of the London Marathon, I was really starting to slow down. So on top of all that, I've got another 14 miles to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Uh, do you think you'd raise more money if you introduced things like hurdles and booby traps into your run? <laughs> oh, you just what, what are you trying to do to me? However, I, I have got. I just think you, I just think you'd raise more money that way. People would be like, "Wow!" and you might get more media attention. I tell you, that's yeah. a great idea, Jez. How about what? us four all dress up as Ewoks and we come and like put logs in front of your feet and stuff while you're running around <laughs> the park? Well, why don't we put why don't we put like like raw meat into your stormtrooper outfit and you can get chased by dogs? <laughs> hey, you're all welcome. You're all welcome to come along. Seriously, everything's going great. The the Pinewood people have been fantastic. They've been really really helpful. They've said, "Oh, we've got this underwater uh, camera facility, uh, un- underwater pool for underwater photography and whatnot." If you, if you want to afterwards, you can just jump in that. <laughs> Whatever you're going to offer me, of course I'm going to do. It's Pinewood Studios. So, um, yeah, that's pretty good. So, uh, no, all exciting stuff. And uh, got a new costume coming along, which is great. So another Stormtrooper costume. The new one is being built specifically for this. Um, again, it's going to look identical pretty much, but hopefully it's just a little bit uh, stronger, fresh glues, Velcros, poppers, slightly easier to dress myself and maybe have a quick undress if if uh, w- there was the requirement to. So, um, yeah, new new costume getting built, and that's all great. So there we go. That's my big news. Great you're getting your own costume this time because I remember last time you said that there was too much room in the crotch area. And it, caused, <laughs> it caused a bit of chafing. So is this one being made to measure? Is, is it really being, you know, taken it down to those minute details? <laughs> well, there's not much I can say to that, Rich. You actually cracked a joke, and and I'm just going to go quiet for a bit while we can all pause to reflect that. Wasn't last year's um, costume stolen? <laughs> no, he didn't want to return it, did he? Oh, that's it. I, yeah, he tried, he tried to move house, if I remember. I did. Ret- I reluctantly returned the costume, and then uh, I contacted the guy, Steve, Steve Buckley. I contacted him a few months ago to say, Steve. He's thinking about coming out of retirement. Um, would you mind lending me it once more? Or could I make you an offer? Could I could I actually buy this off you? Because I know you don't use it anymore, even though I did clean it very well. And Steve, bless him, he just said to me, well, rather than me sell you this, you know, knackered, battered old one, he's still got an original kit format for when um, he's already got an original kit from when he first bought. Stormtrooper costume TK armor. He bought two kits and he still had an original one which had never been built. And he said, Right, if we can get this all built and if we can get this sorted, you can have this. So, in the background, the UK garrison have been absolutely fantastic. And I'll give shout outs, I'm sure, in a, in a next episode about this, about how they've been digging in and helping providing me with a helmet. And Phil Parker has been gluing everything together. It's just coming on well, so well. The UK Garrison, I cannot thank these guys enough. They are absolutely tremendous. So the whole community is already getting together and getting around this. And I look to you guys and I look to our listeners, hopefully, to get involved in well as well. Because it is such a worthwhile charity and I need your help. I really, really do. So if people want to check out the Make-A-Wish sites, I mean, you know, they're, they're there's the UK, the European one, the American one. Make a wish is just, it's a global thing. 
And if you were to just make out their sites, check out their sites and see the great work they do. And then go onto Facebook and check out my page, which is Make a Star Wars Wish. Now, that was the page which we had for 2016. And I'm going to be refreshing it over the next few days. It hasn't really had a, a spruce since last year. So Make a Star Wars Wish, please check it out on Facebook and, and give it a like just so you can keep up to date. For those people who are on Twitter or Instagram, see if you can follow Stormtrooper Run. That's the uh, Run and Stormtroopers um, handle on those two platforms. So Stormtrooper Run on Twitter and on Instagram. But the most important thing is this is about raising money. So if you were to go to www.justgiving.com forward slash rogue one, that's my very latest charity fundraising site. So all of those details and everything is going to be on Make a Star Wars Wish on Facebook. So lots of information, lots of things to check out. But I would say the best place to start off is the Make a Wish website. And you'll see the whole reason why I'm doing this. We're delighted to welcome this month's guest, Ron Salvatore. Born in 1975, I believe, Ron's first saw Star Wars at the age of three. One of the most revered names in the collecting community, his knowledge is vastly expansive, sharing his expertise regularly through the Star Wars Collector's Archive, which he's been co-editing since 1997. Primarily interested in Kenner items, from unreleased commercial items to prototypes and pre-production pieces, his collection is phenomenal. Ron, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this month. Oh, great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be back and uh, honored to be considered revered. Goes without saying. Before we start, there's um, someone who wrote Star Wars The New Jedi Order series called R.A. Salvatore. <laughs> yes. Is this you? No, that's not me. Uh, that's an old collecting uh, community joke, though, that I have this thing, because my middle initial is A as well, so... That guy was known to me before he got involved with Star Wars. Like, oh, here's a guy, you know, in a bookstore who's got a name just like me, and he writes fantasy books. And I think a family member bought me one of those books for Christmas as a joke. And so it was quite funny to me that he ended up writing this Star Wars novelization or of some, I can't remember what it was called, but he he wrote a Star Wars book. 
And then it just kind of exploded where I get emails almost every week asking me if I was that guy. <laughs> People, um, one time I was in Cincinnati with maybe Chris and Gus, Chris Julius and Gus Lopez, maybe some other people, and and some kid who waited on us at a at a, a um, restaurant was a big Star Wars fan. So someone, Chris or something, told him that my that I was that guy, and and I think we had the kid going until we left. I gave him an autograph and everything. So it was it is a pretty funny joke because. What are the chances that that guy with the same name as me would end up writing Star Wars books? And then I think he killed Chewbacca in his book too, right? And there was a big controversy about that. So it's oh, provided a lot of jokes. I, I think that's a confession to a fake Von Salvatore autograph that might be appearing at eBay at some point. <laughs> My guess is the kid probably figured it out <laughs> not long afterwards because we were kind of we had him going for a while, but you know, it, it was fine. I, I think it was more of a prank than anything. Obviously, this is the first time we've done a show since the passing of Carrie Fisher. Just out of interest in your massive collection, what what's your favourite Princess Leia piece you own? Um, it's got to be the uh, the Leia Hoth acetate sculpt for the figure, which is on the archive, so you may have seen it. But it's a Bill Lemon sculpt for the action figure, and uh, all done in acetate. It's complete. It's one of the few. Well, you know, th- there's quite a few original sculpts around, but obviously they're all one of a kind, so that, that's about the best Leia Hoth action figure piece I can imagine having, and I really like it a lot. Okay, Ron, I'm going to start delving into your um, collection now. Now, I believe that Christian Gullius told me that when he first got into what we're going to call serious collecting, he very, very quickly got involved in prototypes whereas others went down completing the loose sets and looking at corded figures. I heard the Calcast interview where you discussed the impact that Stephen Sonsweet's book uh, From Screen to Concept of Collectibles um, really changed your um, focus on, on Star Wars collecting. Can we go right back to that time and describe the moment where you actually decided, I'm actually going to do this? Uh, the prototype stuff specifically or the, the collecting? Everything, the whole, the whole collecting. Oh. At what point did you decide, I am now a Star Wars collector? Uh, yeah, um, I was probably 19 or so, 18 or 19, 94, 93, right in there. Um, that book, I think, came out in 91 or 92. Um, you know, I think collecting, there has to be a way, an in for people to start to see something as a collectible, you know, before it really takes off. And in the early 90s, people didn't really collect 70s and 80s toys to any extent. So it's not that people weren't into Star Wars or didn't um, like the action figures. It's just it never dawned on them to treat them as collectibles. And I think what Steve's book did was present Star Wars in this light where people could view it in the abstract as kind of a collectible rather than as just some junk that had been made. And so when I saw... um, that book on the shelf, I started flipping through it, and it, suddenly it dawned on me, like, oh, wow, you know, someone is collecting Star Wars. They're treating it like something you can go back and preserve, which at that time, you know, people did it with comic books. That, that was still fairly newish, you know, from the 70s. People were collecting baseball cards were a big thing, but toys, uh, especially 70s and 80s toys, has, had not reached that threshold. So to me, that book is really what pushed it into the realm of, hey, this is a collectible that adults can can buy and preserve. 
Uh, and I, I'm a, of a collecting mind, so I mean, at that time, I was already, you know, I, when I was younger, I collected baseball cards and records and things like that. And so, I I had loved Star Wars when I was a kid, and I had most of the figures still. And so it just kind of rang a bell, like, hey, I could really do this. You know, I could go and buy this stuff. You know, I would never have the collection Steve Sansweet has, and I never figured I'd be doing it 20-something years later. But that certainly opened that door up for me. And, and the Internet was coming out at the same time. You know, I think I'd just gotten on the Internet. So the first thing I did when I started thinking about that, you know, I grabbed my figures from the attic, knew that I was missing some, and I got on the Internet and started looking through discussion boards, first on AOL and then on Usenet, you know, uh, Rask. At that time, it was Rackguard, Star Wars, or Rackguard, Sci-Fi, Star Wars. Uh, I'm not even sure if it branched off into collecting yet, but that's when I started meeting other collectors, you know, like Chris Jagulius and, and, and Gus Lopez, and, and it just really kind of took off from there. Because once I was involved in all that, it was just kind of like there was a social aspect of it too. I knew other people who I was doing it with. So that's really how I got back involved in it. And yeah, that book, I would say, just giving me the mind frame to look at Star Wars as something that I could collect was really important. You've just knocked off my next four questions on my list because I was going to ask about... Um, you, you are a huge community guy and you really do get involved in the community and I was going to ask about any kind of formation of an early group between yourself and Gus and um, oh. you know many other names out there. So it was the early days of... I thought Rascovy was the first iteration but clearly there was something before that. Well, it was the early days of that. Those news groups branch out. So there's rec, arts, sci-fi and then it branches out to Star Wars... And at some point, I think by the time I, I was around, there was a collecting group for Star Wars. So it was everything collecting. But there was a time when it wasn't. There was just the collecting stuff was in with the regular discussion. Um, so by the time I got involved, yeah, there was a, an active group on there. You know, other early folks who were in there were like John Wooten, CJ Fawcett, uh, you know, other people like that. You know, some people aren't around anymore who were in that group. And uh, there was a lot of discussion about toys. You know, people used to run. This is long before eBay, so people used to run auctions. You know, live auctions. I think the first, my first contact with Gus Lopez was he was selling loose figures. I think I may have bought some loose figures from him off an auction. Uh, and you know, from there on, like I just became pretty friendly with all those guys and we bounced emails and whatnot quite a bit. Um, you know, the first time I got in touch with Chris, I don't even remember, we started talking about something, but those guys were already interested in prototypes. Um, so that was a springboard into that. And, and again, that, the Sansweet book sort of gave me a basis for that. Uh, but the, Gus and Chris had already gotten involved with buying some stuff like that. So that's kind of how I got involved in the prototype stuff. Do you remember what your first prototype piece was? Yeah, I bought a Death Squad Commander first shot, and then I had a Chewbacca first shot, just undated figures, which, you know, at that time, they were probably like $200, which was expensive, but um, I ended up getting rid of them fairly quickly because they just didn't excite me that much, but I think those are my two first items. Before we just move on, obviously, we, we've covered things like first shots and... Um... Mm. some pre-production. Could you just give us an overview of exactly the stages of a figure being made? Um, yeah. Generally, you know, it's going to start with a 2D representation like a sketch, you know, which generally they ended up doing them in blueprint form eventually, and, and copies of that would go to the sculptor, 
along with, you know, descriptions or whatever, and um, photos usually, you know, photo scrap that the sculptor could use. And then they would um, usually do, a lot of sculptors would do it in clay first, so they'd, they'd sculpt a figure roughly in clay, make molds of that, and then pour wax into there uh, and sculpt one in wax. You know, the final wax figure has a, a brass buck in it as well as pins and discs to, to, to make the thing engineered correctly so everything stays in proportion and whatnot. Um, but the, usually the, the final toy art is done in wax. Unless Bill Lemon was doing it, he did his stuff in acetate, and that, that wouldn't have bucks or anything. Um, and, and once you get that that wax or acetate final sculpt and everything's good to go, uh, you know they'll make a mold of that, and they'll make hard copies, uh, which are urethane or um, you know similar to a cold cast hand-poured figure that's articulated and everything. And that'll be used to make a tooling master that's used to, to cut the final steel tools that those things are made in, or that the heads are sometimes done, sometimes done in uh, something called beryllium copper, uh, which is a poured uh, you know, element for, for making tooling. Uh, but that's basically the, uh, the short story on that. And, and Tommy Garvey, I think you had him on, he did a pretty good article on our blog that kind of gets into the details of all that stuff. Is there examples of all these different stages available? Yeah, for the most part. Um, the tooling masters is something that hasn't really turned up, but because I think probably those would have gone to the the, the vendors making the, the tooling. But hard copies and sculpts and, and you know, the, there's very few clay roughs around. I think I have a leg for um, the the Rancor Keeper, and that's one of the few clay pieces around for an action figure. Uh, but yeah, the, the other stuff is all around. There was just recently a fold of, of molds, uh, of silicon molds. So previous to that, silicon molds for action figures were pretty rare. Um, and obviously, they wouldn't be one piece. They're all done in torso, head, leg, leg, arm, arm. Um, and, and so the, those were scarce for a while, but they're, they're still scarce, but there's a little bit, a few more of them out there now. Uh, hard copies... Back in the day, you could buy one fairly readily, but now it's pretty hard to find. Uh, you know, so all that stuff is pretty good. I didn't get into the post-tooling stuff, but obviously after you, get, you make a tool, that's when they make the injection molded stuff, which is like a first shot would be right before final production. Uh, and and though you can buy first shots, although the prices keep going up and up and up. One, one of the areas of my interest I often get a lot of stick for, because when you guys post some fantastic pre-production items, I don't see always what you guys see, and I'm much more interested in the story behind it. Now, don't reveal anything that you don't want to reveal, but I want to go right back to the first time, the very first time that you actually contacted a Kenner employee and was going to meet them. Um, you know, to me, I, w- I would have been nervous as hell. I would have been really nervous, and I just <laughs> wouldn't have a clue what it was I'd be picking up. Okay, so can you remember that, and do you have any stories from that time? Yeah, um, I think I had talked to some guys on the phone and by email, but that's not all that interesting. I, the first real experience with that kind of thing was um, my buddy, uh, who I've known a long time, and, and who the guys on the podcast like to call Fluffy, uh, was a stockbroker. Actually, he was a stockbroker who worked for some pretty – you know, for a time, he worked with some pretty shady stock folks on, on the stock exchange. Not that he was himself shady, but I think that this was during the time of the Jordan Belforts and whatnot. And so his job was basically to call call people to try to sell them stock. You know, he did that all day, and he was he was good at it. 
uh, he was a big Star Wars guy, you know, and gotten into collecting. And, and I knew him because I'd met him through Gus. And then this guy would just call me. This guy, I guess we'll call him Fluffy, although I don't necessarily like that name. But um, so he would call me and just chat about whatever. He's just like Mr. Networking. He just wanted to stay in touch about this or that. And, you know, that was fine. You know, I got along with him pretty well. I thought he was an interesting guy. But one day he called me and just said, you're not going to believe this. I'm making cold calls uh, and um, uh, basically just calling people that he had cards on. He knew it maybe to have money to buy stocks. And one of the guys is in Cincinnati. So when he's talking to him, he's like, hey, let me ask you this. You know anybody who used to work for Kenner? And he's like, oh, yeah, Kenner. He's like, my – I can't remember what it was. Like, my brother-in-law used to work for Kenner. And, and you know, Fluffy says, well, great. You know, that, that's awesome. I'd love to speak to him. So this guy somewhat surprisingly just gave him his number. And he called them up, and, and they started chatting. And I think this guy had actually been a contractor. He hadn't worked directly for Kenner. He'd done some some work for them, some illustration work, I think. But once he talked to that guy, then then he said, well, I know this guy, this guy, and this guy. And then it just kind of went from there. And Fluffy being Fluffy kind of just ran through everything. You know, all of a sudden he had 12 people, you know, on it. And, and he was kind of amazed. He's like, I got 12 names. And I said, well, you know, he said, what do I do? Should I, what do I ask him? You know, what, what's a good question to ask him? Because he wasn't necessarily, you know, he collected stuff, but wasn't necessarily a Kenner specific guy. He, he collected a lot of other stuff. And so I was like, well, forget about the questions. You know, let's go out there and um, and meet up with some people. Uh, and that's kind of how that got started. And we, we drove out there, drove all night eventually, and we did meet. You know, I, I'm kind of merging things. There were several different trips, but eventually we met several of these guys. I can't say I was super nervous. You know, most of these people are just normal guys. You know, they're, they live in Cincinnati or had lived in Cincinnati and did drawings for companies or sketches. And some of them were engineers. A lot of the folks you met were engineers. But I would say almost all of them were super down-to-earth, regular people. So it wasn't that nerve-wracking or anything. And in general, by that point, you know, me and, and, and Chris and Gus and folks like that had a great knowledge of how some of the stuff was made. You know, Gus and Chris had talked to some guys already who were sculptors and whatnot. So usually the people we spoke to were pretty impressed with the, the level of knowledge about stuff, and they were easy to to, to keep talking. You know, they, they would they would always like to talk about their time at the company. They, they all had great experiences at the company for the most part, and for them. I can't tell you how many said that was the best time of my life, or that was the best job I ever had, so on and so forth. So them talking about Kenner, which at the time no one was asking them to do. You know, nowadays there's documentaries and whatnot, but back then, I mean, this is probably the first time anyone really was interested in talking to them about that since you know back in back in the day. So it was always a pretty easy, you know, thing to do to go meet some of the folks. Sometimes it was awkward going to their houses because. Surprisingly, some of them would just say, hey, just come to my house as opposed to a restaurant or something. So that was always a little awkward, especially when there was four or five people showing up. But for the most part, it was pretty you know, normal and, and, and fun. I never really had too much nervousness involved with it or anything like that. So you were already doing research before you met those guys. Um, I used to be an engineer myself, so I understand that, that it's a different language at times. And I can understand how that would have made some of those engineers at ease. Um, you would have started collating that information, and I would imagine that that was probably the start of the early SWCA, or am I getting this totally wrong? Um, yeah, that's more or less right. I mean, 
we did have some background information going in, you know, about how the toys are made. Also, Chris is an engineer. He had some, you know, he could kind of talk shop in a way that maybe other people couldn't, so that helped as well. But I think Gus and Chris started the SWCA in 94, which at that point, it was mostly a wave. Remember, back in those days, you could not share images with people. I I literally have envelopes and things that people would mail me photographs because they wanted to share their collections, you know, actual printed photographs. Um, So the idea of sharing them over the web was, I hate to say revolutionary, but it was, as far as sharing collections go, it totally changed everything. Um, You could suddenly have this on the Internet and and navigate to it with a web browser and you can view it. Although at that time, I, I know a lot of people didn't even know how to use the web. When I first saw the announcement on the news groups about the SWCA, I had no idea what they were talking about. Like you could have told me that I had to, to launch a satellite and, and take a, a rocket from NASA to view it. It was just like, I have to what? There's a, a browser and I have to navigate to HTTP. Like I, all that stuff was alien. It was before anybody was navigating on the web. And I think I tried to download a browser or something, but it didn't meet my system requirements. So I, I couldn't even access it, but I saw people talking about it. And when I finally did get the ability to access websites, I took forever for just a simple picture to load. Um, but just that was totally new. You know, it's like, well, I can go look at this guy in Japan has these collectibles that I've never seen before, and I can click on stuff and I can see it right here. Um, and then once Gus and Chris got into the prototype stuff, I think they started putting more of that on there. You know, I think in '97 they went out there, or '96, or maybe. Uh, 95, 96, something like that. They went out to Cincinnati and they met Tom Nyheisel, who used to work at Kenner and had some stuff, a collection. And they met Steve Denny and they met a couple other people who were employees and they had photos of things that they put up there. So that was really the first time you could go on there and see Steve Denny's collection, which was mind blowing, you know, unproduced this and that. And again, the, the novelty of being able to sit in your house and to view this stuff was just totally, you know, something that reset collecting I think for a little while and, and there was no other collecting sites at the time that was the first one so yeah by the time we were going out there you know 97 98 the archive was up and running and, and it had quite a bit of pre-production stuff on there and what would you say was your early focus back in those days what did what did you intend to achieve with your collecting when I initially Initially got into it, all I wanted to do was get all the action figures. Um, I was missing most of the Power of the Force ones, so I wanted to try to find those. And, of course, that's why um, when in about 96 or so, Power of the Force figures were like the hottest thing going because everybody was trying to get those last ones to complete their collections. So I, I started doing that, and then I also started to try to get the vehicles. And so all loose, basically, and... But within a couple of years, it only took about two or three years, I was interested in prototypes and then the, the packaged stuff, store displays. I mean, it kept just snowballing and snowballing. So eventually I sold most of my loose stuff and replaced it with packaged things and got into the prototypes and the store displays all by, you know, from 94 to 97, it was like three years. Um, but, yeah, the focus was always originally the Kenner stuff. With all these trips to these Kenner employees' house, did you ever have the um, the drop jaw kind of moment of something you found? Oh yeah, uh, there was a lot of those. Um, 
some of them we talked about on the Chivecast, or like, I always call it say Chivecast, it's Kivecast, I'll get mad. But we talked about some of them on there. But yeah, there was a lot. You know, you'd go to some of these folks, folks' place. I mean, you walk into the house, like a sculptor, like we went to most of the, the sculptors who were still accessible. And you're just talking a table filled with, you know, action figure sculpts or coin sculpts, you know, these one of a kind of things just laid out on a table with dozens, you know. Stuff like that's never going to probably happen again. Um, and at the time, I think we knew it was pretty awesome. But, yeah, there was quite a few jaw-dropping moments. Um, just another one, another guy we met was a guy who had worked for Kenner for a little while. I don't think I've told this story before. And he later had his own business where he did contract work for Kenner. And this guy sold us a bunch of stuff. He sold us a bunch of stuff that he that his company had done for Kenner, and I, I think I've mentioned those stories. But he also sold us stuff that he was brokering for other people. So other people he knew, he'd call them and say, "Hey, I know these kids who come in here with all this cash and they're buying stuff. Why don't you give me whatever you have to sell?" So we'd go to his house on Sunday morning, and there was no telling what he'd have in the box, you know. He and he was kind of a showman, so we'd have that box sitting there on the table, and we'd be like, "What is in the box?" And one time he pulled out, and there was just like coloring books and it's like man this is lousy nobody cares about these coloring books but other times he'd have great stuff um there was one time i would say he had probably the original samples for the whole of the 86 droids line um and ewoks so he had just about every figure all the unproduced figures on proof cards samples with hand cut bubbles and underneath the bubbles were hard copies and the whole line. So you're just pulling them out, and you're like, oh, there's, you know, there's Cheap Chirpa, there's Bondo, there's Gaff, there's, and it's like, there's Blix. And, I mean, they just keep coming out of the box. I mean, at the time, it was jaw-dropping then, but now it's like people would probably faint because the values of those things are so enormous. At the time, they were not nearly as much. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that. You know, it felt kind of like being the first people to really dig through this stuff since the 80s, which I guess we were in a lot of cases. Uh, and there was definitely times we got back in the car after buying stuff and it was just like cheering and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened, you know. So, yeah, it was definitely exciting, no doubt about that. Ron, on your Facebook feed, I see lots and lots of posters. Now, we will possibly touch on the non-Star Wars posters because I, I think they're fascinating. But can I just go to the Star Wars posters now? Um, sure. How do you display the Star Wars posters, and can you just give a little bit of a, an overview of your collection and what you enjoy about them? Um, actually, I have some Star Wars posters. I'm not, I don't really consider myself a, a big Star Wars poster collector. Um, but right now, the only Star Wars poster I have displayed is the birthday birthday one sheet, which has the action figures on it, um, because it has a Kenner tie-in. So I've had that displayed for. A number of years, and I had that poster before I was even doing anything with posters. Um, some other ones I have, you know, I just mentioned those two Japanese ones. I have the Empire Strikes Back, uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, One Sheet. I have a, a Star Wars Mylar. I have the Chaykin poster that was given away or sold for a dollar at Comic Con. And those aren't really displayed right now. They're just, I have a big flat file, um, and they're stored in there with my other posters, which, you know, really. The, the heart of my poster collector is non-Star Wars stuff, so I, you know, the, whatever Star Wars stuff I have is just stuff I've liked over the years that I've picked up here and there, but I don't have a, a super extensive collection of those. 
Uh, Rob, we had um, a UK Star Wars uh, poster collector on last month, Matt Fox. Yeah, I heard that. That was great. Yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? Um, he was discussing linen-backed posters, and it's something I've been wanting to explore myself. What, how do you feel about the uh, the posters getting that linen backing on it? Um, I don't mind it. There's some people who are really against it. Uh, for me, a lot of the stuff I collect is um, old French and Italian posters, which when you have something from the 40s or 50s printed on that cheap paper stock from Italy, I mean, there's just that's not going to last for the most part. So you're either backing it at some point or it's just going to crumble. Um, right. So to me, that's just part of being a paper collector is preserving these things the best way possible. Um, for Star Wars and related movies from the related time period, I think linen backing is much more controversial. Um, I think a lot of people would stay away from Star Wars one sheets that are backed just because they feel there's a lot of mint condition ones that are not backed. Um, and they also probably wonder if it's backed, it must have had some sort of restoration done to it. Uh, I think there's a big feeling of that type among a lot of modern poster collectors, but I also know that there are people out there who want them that way, so they'll they'll take a, a mint poster and they'll go get it back just because they like the way it displays and they can move it around without damaging it. So there's a difference of opinion. Uh, personally, if I was looking for Star Wars or 70s posters in general, I would prefer to get them unbacked, and then if I wanted to later on to back them, I'd, I'd want to do it myself, I think. Um, but there's probably people who feel differently. Uh, there's certainly a nice quality to a linen back poster. You know, usually you can unroll them with ease, the, the edges stay nice, uh, the folds go away for the most part, so there's a lot of benefit to doing it. I guess the question just comes down to, is it worthwhile for something that doesn't really need it from a restoration or preservation standpoint at, at this point in time? Yeah, you, you bring up some really interesting points. One of the things I'm greatly concerned about and working on at the moment is sort of um, keeping my paper items safe. Uh, obviously, some paper items, you know, even things like proof cards and things like that, of enormous value, yet they're quite fragile towards things like you know um, sunlight or moisture or things like that. What kind of uh, tips do you have to keep you know paper items from not yellowing or, or you know uh, basically turning into dust? Um, well, yeah, keep them out of the light. That's one thing. And if you are going to display them uh, in frames, make sure you get you know an archival frame that's got UV protection on the uh, plexiglass. Right. Uh, so that's that's that number one. Keep those things out of the light. Uh, number two, obviously, you need to put it in some kind of sleeve. You know, for a proof card, usually you can get those rigid sleeves. You put it inside a comic, a, a flexible comic sleeve, and then put that inside of the rigid one. That's usually a good way to go for proof cards, unless you want to do a acrylic case or something more expensive. Um, for larger items, you may have seen on the uh, archive blog one of the earlier posts I did was a post about um, preserving store displays and similar items, larger items. And for that, I recommend, yeah, first, Bags Unlimited is, is something you could, if you Google Bags Unlimited, you'll find uh, it's a good source. At least if you're in the U.S., it's a good source for, for archival uh, collecting materials. There may be a U.K. equivalent, too. But they sell um, mylar, clear mylar, which is a polyester material, that is archival and used by the Library of Congress for archival purposes. They sell it by the rolls, so you can buy rolls of that stuff and you can get some acid-free foam core and cut the foam core to, say, your store display 
and if you look at that blog post, I, I kind of tell you how you can seal those things up on a piece of foam core with, with mylar to make them uh, kind of protected from edge dings, surface dings, and also have them be viewable. And as long as you do that, for a while I had a bunch of stuff like that leaned up against the wall in my collecting room. Now I have them in flat files, so you can pull the flat file out, flat file out and take out the foam core um, protected items. Uh, but that's a great way to keep store displays and whatnot. Um, you know, regular paper stuff too works in binders with acid-free uh, pages. You know, clear pages. You know, that, that's always a good option as well. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm really struggling with. As you'll know, some of the shop displays are massive, and it's mm-hmm. it's proven to the point where some of them are so large, it's almost the value of the frame to actually display them is as much as the you know the collectible I'm actually uh, displaying. So it seems yeah. To be- quite expensive to actually display some of these things, especially a lot of the bigger ones. Yeah, the, the store displays, to display them like that, I would really recommend that foam core option I, I, I just talked about. Although, if you want to put them on the wall and hang them, you know, it, it gets a little bit harder. Uh, you can always figure out a way to hang that piece of foam core with either a hanger on the back of it or something like that. You know, but once you get into framing, you know, you start to hit the real expensive stuff. There is, there is a... um. I did another blog post on cheap framing options, and one good option for large items, again, at least in the States, I think it's called Spotlight Displays, and they make larger frames, which, you know, they claim they're archival, and they're far cheaper than you could, and you can get a really huge size frame for $150, whereas if you're going to buy a giant frame from most other people, it's going to be closer to 500 plus. Yeah. And then you get the shipping fees and everything, so it becomes a nightmare. But I've found for at least posters that Spotlight Displays works really well for large size posters. You know, store displays being bulkier is going to be a harder option for a frame. Um, you You can always take it to someone who does archival framing and just lay out the money, but you're right that if it's a big item, you're going to be paying a lot of money. Ron, I think it's one of the, your posts actually on the Star Wars Collectors Archive that I found really interesting where you had the 1977 Factors standees mm-hmm. um, and they were probably brought over by Kenner uh, to help advertise the action figures. Obviously, Kenner was underprepared for the uh, the amount of, well, the, the sheer demand of kids wanting to buy these toys. I've actually just picked up uh, a couple of days ago, well, 14 days ago, a C-3PO, R2-D2 and Darth Vader factors displays. Mm-hmm. The, I, these have the Kenner sticker added to them, but is that is that for all the displays, or could we say that some of the factors displays could have been used without the Kenner sticker? That's a good question. Um, I have, through a friend, and these aren't really things that have been publicly shared, but you know, I have quite an archive of original store photos, you know, used, you know, the Kenner had photos sent back to them of their, their displays and the toys in the stores in the 80s and the 70s. And in the 70s photos, there's quite a few of those factor standees, um, and not all of them appear to have the stickers. So my guess is that not all of the ones that Kenner sent to stores had stickers on them, but some of them certainly did, uh, as you can see on that archive post. And, and the, the whole factor story is an interesting one. I was trying to, I was talking to Todd Chamberlain about the time I posted that archive entry about where we first heard about the factors displays being used by Kenner, and neither of us could actually remember 
exactly where that story came from. I thought it may have been in Steve's book, but it's not in there. Someone at Kenner must have told us that, or maybe even someone at Factors, because we visited the, the Factors place years and years ago, and someone had told us, yeah, you know, early on, Kenner you know, bought a bunch of these to use as store display material, which was, whoa, okay, and that's interesting, but I didn't know about the stickers, and then at some employee's house in his basement, we were buying stuff out of this guy's basement for a number of years, he had several of those factors displays folded up, and then sure enough, they had Kenner stickers on them, um, and that was kind of the first time I think we found some of those, and it was like, oh, geez, you know, and he didn't, he was like, oh, yeah, look at the Kenner stickers, and then some others turned up through other sources, so I'm positive that ones with stickers were sent out. My guess is probably also that some did not have stickers. You know, what got sent out is probably just depending on what who was boxing them up, you know, whether they had stickers on hand at the time, um, you know, how much of a rush they were in. So I bet some were used in toy stores that did not have stickers. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think a lot of collectors overlook these as possible Kenner displays. Yeah, of course the problem is if you have a if you have a seventy seven issue one, it may have been used in a toy store, but you have no way of knowing without the sticker, you know. So I, that's always one of those dicey yeah. things. Certainly, it's a fascinating story that some of the earliest Kenner's store displays were just rebranded Factors uh, commercial material, and that's something I never would have guessed without being told about it. Well, you know, uh, maybe you could clear some of this up for me. I'm always surprised that uh, there seems to be, you know. Um, depending on the display, like a lot of the early displays, like some of the uh, the bin headers and some of the bell displays, there seems to be quite a lot of them. And then in other parts of the uh, kind of store display collecting, there seems to be hardly any examples. Why do you think that there's so many of, of some? Is it just that there's been large job lots found? Um, yeah, I think it's dependent on what was left behind and what was found. Um, you know, Some of these rare displays, all it takes is a find, and all of a sudden they're not super rare anymore. Um, because the, the display market is not super deep. I mean, it, there's more people now looking for those than there were two years ago, but really rarity is a, is a function of, you know, or at least the perception of rarity of how many people are looking for one and can't find one. Um, and really, as funny as it is to say, there's, except for now maybe, like, you know, again, three or four years ago, there were not many people looking for, say, a, a get a free Boba Fett hanger. That just wasn't there. Maybe there was one or two people who were really looking for one. Um, nowadays, there's more, but then there's been some finds of those that have kind of helped fill some of the demand. Uh, but yeah, I think what's out there is mostly due to what has been found and what happened to survive for whatever random reason. Also, some I think were just not made in that many huge numbers. You may have saw that that blog post about display numbers um, that that I did couple months ago um, and on, on that material like some of that stuff like the 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 demonstration for the electronic game I think they only made like 50 or 70 of those right um, so that's if they only made 50 you know it tells you why there's only one that's still out there because that's a super low number whereas some of these other things they made thousands you know for sure. I mean, um, at the beginning of our interview with you, I no noted that you highlighted the uh, Power of the Force uh, display bin. Is that yeah, the that's one, the, is that the one with the, uh, the action figures collect the more coin offer uh, as the header card? Yeah, it's a, um, a pre-pack display is what it's called. Uh, so in, in 85, 
you could order from Kenner a, it's called a pre-packed display. It would have been an assortment of Power of the Force figures that came pre-packed with the display. So you just have to open the box and the figures and the, and the, the display are right there. You just set it up. Um, so that was the 85 pre-pack. And, and there's a few of those around. It's just for whatever reason I never got, ended up with that one. Um, you know, the other one I really want is the 21 figure long header, which, um, there's only a couple of those known right now. Uh, so, I mean, it, those are things that you'll never think you'll get them, and it's like, well, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Um, but there's enough of those displays out there I never thought I'd get that I actually ended up getting at some point. So, you know, never say never. The, the Power of the Force one with the action figure coin header, did you see the ones that went for sale on um, eBay a couple of years ago? And what they had was multiple, many displays, and it was like a drop-down menu on eBay? Yeah, I did. I saw that like a, a few hours after it ended, and I, yeah. I think I Todd Chamberlain. I'm like, did you see this? It was a uh, Power of the Force display, and it ended for like nothing, you know. And I don't know. I never heard what happened to that particular one, but who knows? I I just missed it as well because I clicked on it, and I think that Power of the Force had it went for about thirty dollars or something. <laughs> it was something insane like that, yeah. You know, but obviously it would it, it was gone. But uh, yeah, that was an insane buy. Yeah, you know, I, I'd be happy to pay much more than that. Uh, it's just, you know, like I said, it's some of this stuff. You know, this year I was lucky enough to get a display I really wanted and I never thought I'd get. So you just, you know, you stay in it long enough and things work out your way here and there. You never know. I'm just going through some of the um, some of the store displays on the archive. There's a, I love the little shelf wobbler of the three new figures. Right. Yeah. I take it so. That would have been a promotional when the Tuscan Raider, Death Squad Commander, and the Jaw were coming out. But the Jaw was in a cloth cape. You would have mm-hmm. thought that would have been in the plastic cape. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The whole Jawa cape thing is an interesting discussion topic. I don't even know. I mean, I know what pretty much happened, but it's, it's funny to think about. Um, but on the Wobbler itself, yeah, if you look at that blog post they did on the display numbers, I want to say there was quite a, a large number of those made. And Kenner actually shipped, you know, tens of thousands with the, the first assortments of um, the first 12 that included the, the last three figures, so Jawa, Tuscan Raider, and Death Squad Commander. So they just – it was in an envelope, and they just threw that piece into the, the, the shipping box with the, the figures. So when you opened it up, you just got like, oh, here's here's a wobbler. I'll put that out to advertise that this, this, this display includes the three new figures. And I think they also just did direct mail on some of those things. I think you didn't have to order that one. I think Kenner just sent that out. Uh, but as far as the cape goes, you know, I, I don't know if you followed the, the archive post where I, I talked about Ross Cuddy's change notice on the, the, the cloth cape um, with the Jawa, but or the vinyl cape, I should say. But the Jawa, the earliest prototypes have a cloth cape, you know, that, that was notoriously done with a sock. Um, and then when Bill Lemon was, Bill Lemon's the guy who sculpted that figure, when they sculpted the Jawa, the, the cape was just sculpted in, so it didn't have a separate cape. It was it was all sculpted in, in detail. So the, it appears that the Jawa was not intended to have a cape at all, cloth or vinyl. And then there was a decision to give it a vinyl cape to make it look a little bit more expensive in the bubble. And then I've never seen a piece of paperwork for this, but they made a decision from there to get rid of the vinyl cape to give it a cloth cape Probably because the I mean the vinyl one looks a little junky, and I think that might be in in Steve Sansweet's book. Um, and so 
that was a pretty quick changeover from, from no cape to vinyl cape to cloth cape. You know, on the, the 12 back, collect all 12 bell sign, the Jawa has a cape, a, a vinyl cape. And then by the time the Wobbler came out, there was the cloth cape. I think that what, what that tells you is that the initial assortments of the Jawa, the decision had already been made to change to a cloth cape, which tells you why the vinyl cape Jawa is so tough to find. It also explains why, if you talk to original collectors, some of them will tell you, well, I bought these things when they came out and I never saw a vinyl cape Jawa, because I think that's about as rare. You know, it's like the, the telescoping figures on card in certain ways. It's not as rare as those, but the initial assortments, it's not like they all had telescoping sabers or they all had vinyl capes. I think there was a portion that had the, the rarer variants, and that the rest of them had the later ones. So I think that cloth cape shipped probably almost simultaneously with the vinyl cape in a lot of instances, would be my guess anyway, um, or at least right behind it. So I think it was really quick. Uh, Ron, in relation to sort of like, you know, um, sort of rarities and stuff like that, I mean, you've been collecting for over 20 years. What kind of evolution have you seen in the collecting community, you know, in regards to things like, uh, you know, the changes and you know the effects of the internet there's a lot more collectors in now than there seemed to be you know 10 20 years ago um what really stands out to you is it sort of like the evolution of the hobby wow yeah there's a i talk about this quite a bit when you know we have old friends over and stuff the way things have changed um early in the hobby i would say almost everybody was most people didn't even focus on like kenner or toys you know if you collected star wars you were collecting a broad base of stuff, you know, from the, the comics to the cards to the posters. So to find someone who was just a hardcore toy collector wasn't unusual, but it was it was definitely more of a focus than a lot of people had. Um, and if you were collecting toys, you were pretty much collecting toys. I mean, most people were trying to get all the, the stuff, you know. In action figure collecting, most people wanted, they were looking to get carded figures, every figure on card, and the big thing to do is to find one without an offer, you know. So you wanted to find every card, every figure on a card without a, an offer to to get in the way of the card art. That was kind of the normal thing to do. Um, nobody, just about nobody, collected characters, and nobody was really big into variations unless you're talking about the, you know, blonde hair Luke versus brown hair Luke. Uh, and you know, it started to really change in maybe early 2000s or late 90s when the character collecting thing started which was seemed weird to me then it's still I'm still amazed that we're still going with the character collecting is I just kind of was that totally changed how people bought things like it seemed like everybody had to have a character all of a sudden which was interesting um the first guy I remember doing that was maybe John Wooten was into the stormtrooper and Chris Fawcett was buying the Han Hoth stuff but that I mean it that's still going, and it's almost 20 years later. You know, it's that's pretty interesting. Um, variations, especially the loose figure variation stuff, is like another thing I never saw coming, and I still sort of don't even understand sometimes. Um, but the the amount of scrutiny that people have, that the loose collectors have placed on the finding little differences on these figures is interesting and I'm amazed and, and sort of impressed when I see the list that they come up with because that's not something I ever looked at when I was interested in loose figures or and I still kind of look at it and I'm like I don't know why anyone would 
devote themselves to, to doing this. But it, hey, if people like it, then more power to them. But that changed things quite a bit. Obviously, grading, you know, when that came in, that was a huge change. Um, you know, but ultimately, the big thing that's changed to me is the, the the level of focus. You know, now people are so focused on just I don't just collect toys. It's action figures, and it's not just action figures. It's this specific action figure, and then it's not just this specific action figure, but I want ones from this country, and then I want this one, this back, and it's like the level of scrutiny is is amazing, you know. And you know, people didn't collect foreign stuff, or I should say, non-U.S. stuff when I was into it. Like that was considered not worth really pursuing. It was like, why would I buy this one and get the Kenner one? Um, so that's another big change. You know, people are interested in in finding variations from every country. Um, so, but that's again, it's a subset of what I'm talking about, about increasing levels of focus. So I would say that that's the biggest, biggest thing that's changed is that people have gotten more and more focused on specific little things. And uh, I think a lot of that's because of the price too. You know, everything's too expensive. You can't buy everything. So they try to whittle it down to something that they can deal with. You know, some really good points there. But how do you how do you feel? I mean, there's a lot of guys, especially in the Star Wars Collectors Archive, who have trailblazed this hobby. Now there's such an influx of new collectors. Do you ever feel that, um, you know, we've always referenced the Star Wars Collectors Archive a lot, so we always sort of stand on the shoulders of, uh, you know, people who have trailblazed the hobby. Does it ever yeah. sort of rub you up the wrong way that there's all of a sudden there's so much interest in stuff that only a small minority were interested in before and that would greatly affect the, the sort of prices that we're looking at? Um, no, I wouldn't say it rubs me the wrong way. I, I'm, I'm amazed by it. Um, I'm also sort of, for lack of a better word, sometimes bored by what collectors are collecting, which is just, I guess that's my problem more than anybody else's problem. So I'll make jokes about it, you know, hopefully not not really mean-spirited jokes, but I'll make jokes about it in blog posts and stuff. Like, I don't understand when I see collectors and they're all collecting sort of the same way and it's like well okay this guy collects Gamorrean Guard and then this guy collects Klaatu and their collections to me it's like oh I have a hundred thousand loose Klaatus and then I have a bunch of carded Klaatus <laughs> that are similar but they're slightly different and I'm like you know I mean I totally respect that if that's what you like but personally I'm like I just there's not much to me there's not much for me to get interested in here. I've seen a hundred collections like this. Um, so I often am amazed that people don't branch out into other things just because I like novelty. I guess I expect other people to like novelty, but that's kind of, again, my hang up. Right. Um, why are people not more interested in Japanese toys? You know, I see like there's, there's not that many people who collected the car stuff. I think because it's not, figural it doesn't tie into the regular figure line that way so it's like a lot of people just ignore that stuff or i did a i'm doing a series now on model kits because i think that's a pretty fun line but pretty much nobody collects the model kits yeah um you just don't you know kevin lentz is a guy i had i asked him to do a blog post and he collects read-along storybooks and, and recordings and stuff and i saw his collection i thought it was awesome i'd never seen that before he had a bunch of stuff that i didn't even know existed and to me, that's the point of a collection is to sort of collate and, and put together all these things that maybe you have found. You know, this is I have blazed this trail and nobody knows about this particular read along from France except for me. And when I see a collection like that, it's like that's always really interesting to me. And I'll stop and look at it and, and like email the guy and be like, hey, this is really cool. I never knew that existed. 
the stuff with like the same, you know, I call them the Andy Warhol collections because it's just like the Warhol prints are like the same print with different colors. It's like, here's my 800 collections. And you're just like, oh, well, that's nice. You know, it seems like a nice guy. But I just, to me, at, at this point in time, like to me, I just kind of, I've grown tired of seeing that same thing over and over again. But, you know, again, that's my hang up more than anybody else's. One of the major impacts, especially recently, is the impact on prices. I mean, I, if you're going back and looking at some of the proof prices, even just four or five years ago, but especially going back to the uh, Steve Danley, not Steve Danley, um, what's the gentleman? Denny? Steve Danley. His, yeah. uh, the price list from Celebration 2, and then a lot of those proof cards have multiplied like 300% in value. Oh, but, yeah. Do you ever find any of this concerning at all, or do you think it's a bubble? Um, is it a bubble? I don't know if it's a bubble at this point. I mean, proof cards have gone up consistently in value probably since that time. Um, I wouldn't say it concerns me. It's another thing that I look at and I, I sort of just don't get it that much. Um, I just not proof cards are sort of like first shots to me. Like it's kind of they're pretty similar to production. Um, they're nice. I could see buying them for low prices. I personally would not spend a lot of money on stuff like that. Um, but the flip side of that is that they're available and it's probably one of the few pre-production things that a lot of people are, have access to. And so they end up paying a lot of money for them because that's what the market is. And the market's that way, I think, because just what I said about the character collecting, you know, you have people who are out there and they're trying to get all of the low grades or whatever, you know, and the proof cards tie right into that. So if you're, that's what your collection is, and that's all you're really buying. Yeah, I mean, what what are you gonna find that's better than uh, a rare, you know, one or two of a kind proof card for that character? And so it ends up they drop a lot of money on it. Um, I again, I I bought some proof cards from Steve Denny back in the day for two hundred to three hundred dollars a piece, and I thought that was a lot. And then I sold them for six or seven hundred, and I thought that was a ton. Now they're going for way, way more than that, and I would never – I'm just not that interested and probably would not ever pay that much unless it was something that was never made. You know, I could see Power of the Force ones that were never released or, or stuff like that, but just for regular proof cards, it's kind of not my thing. Uh, cheers, mate. Cheers. Ron, can I just ask about um, the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog now? Because sure. – um, I understand, and I think you possibly answered some of this already, um, but what is your expectation of the blog? Um, what, why did you set it up, and what did you expect to get out of it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think from the start, at least when I was working on the archive, there was I always wanted to have more articles, uh, you know, things rather than just little entries, but like articles that gave things context and tied stuff together. So the first outlet we had for that was called the special feature which was like a semi-regular um post that was in its own little gallery and sort of tied stuff together into articles or charts and things like that and a lot of those are some of the things that really had a lot of influence for lack of a better word on the hobby because i think it really gave people an idea of what was out there in certain venues of collecting so i mean a good one is i think maybe sky and steve mentioned a while back the um the, the feature on there about catalog mailers. So I think that had the first chart that I put together of all of the serial numbers or the, 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 the stock numbers from the various department stores and what each catalog included 
Um, and that was the first time anyone really ever saw something like that that was just all put together like that, you know, before even the John Kellerman book. So there was stuff like that on there. Um, but it was hard to do, and it was, you know, doing the HTML was a pain, and it still is. Um, so the blog is really, I think, a better outlet for that kind of content. Um, and it was Sky Payne who really was the, the, the force behind that. You know, he wanted to have a blog, and, you know, I, I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. It sounds like a lot of work. Um, but, you know, he, he, he helped put it together. His brother, uh, Barth, helped put it together. And Steve does a great job with, with keeping it updated and posting all the stuff and, and, I think the articles on there have been pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. Of course, we post a lot of stuff that you think is going to be like, oh, this people are going to have a good reaction to this, and then it seems like there's not much of a reaction. But it's always that way. Uh, you can never really gauge what people will respond to. I have to thank you guys for regularly mentioning it. You know, I'm very, I was very happy to hear that. Um, so that's been a big plus. Uh, it gets some traction on Facebook, but not that much. I think. A lot of people, if it's not just a picture, they don't really look at it. You know, if they have to click on it and actually read something, it's just not as immediate. So, or maybe they think they'll come back to it later and then they don't. Um, but I guess the ultimate purpose of it is to give people a more contextual look at, at certain areas of the hobby and to post news stories, trends, things like that. And, you know, I think it's been real great. You know, it's probably exceeded my expectations. Yeah, it's probably my favourite website at this moment. Whenever I see a new update, um, it's usually stuff I've never seen before, but you always go beyond the pictures, which is what I like about it. I like hearing about the stories, the detail behind it. Um, when I look at a piece of artwork, some guys will look at the artwork, but I look at the pencil marks around the side and I look at the annotations and stuff. And I've got to say, I think it's absolutely fantastic and it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Well, I appreciate that. You know, thanks a lot. I'm glad you've gotten something out of it. Um, as far as the going behind the, the picture thing, I think that's kind of the brand, for lack of a better word, for the, the archive stuff. I think that's why people still remember certain things we posted years ago um, and why it's had an impact as far as terminology and stuff. You know, People come up to me um, I've never met, and they're like, hell, that, that thing you posted in, in 1999 about this or that, you know, that, that really made an impact on me. And it's like, heck, I don't even remember writing that. But I don't think... And that's a rare thing for someone who writes stuff on the internet is to have people come up years later and say they remember this or that. Or to have words that you use. Like I've thrown out just – I didn't know what to call something, so I just put gave it a title that I thought was accurate. And then five years later, people are using this name that I made up that really maybe I should have thought harder about, but they're using it as like this like technical term. <laughs> No, that's not. Nobody, nobody came up with that except for me. I just threw that out there, and now people are using it as though it's like a, a technical thing, you know. So I have definitely experienced the influence of it over the years. So even on the one hand, where you complain, oh, nobody's reading this. Like I spent all this time, and it seems like I got no reaction. On the other hand, cumulatively over time, I know for sure there's been influence from the website, which is interesting. I've got some questions about the the Star Wars Collectors Archive itself. Is there um, how how frequently is it updated, and are there any plans, future plans for expansion or or anything like that? And also, you know, can or do other collectors get involved with it outside of the of the necklace of the people that that sort of look after and maintain the Collectors Archive? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the website itself is a hodgepodge at this point. You know, it 
it was all hand done, and then you know Gus had good foresight on it and wanted to change it to a database, which was the right thing. But I don't know if it ever fully got changed to that format. So right now it's it is what it is. It's kind of like this organic thing with lots of weird little sections, and sometimes it's hard to access. But I don't know if that's ever going to be smoothed out or changed. Um, I we're also pretty bad, you know. I admit to making additions. Um, a lot of stuff, and I hate to say it, people send me stuff to add, and it's like, oh, this is just not that interesting, or I don't have, I don't have anything to say about this, and it kind of just languishes. Um, so we're bad at that. We probably should update the regular database more often. Um, but as far as people making contributions, you know, I would love more articles uh, on interesting topics for the blog. You know, if someone is collecting something, like like I mentioned, Kevin Lentz's read along article is a great example um, you know something that hasn't been looked at too hard and, and they want to do something throw together an article like I, I would love that um, just probably send me an email or something beforehand so you don't kill yourself working on something that won't be usable um, you know Yehuda Kleinman has done some stuff too that's been really interesting you know about like Mardi Gras stuff which I, I didn't know anything about before he wrote that um, so yeah I think we're happy to uh, take Suggestions or articles from people who are willing to do them. Uh, you know, as far as new additions to the site goes, I mean, I don't, you know, it's Gus's site ultimately. I don't really, we haven't really talked about doing anything new, but I guess it's not impossible that we could have new stuff. You know, but right now the blog is kind of where most of the new stuff is coming out, and we're still doing some entries. Like I have some entries to add for the database that's part of the regular site coming up. So I, mean, I think we're still moving on those two different fronts. Oh, and uh, are we still allowed to interview you guys about the uh, about the blog? Or, or... I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Are we still allowed to interview you guys about the blog, or, or, or do we have to wait for the Kivecast first? No, I'm happy you guys are talking about. <laughs> I'm happy about that. I, I think Sky Sky just wanted to make sure that he was getting out uh, interviews. I think he had to rework his format to make sure he got interviews about stuff out before everybody else did because I mean it is our, our official podcast so I, I think probably those guys if they want to talk about something it, it, it's only right that they have first chop at it you know what I mean but yeah. um, I, I certainly appreciate the uh, attention you've given us I think it's been awesome um, I appreciate you talking about it. it seems like almost every show you mention it so it's great I appreciate it yeah I'm only I'm only teasing them uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna get a uh, shoe around the back of the head from Sky celebration, but <laughs> I, I think he loves you guys. I, I think that his comment about the the Ewok stuff was more. He is annoyed that we don't have a better format worked out to get stuff on there quicker. So that this his doing little podcasts just about different posts is probably his solution to that. So that should work out fine. You know, and the Ewoks one we do is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good, really good idea. It's it's nice to have more content as well. I think. Yeah, you know, provided it's not too much extra work for those guys. Talking of the Ewok article, that's the most recent article on the Collector's Archive. And we won't delve too much into it because you have gone through it with Sky. Yeah, but sure, we can answer questions on it if you have some. I was wondering if you could give us an overview of what that post was. Um, it was, uh, if you saw it, well, assuming you didn't see it if you're listening to this, but it, it's basically a story about um, about four characters that were developed or partially developed for the Ewoks line of figures that were never released and that really don't exist except in one-of-a-kind 
early sculpts, right? So um, nobody really knew about them unless you went to the owners' houses because it was never something that was published. So I just thought, hey, let's let's do a, a post just bringing these together because it'd be a good, you know, a, a good story. I think people would be interested in seeing it. So uh, there's a, a, a Tebow, a Latara, a Nisa, and a character called Kank. And um, these were developed early in the line for Ewoks, apparently, and then never completed. So it's just a kind of ties that together and gives a story about it. Um, but you could see it on our blog if you if you go there. One, we talk about Kenna quite a lot, and we talk about Kenna um, and ex-employees and things. Do the employees from places like Nirvana, is it Nelvana? Uh, Nelvana, yeah, was the yeah. animation company. Do do the ex employees of Nelvana still have um, you know items that may be of interest? And have you visited? I think they, are they based in Toronto? Have you been to Toronto and talked to ex employees around that area to see what I, their relationship with Kenna was like and how how they produced these um, items from the film cells that they had available? I have not um, really, but I know that Shane Turgeon, the the, the Canadian collector, did a lot of stuff on Nelvana back in the day. Um, and if you ever want to hear about the backstory of all that, you might want to have Shane come on. That would actually be a pretty good interview, I bet. But I've never talked to anyone directly from Nelvana. I'm just going to ask one. You've been collecting for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. You've been there. You've seen it. You've done it. You've seen escalating prices. You've seen virtually everything there is to see. What keeps Ron Salvatore still interested in the hobby? <laughs> That's a good question. I ask myself that same question pretty frequently. Um, one, I know great, like lots of great people. You know, a lot of my great friends are, are in the hobby, and so it's uh, the hobby is a great medium to, to keep those friendships going. Not that it necessarily needs that, but it helps. Um, another thing is, I think for me at least, collecting is self-perpetuating. So the more you have, I mean, I, I consider collections to be sort of you know, groups of items that sort of demonstrate a knowledge or a history of, of a topic. And, you know, at this point, my collection is a nice little history of Kenner's association with Star Wars that has a, a bunch of different material. And, you know, it, it makes me happy to go up in my collecting room and uh, happy is maybe the wrong word. There's a satisfaction to, to going up in my collecting room and seeing it all laid out like my own little personal museum and, and know that, hey, the stories behind all the items and how it all ties together. And so there's an extension of my personality there. Um, there's a, you know, a, a history of my, you know, my, my association with the hobby there that is just kind of keeps it going, you know, and every time I add something new or, or feel like I, I'm missing this or that piece that needs to be there, that is kind of fuel for staying involved. Um, and I guess that's what, that, that ties in sort of to my comments earlier about, not understanding necessarily the way some people collect because, you know, to me it's trying to, to I'm always looking for the a broad in to stuff. You know, I, I want it to have a base, the collection to have a base and have and have everything relate to each each other piece. Whereas I feel like a lot of other folks it's more I'm gonna get in and do this one tiny little thing, this one little corner of it, which is fine and great, but at the same time it's just I don't relate to that so much of it. Um uh, so that keeps me going. Um, what else? Yeah, I, I think adult men in general need a hobby. I don't know what else I would do with myself if I didn't have my hobbies. You know, 
So there's that. You know, it's something I, I enjoy doing. I spend a little bit of every day on eBay or something or talking to a collector or this and that. And so that's fun about it, too. I uh, never really thought about the money all that much. That doesn't really keep me going. Uh, so I guess it's the collection itself, the friends, and uh, just wanting to not be bored. Do you have a red ball or five? <laughs> I, I may. <laughs> I'm just teasing there, Ron. I know, I know exactly what you're seeing there. <laughs> Mr. Gullius sell one of those things and didn't even realize it was a red bar one until after or something. You know, yeah, that's one of those pieces. Like I, I saw that someone mentioned it to me. I like, never even heard of that. Like how could I not have missed on missed out on that one? But yeah, there's a new variation seemingly every month that I've never heard of. So, Ron, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quite interested in this last question. The question we always ask all our guests: if we were having to move away and there was only room for you to take one piece of your collection, what are you taking and why? Okay, so if I had to take one piece, jeez, I don't know. I wish I could find a clever answer for you, but I mean, first of all, I would find my box of childhood figures, and then I would just throw them out the window, <laughs> and then I'd, I'd go find the really good stuff, like uh, probably a sculpt or something like that, and, and take that. You know, I'd probably the best things I have, uh, the Leia acetate sculpt that I, I had a while back. I mentioned a while back is probably something I'd take. It's hard, always hard to answer that one. If I had to take one piece, I would really no longer have a Star Wars collection, so I'm not even sure it would matter to have one thing. Um, so at that point, you're just choosing whatever is the most valuable or special. Uh, but having one item, I'm not sure would really... I'd probably get rid of it. I don't know what the point is of having just one thing, so that would be a tough one. Fair enough. Just out of interest, as a child, what was your first ever Star Wars item? I don't know. The two things I remember getting really young... Um, were an R2-D2 figure. That's the first figure I had. I know that. Um, and But I also probably possibly... I think earlier than that, I had the story of Star Wars picture disc record that my mother bought me. And I must have been like three years old or something. I, I was really young. But I do remember getting that. I think... I don't think I have it anymore. I had it at some point. I probably got rid of it. I don't, I'm not that nostalgic about childhood stuff that's why I made the comment about finding the childhood figures and chucking them out the window because pretty much everyone always mentions like my, my best things are my childhood figures like I don't really care that much about that aspect of it I think I sold most of mine um just I guess I'm not that attached to those in and of themselves but I think I still do have that R2 it's beaten up but I think I still have my first R2 wonderful well Ron we could sit here and talk to you about any aspect you have so much knowledge so I'm sure we will have you on several times again in the future. All right, man. Well, whenever you guys want, I'll be around. Thank you ever so much for everything you do in the community, your posts on SWCA, some of the most interesting stuff we read. Well, thanks. Thank you ever so much for taking your time with us tonight as well. And well, I'm glad you guys got something out of it, and uh, keep up the great work on the podcast. And again, I appreciate you always uh, giving us a plug. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you very much, Ron. Rebelling in stormtroopers
your stuff up. Rebels are rebelling and stormtroopers are stormtrooping. What do you do when the fate of the galaxy depends on you? What do you do when the Emperor and Darth Vader tell you what to do? You take your blaster, then you blast off in your fastest ship tonight! Cause rebels are rebelling and stormtroopers are stormtrooping. They blow stuff up, then blow more stuff up. Rebels are rebelling and stormtroopers are stormtrooping. The rebels are rebelling and stormtroopers are stormtrooping. They blow stuff up, then blow more stuff up. Rebels are rebelling and stormtroopers. Right, let's get this uh, NA done. Brilliant. Sorry, Jez, I was actually saying it like that. I was reading one of the points while I was talking. Um, right. Um, right, now let's go over to Jezzy for this month's newest acquisitions. post-Christmas, it's post-Father's From, there's all these things being shown and listed on Facebook groups and on Star Wars Forum UK, but I did make a vow a few months ago that I'm always going to start with our spiritual home, the home of where all the information is, and that's Star Wars Forum UK. So let's go straight to page 2030, and it was Poncho. Poncho's bought this complete beta Tebow for £10 mint on card. A real bargain. £10, Mark. Now, this thing has been around the ringer for sure. Yeah, it's it's knackered, it's got a crack, it's creased all over. But this is a still sealed Tebow with his hat still on for 10 bucks. Now, you guys, I'm pretty sure you've all seen this. Yeah, I think it just shows that um, mock collecting shouldn't always be about buying those mocks or shiny in, 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 a, in, a, in a case. It's still a mint on card figure in my book. Um, just because it's got a few creases on means nothing. But, I mean, 10 quid, I mean, that figure, um, I believe, I believe it's a 70B, I would imagine. It's not, a, I, it could be a 70C, a bit rarer, but if it's 70B, then that normally, the, the kind of lowest price that is around about 20 quid um, for, you know, the odd one um it averages about 42 and people paying up to 100 pounds for that for that figure but it's oh i mean that says it all that that's been through the the mill hasn't it that's been through shops that's been in a box that's been in someone's bag that's gone everywhere and it still survived looks like it's been through the washing for sure but the fact that it's gone into poncho's collection as well oh. i'm delighted on this for so many reasons because it it does give the the v's to the whole collecting thing about you know prices just going crazy and oh you can't get a decent uh, purchase anymore i've got a suspicion this was on ebay and again it, it shows the whole no there are bargains to be had there and more on that later on in this na 
But it's fantastic because, as you know, Poncho has got this collection of beta mint on cards, which to him are royalty, uh, and they're they're absolutely fantastic. This would have been a prime candidate to to get sent off to be U graded, and he's saved it. And this is going in Poncho's collection, and it's just another one which is which has been saved from that from that pretty um, awful thing. You don't. You don't see that many of those. I mean, the, the figures on Star Trek, it seems to be like about, average about one a month, one of these might turn up. So they're not exactly like, you know, common common or garden figures on that particular card, but on the Tri-Logo. So, you know, it is, uh, it is actually a, a, a reasonably rarish figure. So. Well, brilliant. I dare say that some people have spent that much on a loose figure. So, um, yeah, just a quick one to start us off with. Yeah. I saw more, that more and that. I thought, what a great start to 2017. So good on you, Poncho, page 2030. Right. Let's move on to number two. Go on in. <laughs> He's having a number two. You just told <laughs> So, went on. There's a couple of things which I wanted to see here. Um, and it brings us on to footwear. Now, I'm not sure if we've actually covered this much before in the past. And I'm, I'm going to go straight to my um, second and third items because there were two items posted within a short space of time. The first one was Pulsar P on page... 2031 of Star Wars from UK and it was Hooch a little bit later on actually on 2048 Stride writes Stuart why is it that these caught your attention? Well I think when when you talk about vintage Star Wars shows I always think of just Clarks being the main production people for it Yeah, and then so to see Stride write I didn't know too much about them so I, I contacted Hooch about them and they were only available in the US. And they had the uh, Star Wars license from Return of the Jedi. But some of the designs on the shoes... I'll get into them in a minute, Jez, because I know you want to talk about the other one first. But, yeah, I think it was just the fact that there was a different company making the shoes to start with. Yeah, um, but the crazy thing is this company's still in existence and yeah. still making Star Wars shoes. Did you so, did you look at the Star Wars shoes, Jez? Yeah. Have you... The current one's out. Have you seen them? They've got Jedi written down the side with a lightsaber going through the word. And every time you walk, the lightsaber glows green. Love it. <laughs> but, oh, hang on, hang on. For adults? They only make children's shoes, mate. 1919 oh. they started, and they are purely a children's shoe company. Someone pass me a hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to hopling himself. And then <laughs> <laughs> Cut his toes off. <laughs> Says that'd be good for your marathon, man. <laughs> yeah that's right mm. but guys stride rides so as a company they had a license back then and they've still got a license now what what other companies have we got many companies who did merchandise and i'm not talking about things like drinks and, and stuff like that but actually oral oral b they still got a license now probably i don't, I don't think I, they I, have I, actually i don't think they have i think the toothbrush is a strange one now isn't it um Clarks have still got Star Wars shoes. Have they? But did they have Star yeah. Wars shoes back in the day? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. They had a massive range, yeah. 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 Couldn't afford Star Wars. Most of the shoes seem to be made by either, um, what's the name of this company? Stride Right. I'm never going to get that. Stride Right or, or Clark. Stride Right actually did loads of other stuff like uh, slippers and boots. That's right. Uh, the, you know the shoelaces you picked up uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jazz? Yeah. Yeah, same company. Yeah, the sandals and all sorts, haven't they? Yeah, don't know. Yeah, that. and it's uh, <laughs> what, what I find is unusual, but you don't find I, I can't think of any other vintage packaging, but they use the um, the medical frigate as part part of their packaging. 
I'm sure Stu is going to come onto the packaging in a minute because that's... Oh, sorry, Stu. Sorry, Stu. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a great point because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the packaging, the box and this and the other, but the fact that you've pointed out, yeah, has that been involved in it in any other packaging is, is, is a fair point, which, dare say, I don't know if Stu would have pointed out. I had I did have the shoelaces and stuff down here, yeah. You're right, actually. You listed all of the items I could find by Stride, right, apart from a plastic shoe bag, which yeah. are really hard to come by. Yeah. And in fact, when you go onto eBay and have a good search, you can still get the plastic. Uh, as of uh, two nights ago, they had. This is where um, Grant, we know, is now going to leave us, as he's going to go off and have a little look, because they've got some store display stuff for the Stride rights and the Stride Rights poly bag, very much like the Palatoy bag, which was recently um, listed and, and sold in Vectis. So uh, Stride Rights, yeah, still loads of stuff, relatively readily available. But no, great for Pulsar P. He said he was uh, he needed a fix, needed a Star Wars fix in the new year and, and saw this. But it's the shoe box uh, and, and the cutout figures as well. The shoe box itself turns into the Hoth hangar bay, with the cutout figures, I mean, what a great idea! It's fantastic, but the box art itself is brilliant. Now, as I said, Stu, you've been looking into these. Got nothing for us? Well, to be honest with you, you've both just gone through most of my notes. To be honest with you, the uh, the, the box served as a spacecraft hanger, and inside the box it has like a the Hoff hanger, doesn't it, with a falcon printed inside it, and the box could then be unfolded and used as a diorama. The shoes also came with thin cardboard punch out sheet, which. Um, now, Scott has got on the punch-out sheet R2-3PO and a Luke Hoff, but you could also get Vader and Lando. Um, so quite a nice little little touch, isn't it, to have the toy alongside the uh, the shoes for the kiddies. The box was generic amongst all the shoes, but I, lo- I love the describing of the shoes. They're all classed as tennis shoes. Um, Vader, X-Wing, Millennium Falcon, Ewoks or R2-T2 and C-3PO. And like Grant said, there was a... Two sets of boots, vinyl ones, which was, again, Ewoks and Vader. I'm, Grant, you might know this. I'm, I'm guessing this line was quite late with it being Ewoks because this is actually the Ewoks TV line because the bottom of the shoes that Scott's bought, there is a picture of Wicket on one shoe on, on the sole and on the other shoe, Princess Kinesa. Yeah, I think with many of the other product lines, after Return of the Jedi, it all comes under the Star Wars umbrella. And this is not, I mean... A lot of the images they're using is from, you know, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, the Ewok cartoon. So I think this is pretty late in the line. I mean, the the Clark's license was really early in the line. Uh, it's got, you know, almost like a Helix type artwork on their box. Really fantastic looking stuff. But I think this is a lot later in the line. Really cool though. And I, I believe actually, I believe I've seen the the bag for sale uh, from Toy Chamber on eBay. And I've said that, I think I might want to go and buy it. It's meant to be quite rare. The research I've done, the bag is the hardest thing to pick up. I better go buy it right right now. I'll be back in a minute. As I said, I saw it on eBay two days ago, and it wasn't that expensive. See you in a minute, Grant. Were you talking about money, Jez? I I cheekily asked Scott if he would tell me what he'd paid. And before I'd asked him, I checked up in the Tomarts guide. Now, in 1994, when that Tomarts guide came out, these would sell between $20 and $55. So I asked him what he paid. What do we all reckon he's paid for this? these shoes? They're mint. They're unused. The box is lovely. The, the, um, the figures haven't been punched out. What do you reckon he's paid? $50. Right. 
<laughs> Maybe about $39. Well, I reckon you've all gone quite young, uh, quite low. Oh, oh you also, sorry, I guess. Pete, what would you say? Uh, I reckon a bit, I could be higher because uh, there was a, I was watching one of these boxes a while ago because it had an Empire Strikes Back scene in, in it. And I was watching, I thought, and a guy wanted like $28 for the just an empty box, and it was quite wrecked. So I reckon something more toward close to the $100 mark. Well, Scott has only ever seen them around the $100 Australian dollar mark. He managed to pick this one up for 59 Australian dollars. With shipping, it came to $87, which equates to 52 to £53, pounds, somewhere around about there. So that's Bargain. delivered That's delivered from the United States. Um, Bargain. Yeah, so not that much of a price hike from what they were predicting 25 years ago. So, pre, what um, sizes? What sizes did they come in? Still, do you know? Just children's, mate. I don't know what size that is. Hey, <laughs> do you want? Do you want an update? Yep. I've just bought a Star Wars vintage Stride Right shopping bag from 1982. They say on this <laughs> <laughs> from 1982, I love it. and the the. the the, the, they had two available, so I just bought one. So quick, get yourself one before they're gone forever. Oh, yeah. Hey, were these the ones which are 1664, did you say? Um, it was $20, uh, which is 1688. Yeah, I, it's on my eBay now, 1664. Oh, well, buy the other one, Jez. We could be bag... <laughs> bag buddies. Bag, bag buddies. <laughs> and these, these bags are legit. It's actually really nice, isn't it? Yeah, well, I like it. Get it, get it. When have you buy it? <laughs> you going to buy it, Jez? Um, no. Why didn't you buy two grand? Save the postage. Yeah, Grant, buy the other one and I'll buy it off. Give you the money. It'll be but, joint one postage then, won't it? Uh, no. I'm going to buy some shoes. Oh, we've got a few um, collecting friends who are R2-D2 focus collectors. And there's some currently some Stride Right R2D2 and C3PO new unworn vintage 1982, approximately £69, US $85. They're just classic, but the Star Wars box, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put these shoe boxes on. We're gonna have to put links to both of them, Pulse P and Hooch. Because these are all cracking, cracking items. And yeah, for not much more than a price of a mint on carded figure, you've got some um, sweet stride rights there. Well gel. Do you know what? I, I think the, the 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 box for these and the box for the Clarks and the Puffs uh, tissues, some really good packaging for vintage Star Wars collectibles. You can cut that out. You can cut that out. I'm just getting excited. They are lovely. You're excited for your just, bag. Just a small plastic bag. <laughs> <laughs> good for you, man. Well adjusted. Uh, uh, well there's, um, there's a Clarks one on there from 1977. You should get that to go alongside your plastic bag. Ooh. Oh, send us a link. <laughs> it's your fault, actually, because uh, Stu went, oh, they're extra rare. <laughs> bought it now. This is a Clarks one right there. Is it really a Clarks one? There's a Clarks one. Let me put it on the... Um, on our Facebook thread. Hey, go, 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 go. This better not be like Care Bears. Should we move on? That's Hang on. Buy the bag first. Let's buy a bag before we carry on. <laughs> Jesus Christ, God. Oh, my God. Look at that bag. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh it's only twelve ninety nine. Ten seventy. That's American dollars. Oh, I've got to stop buying plastic what? bags. Come on. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a store display on it at the moment as well. Oh, my word. The postage is £18.50. Yeah, come on, that's, that's oh, off can I, touch. Can I buy a load of postage and can you throw in a free bag? That's just ridiculous. <laughs> that, that's normally the um, 
global shipping program prices, you, if it's like that, normally. So, it's, so it's, you've got your customers charge and everything in there on top of that. That store displays in a mess, though, isn't it? Yeah, actually, the store display is big. The store display is actually quite common, and you can pick one of those up for 50 or 60 quid. Right. Should we move on? What am I doing grant shopping for him? (laughs) Oh, my word. I just closed that down and very nearly clicked buy it now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Right. So, yeah, moving on. Rich, I'm coming to you now because you pointed out on page 2046 of Stars Forum UK. Ramsted bought a 65-back Jawa. And this looked in pretty sweet condition. It is, uh, Jez. I was scrolling through Stores from UK as we do, looking at the latest acquisitions, and I knew that both Stu and Pete had picked something that was perhaps a, a, you know, a little bit oddball, a little bit unusual. So I was looking for something that you know, was a bit more um, for the traditional collector. So... As I was going through the links, I just that job I caught my eye, and I, I stopped and I paused and I looked and I thought, that is a fantastic condition card. And then when I looked at it a little bit more, I thought, you know what, I don't see many Return the Jedi jobbers. So that sent me off on a mission which I lost an hour in. And my mission was to find how many of the first 12 have appeared, you know, over the last year. And I was quite shocked with the stats. And to me now, if I, if I see a Jedi, if I, if I see a, a Jedi first twelve figure, you know you, you've literally got to snap it up because they don't become available. Did you know that over the last year, not a single Tuscan Raider, Deskor Commander, Leah, or Luke has appeared on eBay or on the forum on a Jedi callback? Did you say over the last year, as in over, over the last, last twelve months? Yeah, amazing that, isn't it? Wow! And even things like Chewbacca one. Stormtrooper, one. You know, I mean, so, so many, as it happens with Jawas, that was the seventh Jawa. But there were such low numbers. And I, I just thought, wow, that was absolutely fascinating. Now, I could have done a little quiz with you amongst that, but, you know, we've, we've done enough quizzes for this show. But so I just want to say, guys, if you do see Jedi first 12 figures, you know, carded, if you're after them, snap them up because they're not about. Um, and another thing I was a bit surprised about, the difference in price between a Palatoy Jawa on a Jedi card and a Kenner Jawa on a Jedi, in a Jedi card is £1. Average price difference is £1 between Kenner and Palatoy. We don't see that very often, do we? Do you know what? I remember growing up as a kid when the Jedi line was out and I always found the original, especially the 20 backs, difficult to find. And I, I, 95% of all my childhood toys were all Jedi. Yeah, definitely. Warus, man, couldn't find at all. Princess Leia Organa couldn't find out on a Jedi card. Still can't find it on a Jedi card. <laughs> I thought you were going to point out the bubble. Because this one just... When you look at the bubble on these, as you come down just below halfway down, the bubble comes out slightly. The bubble's larger at the bottom than yeah. it is at the top. Why is that? The figure's not fatter at the bottom. It's not got massive feet or something. Why Why for that particular figure? Does anyone know? It's wider at the bottom than it is at the top. There's got to be some bubble experts out there. I thought one of you guys might have known this. Did they change the bubble after the vinyl cape? Yeah, well, yeah they did, yeah. They did, yeah. Do you think... No, well, that wouldn't be it, because they, they wouldn't no. stick with that bubble variation as they've gone through different iterations of cards... So I don't know anything about bubbles, to be honest, mate. I've got no, no. idea. I just, I just look what? at this, and it, and it comes we'll down. Sorry, we'll put, we'll put it in the feedback. Yeah, it just comes straight down like a normal bubble, 
and mm-hmm. then there's a slight angle and it just comes up and out as if you're waiting for a, a larger weapon to be in there or bigger feet or something there's a weird bubble thing going on and uh, yeah it'd be cool to know why so yeah we'll put that out there but Richard, cra- um, I'm just- Oops, sorry, I, uh, Bridge, I was just looking at a tracker for the, your statement. It seems there's quite a few Tuscan Raiders, quite a few layers that have appeared this year across the uh, various auction sites, so I'll have a look, see what else <laughs> I can disprove you on. Right, and the Jedi Corps. Yeah, 11, 11 Tuscan Raiders and four layers no. so far. eBay or auction houses, I, mean, I, I need to look at what they are, but they're not all recorded, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. Well, nice spot, Rich. You know, n- nice for us to stay on target uh, and look actually at some vintage figures and, and Carter figures. But yeah, the fact that you just don't see those at all, yeah, fair one. But let's find out more about that bubble. Okay, so moving on. Max F, my page, Star Wars Forum, page 2036, put a post on saying that he bought two mailers alright we had spoken a little bit about mailers earlier on but he bought two mailers and one was delivered by Mark Carraway and the next one he bought it farthest from both addressed to the same kid at the same address he didn't realise till afterwards when he got them both together how much of a fluke is that? What, what, what's going on there? What are, your, what are your thoughts here? Is this some just really really lucky kid? Massive fluke or what? It's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's just utterly ridiculous. So you've had a kid who's sent in for some mailers and has got them and kept the boxes. Yeah. And are these still sealed or are they opened? No, he's got them. Um, he's got them actually in that they are no longer sealed. He's got them uh-huh. in some nice acrylic cases. So what he's got is a Palatoy Emperor mailer. Which, yeah, uh, he said it wasn't overstock. It was actually mailed to a kid in Portsmouth. So this is a Palatoy Emperor mailer, and you can see it was addressed to S Meadows, twenty eight Havant Road, North End of Portsmouth, and then it's got the postcode. And then you go on to the fact that he bought it farthest from an Admiral Akbar mailer, again posted out. He said, but when after he got home after a long drive, he almost had a heart attack when he realised they were both mailed to the same address. Now the Admiral Akbar. Now, again, we can put this on the Facebook page. The Admiral Akbar, the address is handwritten on what looks like very yellowed paper of the old sort of A4 lined paper, which has been cut, folded over, and handwritten on that is exactly the same address. Made me think, right, okay, well, this was this done by a family member, maybe, who'd got it, or is it more likely to have come from the factory? But I wouldn't have thought factory would be having handwritten labels going on their mailers has anyone seen any handwritten mailers before no i've never seen one not well uh, no actually i'm trying to think of whether we've seen them on them um, you know bone envelopes not anything like that no not I, at all I, do you know what I, I i'm not sure but i always remember there being a printed label yeah uh-huh but i mean i don't know whether that's from recent memory or from decades ago but i always thought it was on a printed stick i don't know who knows it's amazing, though, isn't it? What's the chances? <laughs> I, I mean, this guy should start a focus and see if this kid has got any other labelled uh, Star Wars toys. Definitely worthy of a shout-out. Two of the more common mailers there, but to have the same address on them, absolutely brilliant. Number went to page 2039. Mike Strange, 
he of the Atat collecting, had put on a post about his Trilogo yak face. Excellent condition, Trilogo yak face, but he's got a bit of a yak thing going on. But right next to his yak face were a couple of cups. Now, on these cups had an image of yak face. Never seen these before. It made me think, well, if yak didn't come out in the state so much, wasn't readily available, would this have been an American thing? A lot of these cups and merchandise we see are imported over from America or have made their way over here. So it made me think, right, is this European? Is this UK? What's going on? Now, Grant, I'm going to come to you because these sort of things seem to be up your alley. Um, what's going on there on page 2039? What's up with these yak face cups? Uh, it's quite hard to find uh, yak face uh, vintage stuff, isn't it? It's yeah. not like, you know, it's a pretty tricky thing to focus on. Um, the the first uh, gl- uh, the cup is a recidiva Jedi Coca Cola cup. I believe there was twelve of them, um, American and Canadian, and obviously you know they they have different images on the on the set on each on each one. Sorry, and the one he's got with the Yak Face C three PO and reuse, which is from a deleted scene actually from Return of the Jedi. And on the other side, which is, he hasn't shown in the photograph, it's actually got the sail barge and the skiff. But there's like twelve of them. I think to get, which is pretty difficult to get. The other cup, which is a lot smaller, um, I believe, is from Dixie, which uh, did a range of paper cups. Uh, a lot of it for Star Wars, a, a lot for Empire Strikes Back. They only did, I think, it's um, four different boxes for Return of the Jedi. So this yak face might have come from there. I believe there's um, there's loads of variations in the Dixie cups as well. I don't actually know that much about them, but I'm believing if that small yak face paper cup came from somewhere it probably came from one of the four return of the jedi boxes so we've got a coca-cola uh, promotional cup with yak face on and i believe a dixie paper cup but not 100 percent. but uh, you know one or other yak face uh, oddball items there are out there man that's great thanks i knew i could rely on you now dixie sounds american to me as well is is this or is this oh yeah 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 it's, it's big time america it's really good as well i mean they They've got loads of different boxes with loads of different artwork on, unique artwork that I've only ever seen on uh, on the Dixie boxes. They look super cool. They're actually really cheap to get, and they're, they're filled with, I don't know, 40 cups or something like that. So I believe it's one of those. Unique artwork on there as well, so uh, a real a real nice and interesting thing to collect. And, uh, you know, apparently they're still finding stuff out about these Dixie cups. Uh, uh, you know, so there we go. Right. Pete, I'm going to come to you in a sec, but just sticking with this just for a second I, it kind of blows my mind a little bit that these are both US and with kids looking at these just going what on earth's that because yeah, I think it, remember, it, you know, we didn't have Blu-rays back then and people didn't have pauses on, on DVD players and stuff um, but weren't they doing that with the action figure as well Yeah, well we were doing that with the action figure but Yak Face in America yeah this is, this is my point because um, Yak Face wasn't really in America. No, no. <laughs> yeah, what, are you, what are you trying to say, Jess? Well, Yak Face the, the, weren't the fi- released the figure in America, were they? But, no, but the character was in the film, Jess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the character wasn't really in the film. The character was in the film for <laughs> half a second. This is my point. The character was in the film for half a second, right? Mm-hmm. But they've got cups dedicated to this character. But they were... But they wouldn't have had, uh, you know, that was back in the time where you probably didn't have, well, you didn't have repeat viewings of Return of the Jedi because it wasn't available on any home format. Yeah. So you would have just gone with it, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but- as you say, there were 40 cups and there were plenty of other figures to choose from. It just strikes me as odd that when there wasn't an action figure released in that country, they were taking the time and effort to produce these. Maybe they were done well in advance. Maybe they were done when there was an intention to to produce the act face in the US. Well, yeah. I mean, just look at Klaatu. How many Klaatus did they make? You know, they must be like, oh, Klaatu, he's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's make a thousand clatters. Oh, it's expensive to make the skirt. Don't worry, he's the biggest thing in the film. And, you know, he's, he's behind Luke. <laughs> I was just going to add about the, the Dixie Cups. The I, 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 pro- I might well have that one in my... I've got a box of Dixie Cups. I got it from uh, Chris Fawcett's um, big toy style that he, that he did when he found all that stuff. Yeah, big um, I, I, it's a really, really quality item to collect, I'd say, because it comes in a long, tall, thin box shrink wrapped and the artwork because it had slave layer on the front of it so obviously fits my slave layer because one of the, the kind of like one of the only other the, 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 there aren't many vintage slave layer kind of bits and pieces but it's a really really beautiful box I'll, I'll, I'll maybe i have to put a picture up of it it's cracking and it's probably in there because it's kind of like a jabber and slave layer and kind of you know various other goons on cups so it might well be in that set oh, i hope so pete you're slaying it tonight you nailed the quiz you're throwing Dixie Cups all over the place. Flipping it. I love, I've got to say, the, the Dixie Cup stuff, I mean, that is something I could really, really get into. The, the boxes are so nice. Yeah, I, I, mate, I've got uh, one from each film. And it's not when, oh. you, when, you, when you put them in the collection, because, you know, they can make a backdrop for figures or whatever. Yeah. But when you get yeah. them, it's like, oh, these are really cool. Really cool. We've missed out in the UK by not having these. Oh, look at Dixie Cups. Beautiful, beautiful things. I'm going to have to get some Dixie Cups. Damn it, damn this podcast. <laughs> they, yeah, oh, oh, Pete, I really hope, let us know, man. I really, really hope you've got that. But, oh, wow, brilliant. Oh, yeah, good on you, Pete. Nice one. A nice one, Graham. Yeah, I have, I have got it. Oh, lucky jammer. Right, nice one. Cheers, Mike Strange, for posting that. You learn something every day. Clearly, I need to learn more about mailers. Right, let's move on. The first transport is away. I want everyone in on this. Kaza on page 2042. Boxed Kenner Rebel Transport. It took me back. You see that? It's a cracking, cracking photograph he's put up there of this in great condition boxed Rebel Transport. Now I know I've given this a bit of a slating in the past. I know I've said it was a disappointing Christmas present. But actually... Having looked at it now, I think I'm falling in love again with the Rebel Transport. Guys, what are your thoughts on the Rebel Transport? Discuss. I did a bit of research on the Rebel Transport, Jess, okay? And there are quite a lot of websites that have, you know, best five uses, uh, worst five uses. There's one guy even complained in the States that he had his entire collection stolen, except for the Rebel Tube Transport. (laughs) (laughs) And he was over the moon. Because he kept his figures inside the transport with the, with the weapons. <laughs> so so he still had his entire, you know, well, as much of a loose run as he had and all the weapons in there. Um, so he was pleased with that. But um, I'm just going to read you out, Jez. Uh, the, the, these are the top five uses of the Rebel Tube Transport that I could find, okay? So number one, and the very, very top one, was as a display ship, okay? That seemed to be the most popular use for it, just for display. Second... As a carrying case. Third, 
for storing um, weapons in the secret compartment. That, that seemed to be a popular use. Fourth was for taking the guns out and using them as a kind of standalone accessory to the actual ship. Kind of like what a, a, a mini rig was, I'm thinking. And fifth was for serving dips. <laughs> so when people could bring, um, you know, dips in and put them in the little trays and eat, eat uh, breadsticks out of them, which I thought pretty much sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I do want to say though, Jez, as much as a, as it is enough vehicle for me, or an, an enough toy, it is a carry case. Um, I think for a, a collector of them, it's probably a good one to focus on because there were only six, as far as I'm aware, there's, there were only six boxes to collect. And when you look, did did you say that there were thirteen at that? When we did the at that discussion, thirteen different variations of the boxes. I think it was eleven or thirteen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yes, it was thirteen. Yeah. So there's only six, and the first one had the the yellow background, yeah. and then from then on they went blue. Now yes. I did have a look on Rebel Scorm and taken and project outside the box and all that kind of stuff, and I couldn't find any reason for the change from yellow to blue. Has has, has anybody managed to find out in any of the research? From my point of view, I, I'd looked at the, the Chromelins, and there's a fantastic Chromelin there as well, which has shown a great deal of changes on Star Wars Collector's Archive. But for me, the Kenner sign was lost in the yellow. Yeah. Now, that that could be a reason. There were quite a few changes. Um, but I, I think the Kenner sign just stands out so much more against the blue. What about the uh, the Millennium Falcon as well was uh, yellow at the time, wasn't it? And that was in a massive box. Mm-hmm. I think the blues are a lot more vibrant as well. If you're picturing this product on a store shelf with the yellow and in a sea of black and yellow, it doesn't really stand out as well, but the, the blue really makes it stand out and it catches the eye a lot better. Okay, okay, let's put that to a vote, okay? Uh, yellow or blue? Stu, yellow or blue? Favourite, Rebel Transporter box? Uh, blue. Okay, Rich? Blue. Uh, what's your name, Jez? <laughs> Blue. Pete? Uh, I'm going to say yellow just for the sake of it. Oh, okay, well done. Oh, I like both of them. <laughs> I think the white. Blue, Blue looks like the seal. Blue looks like the sea. Well, it looks like the, <laughs> hull, of a, the hull of a boat, doesn't it? So maybe the Rebel Transport could also float. I bet some yeah. people put it in a bath. But by all accounts, there were a lot of people who we were looking forward to getting the art at of Christmas and got the web transport. Yeah, now, imagine that. I brought that up many times, but <laughs> there were so many stories online. If you go, go and do some research on the Rebel Transport and, um, you know, a lot of these way back Wednesday and throwback Thursday sites, when they discussed the Rebel Transport, they talk about, oh, I was dropping hints left, right and centre, I wanted the at at and they ended up with the Rebel Transport. Now, Jez, uh, I'm pretty sure you've done this, so I didn't bother. Um... How much did the Rebel 2 Transport um, retail for? <laughs> oh, I don't know, Father Christmas brought it. Oh, you're taking the piss, you didn't get it. Oh, um, I want to say... It's $30. $30, yeah, I was, I was going to say twenty nine ninety. In the UK, oh yeah, it was $30, but in the UK... $30. Yeah. And, it, and it had some weight, it weighed three pounds. That That's quite heavy for a toy, that three pound. I'm amazed how many were about. Do you know what? When I first got back into collecting... I used to buy, like, job lots of ships and bits and pieces. That's why my garage is chocker. And I reckon nearly every every job lot I bought always had a, at least a shell of a Rebel Transport. 
Really? Yeah, nearly always. I've probably, apart from B-Wings, I reckon I've had more of them through than any other ship. Yeah? It's interesting. Do you know that Richard actually gave me one of these for free? But I, I did. Just so, I so didn't like it, and no offence, Richard, I just gave it. I gave it to Spanish Dan. Which when he <laughs> took it away on his motorcycle at Watford, I can remember it being rammed in his bag. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but let's talk about this because I think even if you guys don't love it now, you might love it a little bit more come the end of this. Because yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with it because this came out. It was an Empire Strikes Back run. Oh, oh whoa, whoa, you're not getting away with that, <laughs> right? A little bit disappointed, right? How old were you? How old were you? <laughs> I was eight years old. Right, if you were eight year old at Christmas, right, and you're wanting the art art, yeah, and you open that, right? Oh. I mean, it's like a precursor to a man bag, isn't it? Yeah. You're not, there's no way on earth, right, that you're going to turn around, look at your parents and smile and go, thank you, I'm just a little bit disappointed, but it's great, you are going to be good at yeah, that. Really Do you know what, the box, the box is better looking than the actual ship. Right. I'd rather have the box on its own. You, you have a point, the box is very good looking. However, the nice. ship is amazing, and I'll explain why in a minute. But let me talk to you about why I was a little bit disappointed because I don't think people have actually seen me very upset much. Grant, you ever seen me really, really cross? Uh, never, mate, except for that Rebel Transporter incident. <laughs> so I think I was, yeah, I was, I was a tad miffed because I was looking forward to it. But I think, moreover, it was just a case of, what's that? Hang on a second, this is... 1983, I've just had this. Um, Empire Strikes Back missed it, the cinema, and so it's not out on video yet. Uh, it's certainly not out on TV. Um, so, yeah, what, what is that? I, uh, I can't imagine ever seeing that. So, this brings me on to my first question Were there any UK adverts for Rebel Transport? Yes. Because I've seen Kenner ones uh, on YouTube now, but you've seen these advertised on TV? As a kid? I'm not so sure about Palatoy. Definitely Kenner. They were definitely Rebel Troop. Uh, why do I keep calling them Rebel Troop Transport? They were the definitely is, Rebel Transport Kenner adverts. I mean, there was like, um, there were, there were, I mean, there's so many Palatoy Rebel Transporters, isn't there? There's Rebel Transporters yeah. everywhere. But I don't think they had a great deal of TV time. Now, I remember the Biker Scout weaving through the chair legs in the kitchen. I yeah. remember all those adverts. I remember the ATAP. But, I do not remember this being advertised, so I think that was strike one. Slightly miffed Jez point one. It's all I thought, okay, so I don't have the attack, but what on earth is this? Um, so first of all, I didn't recognise it, but then actually, as an eight-year-old kid, you're not necessarily interested in the utility of a carry case. Um, but I, I do have fond memories of this, because this is... There's so much in this. You had mentioned it being £3. That's quite heavy. Now, I picked up on this and thought, oh, no, is this most amount of plastic there is? Is this heavier than an ATAT or heavier than the um, uh, shuttle? What, what are you guys guessing here? <laughs> I just, uh, it tickles me because I remember when we visited your parents in Bristol and you brought it up then. It, you know, well, I had such a happy childhood, I think, of miffedness. That was probably my most miffed. Yeah, you, you, took me to the garden and you took me into the garden and said, Grant, this is the house where I had the rubber transport <laughs> for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I wanted to welcome you into my home and say, just soak it up, soak it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's go back to this. How many figures could you put in your rubble troop transport? Untold. Six, six just in the cockpit areas, in the gun areas. 
Legs. Or just <laughs> shoved kinda... in there, like, with your... Well, yeah. But what I'm saying is, you've got the secret compartment under yep. the main bit. Oh, okay, so, okay, so feature number one, as you said, the secret compartment. Ooh, I'm excited already. As a young kid, I'm learning more about this. Ooh, you've got my interest. So, secret compartment. Carry on, Stuart. You got the... Well, what, what am I doing? You, you, you're telling me amaz- amazing things about this rubble transport. Okay. Uh, you've in got... answer to the question, how many figures are in it? Oh, I, I'm trying to think in the middle. You could... What is it? Two's up the threes across, wasn't it? you could get at least, I'm going to guess, at least 20 figures in that vehicle. That's a good guess. Easy. That's a, a, a good addition to that guess. Uh, so tell me all the amazing features of this Rebel Transport then. Sell it to me. Five I- backpacks, four asteroid gas masks. I think I've got that right. Yeah. That's a little um, bit tight, don't you think? I mean, so there's five lads all hulking a load of kit around Hoff. Or, or let's say, you know, they have to land on an asteroid. It's like, yeah, sorry, chump. Uh, we've only got the four gas masks. I'm sorry, mate. Get some pops. Send away for the Hoff mailer. Yeah, well, true, true. Okay. We're not going to give you everything in one hit. <laughs> Go, carry on then. So, so you've got your freebies, yeah? You've got your secret the can- compartment. The cannons. Oh, yeah, there you go, the cannons. And what can you do with the cannons? Shoot lasers. Yeah. Well, they swivel, and you've got your little TIE fighter. Uh, isn't there a TIE fighter on the targeting display there? Am I remembering this right? Yeah, you can remove them as well. You can remove them as well, can't you? Isn't the um, another little secret base thing under yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. there's a little... That's right. There's a little hidden area under there. There's also an escape hatch as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. So you, tell Darth Vader. You cannons. The cannons can come off in a one and then they can separate as well. You, you you can have them individually. They turn. Not only do they swivel, but they click. Click. Amazing. Right, so we've got all these things going on for it. The secret hatch, um, the escape hatch underneath, which if you keep hold of, you'll be able to sell on eBay for serious amounts of dosh because it's always the one thing which goes missing. Inside, it's got 40 pegs. So it can hold 40 figures inside, wow. yeah. right? It, and this is weird because... Apple's 42, Jez. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 42 because... Are we saying got, this is a glorified cockpit. carry case? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing carry case. Glorified's mm-hmm. not good enough words. So 40 within the actual troop cargo area, two more in the cockpit, and a gunner down and back. So actually 43. Not bad at all, is it? It's not an attack, though, is it? Yeah, how many how many at at tiers does the rubber transporter hold? <laughs> no, no, hang on, no. I don't know. I don't know no. why you guys don't like it though. I think it's. I loved it as a toy. You, you could actually, you could put all your action figures in it and point to your parents. Massive gaps that needed filling. Like, I need a morning guard to fill this gap. We need to go shopping. Yeah, but the reason why we did that was because the Darth Vader carry case was far better. So you did exactly the same in the Darth Vader carry case. Whoa, it wasn't far whoa, whoa. better. No. It no. wasn't far better at all. You pick that thing up, it opens up straight away, all your figures and guns fly on the floor. It's useless. Yeah. It's got three clips. You, you you forgot to close the clips on yours, but if you closed the clips, it was fine. Oh, nope. Clip schmips. You can't use Darth Vader carry case in a battle. So there you are. You're in your living room, and you've got all your toys everywhere. <sighs> in comes the rebel uh, transport, full of all your rebels, uh, full of all your stuff, or... The first transport is away. The first transport is away. All your figures on there. Get out of Dodge. You're all in a good place. 
It's an amazing ship. So you can shove them all in there, move them around, take them over to Ian Thomas's, the lad who lived around the corner, who actually had the ATAT, and he had the Falcon, and he had the X-Wing. Yeah. I was able to take did he all have, my figures. Did he have a Rebel Transport? He didn't. No. It's you, Ian lost Thomas out there. Was. You know, this <laughs> is a great thing, because not only is it amazing... You, you, right, there you go. Christmas morning. Right, you're unwrapping everything. What don't you need, right, to get in the, the way of your fun? You don't know. No, Richard, stop it. What you don't uh, need a big batteries. Look. Batteries. Well, all right? There's no batteries required to get in the way of the fun. You've just got fun and you make the sounds yourself. That's the thing. That's the genius about the rubber transport. There's no button going, right? You just use your own sounds. Oh, mate. There's, there's no lights either with the cannons that go back and forth there's and no the removable lights. head and That's it. the replacement of the family dog is... Reason being, right, there's no lights is because this is a rebel troop, right? This is a rebel transport and they want it to be a bit stealthy, right? That's why it's kind of shaped that way. It's a little bit sleek, it's a little bit slender and, and they've got no lights because they don't want the enemy to see them. Why would you have lights in a battle? Come on, tactics, common sense. We're going dark, lads, right? There's no noise because it's a quiet ship. And when you want to, when you want to put the afterburners on, that's when you, as the kid, go... It's amazing. No batteries, no lights, because it's tactically sound. Untold for stickers, if I remember, wasn't it? Say what? Quite a lot of stickers to put on it, if I remember right. Which is great play value for you. Yeah, brilliant. Do you know what? I gave my lad the um, new Millennium Falcon for Christmas. took me about an hour to put the stickers on. Really angry with one of them because it was really little and I couldn't get it in the right place. You got so, angry because of stickers. Man, you want to rub your earlobe and go woosa. <laughs> what I'm saying is, if I'm eight years old, yes. putting that amount of stickers on that. Do you know what? I'd, I'd never. I don't remember this from as a kid. The first time I saw this was I had um, in '94. I got all my schoolmates bringing their old Star Wars toys, and someone brought that in in a small carrier bag, which you couldn't grab the handle properly. Yeah. All day I had to lug it around, and I I wondered. I didn't think it was part of the Star Wars toy line. But what has he given me? Does he look like some sort of kind of fish thing, submarine? Well, it does look like a submarine. It does look like something which you could put in your bath. It does carry a lot of stuff. You know, this is so stealthy and so state-of-the-art. It doesn't even have cockpit glass because, you know, the the pilots just are using the force. Um, But not only is it such a great, great, great ship, they they, uh, they continued the line. So you had an Empire Strikes Back, you had a Return of a Jedi by Logo, as we said. But are they in the new Rogue One movie? Yep. That's Have they ever the returned art. to this toy in, over the years? Have we seen a second carnation of this? They didn't need to because they had plenty left from the first time round. You know, they've not ever gone back and wanted to reproduce the Mona Lisa because, you know, you, perfection and all that a lot. People just look at the originals and go, great. Um, so, uh, no, I don't believe they have done, but that's just because they, they were happy uh, and they rested. So uh, all good there, really. They they did um, issue it as a big deal as part of that tabletop game. Uh, it's quite popular at the moment. You see it at uh, conventions. Anyone know what oh, I mean? Yeah, the uh, the X Wing game. Um, yeah, what's it called again? Miniatures, the miniatures thing. Yeah, that's it. X Wing miniatures. They made a big yeah. deal about it having like the troop transporter in yeah. there. Yeah, you'd love it, Jez. That's oh my god. That's your focus right there. I think I would <laughs> because you look at it. It's a massive box, right? It's a draft excluder. Right, let's face it, you know, particularly in those Welsh homes, Grant. You know, we, we had a chat about drafts the other day. We have great chats, don't we? Um, 
But <laughs> this is this is a great ship. You you roll it over, and it's got an incredible amount of detailing underneath. And you think, why why has it got all that detailing? You can't see it. But the craftsmanship which has gone into this, and the thought, the locking mechanism, and everything. Um, yeah, I, I've fallen it's, in it, love again with the. Rebel it's Rebel. also, it, it it's also available as part of the um, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, model kits, the snap together model kits. Didn't you get one of those the other day, uh, Pete? Um, no. Oh, I, I got the, uh, the the Dagobah scene. Yeah, the snap together kits, isn't it? There is a there is a base kit, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, the rebel the rebel Hoff base. Uh, there's a rebel transport in there, Jez. Airfix. Well, you know. I'd... Star Focus. Look at that. <laughs> like a Star Focus. I, I do genuinely really, really like this. And, um, yeah, damn it, I'm going to have to find a place for it in my living room. But I, I'm so glad that he's put that up there. So, Kaza, page 2042, with your second release, because it's your blue box. Yeah, fantastic for posting that. Can I just... Um, I'm just Sorry. looking at boxes. I want to change my decision. I think I prefer the yellow. Yeah, right. Bang on. Uh, what is that, then? Yeah. I'm, I've just opened up a book to have a look at the box art. There's also, a, like, a line art, isn't there? Yeah, oh, there's a line art. Yeah. yeah I... mm. Sorry. Yes, carry on. <laughs> Didn't want people thinking I like the blue box when I really like the yellow box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Almost got out there. <laughs> I've, I've got two points, Jez, both very quick. One is um, the cannons that we're talking about. I must have had a few Rebel Transports in, you know, my, my time of collecting because I certainly know that Pete took one. But I came back from Falls from once and I remember Andy Spoons had asked if I had any spare cannons and I sent him two cannons down to his house. And he was over the moon because not only did he get two cannons that completed his two Rebel Transports, but what I didn't realise was there were, there were variations of the cannons in colours. And there's a, lock, uh, a light grey and a dark grey. And coincidentally, I'd sent him one light one and one dark one. And when he went to put them in his sets, he had one light one and one dark one. So he's now got two two transports with, you know, two light and two dark cannons in them. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, what are you on about, light or dark grey? They, they are noticeably different plastic colours. They're not, you know, one's faded or anything. They are two completely different colour plastics, um, which is something that I didn't notice until um, Andy had pointed it out. And, and secondly, going back to the detail on the bottom, um, because you, you're absolutely right, the detail on the bottom is fantastic. Is anybody aware of the wood pattern for the Rebel Transport? Has that ever turned up? Because I'd love to see that. I haven't seen that. I know yeah. there's uh, there's some uh, crumblings uh, of it, though, isn't there? Is there a revenge proof? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go, Jez. That's another one you could add to your focus. Wow, this is like a focus dream, isn't it? With a different colour different colour cannons and all sorts of stuff oh my word you're talking about Kremlins on Star Wars Collectors Archives there's an Empire Strikes Back Rebel Transport Kremlin and obviously there's different there are different Kremlins depending on how much work was needed at, at the time this particular one which they've got it's got a tremendous amount of notes on it and it, it's got um sort of transition where it's changed from the yellow to the blue but it's still got the black writing because on the on the yellow box you have black writing on the yellow on the blue you've got white and it's just saying this needs full reverse this needs change you need the r symbol here 
lots and lots of information if you wanted a good understanding of what a Kremlin is I think that's a perfect example if you go onto the SWCA uh, and search for that Rebel Transport Kremlin because it really, hey, just, really is cracking yeah hey, just you know what's better than that Kremlin oh go on an ATAT one <laughs> well no I, I, I don't think I don't, don't think you're right really because um well, because this is just a lovely landscape, and and when you look at Star Wars, when you're a true Star Wars fan, it's all about landscapes. And and very interesting point, which is brought up in the last Beyond the Toys, the difference between the portrait and the landscape posters. So for that, that's that's the important thing for me. Whereas the Attack would be a bit more boxy, and uh, you can't put as many people in a transport. And then you'll never find the Rebel Transport battery compartment going rusty and stuff because it's just a better, better, better ship all round, really. You can tell you. You can tell he works for Boeing. <laughs> Alatoy one has got the black and white um, logo on it. That's a nice touch for your focus, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, like, I do like that. It's great, isn't it? All round, amazing, lovely. Nineteen eighty-two. Oh, fantastic. I want to watch the advert now. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars saga began and Kenner continues the excitement. Rebel Transport holds up to 42 action figures, each sold separately, some assembly required. You'll never get me, Rebel Commander! You can't escape, Imperial TIE Fighter Pilot! Didn't find the lasers. Backpacks and gas masks are safe. That means he's hiding. Give me a escape hatch! You knew where I was! Rebel Transport comes with everything you see here. Action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. So, has anyone got anything else to say about this? Don't you find it weird that there's no cockpit glass? It's because they're using the force. Right, should we move on? Says there's no cockpit glass in the submarine. Yeah. You should know that, surely. This is, uh, this is a multifunctional rebel transport spaceship boat submarine all singing or dancing. It's just state-of-the-art. I love it. Do you guys love it all a little bit more now? Answer me honestly. Do you all love the Rebel Transport or at least like it a little bit more after this? Grant? Oh, I loved it anyway, mate. It's a top, top, top toy. Peter? <laughs> Maybe the box, but no, sorry. Cannons, twisting cannons. Uh, Stu? Um, I, I kind of like it anyway. I've not, yeah. I've, you've not really sold it any more to me, though. Because you already recognise the amazingness of it. Well, it's, it's a nice toy. It's definitely in my top 50 ships. <laughs> okay. Top 50 ships. Uh, uh, Richard? Um, I, I liked it now as an adult. As soon, as soon as I got one, I thought, yep, actually, I like it. But I would have been gutted as a kid if I had got one. <laughs> would you have gone on about it every show for a year, Rich? Uh, well, it would have, it would have, I wouldn't have been on the show because I would have... I would have went to He-Man or something like that if I'd have got one as a kid because I would have never needed to get back into Star Wars. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I love it. hate Star Wars. I, I think maybe we even need to have Rebel Transport badges at Celebration. That's how much I love this right <laughs> now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love it. I, I've got... It's amazing. Jess, do you like it? You haven't mentioned it at all. It's great. Sod your hats. Bring it close now to the new acquisition section for this month. Man, there are some bargains to be had. I mean, Poncho with his getting his um, ten-pound Minton card Tebow, and then the sixty-five back Jawa, which, as he said, doesn't come up that often. Great to see the trainers. 
uh, which we've had. But I really, really enjoyed not only chatting about everything which we've had here, but convincing you lot and our listeners about how cool the Rebel Transport is and possibly one of the primary ships so important that it was the first one that they felt that they needed to get off of Hoth because it was so, so important to the Alliance. So, um, yeah, really, really cool. Thanks for your time, guys, on NA this month. And uh, and let's see what we can find next month. Okay, welcome to this month's Beyond the Toy section. This month, I'm joined by two of my fellow Beyond the Toys Facebook page admins, Craig Spivey, who was our main interview guest on episode 20, and Mark Daniels from episode 22. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Hello. Good evening, Grant. One thing I'd, I'd really like to uh, let you guys know, actually, we've done 31, I think this is our 32nd episode, and your episodes on both episode 20 and episode 22 are in our top 10 most downloaded episodes. Kidding me. Yeah, congratulations. Um, they were both. I'm not at all. I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> congratulations, though. That does say a lot. So they were uh, extremely popular. Um, I brought you guys on today uh, to talk about our recent collectors project that we've been doing. But first of all, I think it might be a good idea just to discuss the Beyond the Toys Facebook page. Mark, you've sort of instigated the Beyond the Toys. Uh, Facebook page. Could you give us a little history and uh, reasoning behind why it was developed and how it's changed? Yeah, sure. Originally, I just wanted to sort of showcase mainly the Helix and Latrasat stuff from uh, the vintage era. So I set up a, a page that was just basically Star Wars vintage stationery and confectionery. would cover stuff like the trading cards, tree war stuff, this, that, and the other. And um, uh, after a while, uh, what, what was apparent was there was nowhere really where people could discuss things outside of that remit so things like clothing posters more oddball items badges all these kind of really weird vintage star wars items that that people still collect even though they collect toys they still might collect the odd bits bits and pieces that don't fall into that category so i was approached by a couple of members and they said why don't we start including these kind of items and at first I will be honest and say that I was a bit against it because my focus tends to be just vintage stationery and confectionery outside of the toys and I didn't know too much about the other things and then I approached you guys and said look what, what, what do you think and I think the general consensus was it was a good idea so I, I was happy to go with it and that's where we um came up with Beyond the Toys and Grant you were the guy that actually came up with the name which was, seems perfect um, it was actually uh, Richard Hutchinson from the uh, podcast who came up with the name because uh, I referred it to him and asked for his advice and he thought it was a, uh, so a good idea so you're taking the credit for somebody else's work then I was taking the credit yeah uh, but he's <laughs> going to listen to this so I have to admit it <laughs> <laughs> Um, I should also state, as well as the three of us, Lee Bullock, who's also been on the uh, Vintage Rebellion podcast discussing uh, the effects of aging and the degradation of uh, plastics. He's also an administrator. Um, Lee didn't actually join us on this uh, project that we're doing. But um, obviously, we've had a lot of uh, really interesting posts on the Beyond the Toys Facebook page. Craig, I was wondering, is there any anything that sticks out to you, any highlights or anything like that that you've enjoyed since we made the big change? I think uh, I think one of them that's, that sticks in my mind uh, would be the, the 
a conversation that sprung up around badges or, or, or buttons to, for the American audience. Um, yeah, I mean, badges, not one of those things that every, anyone kind of particularly professes to be uh, an expert in or have a focus in. I think they're one of those things that people have alongside some of their other stuff. Um, and I think it was Phil Heeks, he put some badges up and, you know, a conversation ensued and it was, it was a really, um, great example of, of the group at its best. You know, there were some newer people in there asking questions. I was chiming in with some of the, the stuff I knew. I mean, Grant, you, you, you sort of, um, uh, put some photos of some of the ways you display badges and particularly from a personal point of view, something came to light that I never knew existed it answered a few questions for me um i was i've got a couple of badges that have got they, they feature the letter set art from a couple of the uh of the exercise books and i've never been 100 percent sure whether they were bootlegs or whether they were kind of promotional items i always suspected they were kind of a bit a bit hooky um and in the course of this conversation i think it was uh, uh pete vilma chimed in and said oh there's a there's a third one there's a there's an r2d2 a C-3PO and what and a badge where they're both together, uh, and it was like, oh, it'd be great if we could see a see a photo. Uh, and and sure enough, he kind of put a photo on there, and um, and it, it certainly proved to me that they were bootlegs because the, the the scale was was well off and it looked very kind of homemade. Um, but yeah, I think I think the group's been brilliant at just throwing up stuff that that none of us knew was were out there, you know. Yeah, I think uh, that badge thread actually cost me 20 quid as I started buying badges. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, that I didn't have. I've seen a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, you know, after all these years of collecting, you think that you've seen it all, and yet there's so much on that page I've never seen before. Any particular highlights for you, Mark? Um, definitely. Um, like you say, since we opened the, the boundaries of the group up, some of the stuff that I'm seeing now is like, I never knew that existed, and that's a great thing about this this particular hobby, especially Star Wars. Is pretty much every other day you will see something that you had no idea was out there. Um, for me, my passion is um, UK uh, product from the sort of seventies and up to nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty four, specifically the confectionery side of things. And um, I didn't know that the candy heads. Uh, were also a UK uh, issue. They got a UK issue. Um, I think they were about 15 pence at the time. And um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody posted on their box, uh, display box, with the 15 pence price tag, uh, which was a sticker. It's printed on the on the US box, but on the UK box, it's a sticker. Um, again, it's something that I never knew existed. So it's something else now that I've. I've got firmly in my sights and next one that comes up will be um, I'll be gunning for whether whether that'll be next week or in the next 15 years I don't know but yeah it's, it's nice to see new stuff that I didn't know existed come up yeah I quite like the um, the fan club pens as well that started quite a debate uh, I didn't actually know that those existed and the kites the sort of outdoor kite uh, British uh, store display bin didn't know that existed. That was a really interesting thing. Any any other highlights, Craig? I think um, special mention to um, there was a uh, a bootleg. I think it was a, a, a shampoo and sponge set that featured the artwork from the Jeff Love uh, sort of soundtrack album, and the, the 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 sponge was presented as a planet, and it was just 
the craziest thing, and, and, it, and it was perfect. You know, a sponge with the craters, it looked brilliant. Never seen that. Well, you know, hopefully we can get some more people to join in the fun as well, and, and if some uh, never-before-seen Star Wars collectibles, we can join all of us at the Beyond the Toys Facebook page. But today I've got you guys on because we've been working on a, a project in secret, actually. Uh, we've been working on this ever since Star Wars Celebration. Um, there's an announcement that we have to make because we're, we're allowed to now. It's been signed off by uh, Disney and Lucasfilm. So, Craig, I was wondering, first of all, if you could just tell the listeners uh, what we're able to announce and then maybe we could take them on a journey of how we got there. Um, we are able to announce, for those people who, who kind of haven't heard the news, um, that Helix are revisiting their original vintage line from uh, 1978 in the context of the 40th anniversary. So there will be new product available to buy. And this product, it's new product, but it's old product. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very much inspired by, it's very much taken from the original line, um, but to sort of put everyone's fears uh, rest that, 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 it's, that it will look like kind of copies or reproductions, they, they have put... Uh, kind of slightly modern twists. Obviously, these things are made with modern materials, modern techniques. So there's a there is a distinct difference, but also everything comes with the 40th anniversary logo. So um, very, very kind of distinct. Now we've actually the three of us have managed to, to visit um, Helix twice uh, since Star Wars Celebration, and I know we've all had a lot of email communication with uh, with Helix. But I was wondering if you could just take us on a short journey to, for the listeners so they can understand how we got to actually start talking to Helix and uh, and get to where we are today. Yeah, it's it's been a, a, a very surreal journey, really. I first uh, started having a conversation with, with Helix uh, years ago. You know, I think most people who have uh, been interested in the product might have approached the company themselves. Um, and, you know, other than sort of Acknowledging the fact that you know they didn't have any product left, there were no kind of planches full of original uh, Han Solo hand-drawn artwork or anything like that. It was it was through Twitter that I, that I eventually sort of made it a real connection with them uh, via their PR company, and it led to a conversation uh, about the fact that you know that they'd done this stuff in the 70s. Um, they used some of my um, items as a, a little bit of a press kind of um, press release some activity around the the, uh, the opening of the force awakens back in back end of um, December 2015 that led to an association which um, uh, meant that when we put on the um, galaxy in the gallery exhibition in the Neaton they would they, they very kindly sponsored the um, the event in terms of sort of giving us some cash and uh, the museum some product which kind of led up to the the, the celebration panel that, that the three of us did and it was always kind of my intention that once we'd got that panel out of the way that it would be nice to go back to Helix and, and show them it you know we put a lot of work into it we were all quite pleased with it and I think as a as a, as a courtesy if you like or as a, as a kind of nice thing to do I said look you know we've got this presentation how about we come over show you some of the stuff and and let you kind of rediscover your your past really so that was kind of always the the plan I got um, a message in between us trying to set up a date because it, it it took some it took some toing and froing. Well, they asked me for some kind of high-res scans of a selection of a very specific selection uh, of some of the stuff that, that that I've got in the collection. And I kind of mentioned it to you guys. I said they've asked me for these scans. You know, 
it might be something, it might be nothing, it might be they're just doing a, a feature in their company newsletter, but you know, deep down inside you're kind of going, I hope they're kind of looking at this again, you know, that would be really interesting. And sure enough, um, we, we got a, a date uh, to go over um, to, to speak to them, um, but what that little sort of nugget of information allowed us to do was was to, to revisit the PowerPoint slides and just at the end drop in some some references to other licenses that have maybe relooked at their their property it, like things like um, the way Marvel have sort of merchandised some of their artwork uh, or the way Tops have translated their traditional printed cards online and lots of examples of how vintage Star Wars had been kind of reimagined for a for a modern uh, for a modern era. So we kind of put that stuff in, you know, at the end of the presentation to uh, uh, to sort of make a point, really. We made the uh, our initial uh, adventure to Helix in November, and obviously we didn't actually know what was in store for us or what we were going to do other than the presentation. But what really what really stuck out to you uh, in that experience? It's the fact that sort of collecting Helix and, and that being a real sort of passion of mine, collecting wise. To finally, to, to actually be asked to come along and talk to the company that created it, albeit different, completely different people. There was nobody there that was around back in the day. It, it was, it was, a, it was a huge honour, and it was a, a big sort of tick in the box, collecting career-wise, if, if that's what, what you want to say, you want to call it. Um, it, it just felt very um, kind of uh, privileged, basically. Yeah, if we if, if we could just set up the scene a little bit, um, were you surprised or intimidated at all that we had to do it in front of the entire workforce? That that was a bit daunting, I must say. Because <laughs> we didn't when it's like people like the warehouse staff, and I was thinking, I wonder how interested they, these boys are going to be in, <laughs> in Star Wars stationery. And um, but now, to be fair, when we did the presentation, I mean, let's be honest, Craig is is an absolute. He's, he's, he's absolutely brilliant at presenting, um, and he really carried it off, uh, you know, very, very well. And of course, you, Grant, as well. You, you, know, you know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so that gives you a bit more confidence. I think if I had to do it by myself, I'd be a complete mess. But I think with the three of us there doing the presentation, in the same way it was, it was at the um, uh, celebration in London. You know, it felt like a, you know, a real good team effort. And um, I think it went down really, really well. Yeah, did you notice that uh, a lot of people started paying attention when we started putting the prices up for pencils and rulers that are yeah. over a couple hundred pounds, and then everyone started paying attention? Yeah, there's attention when you start telling people that, um, you know, a pack of five felt tip pens went for £440. Uh, Craig, what did you make of our first trip to Helix? What was uh, some of your fondest memories of it? I think, I think it's fair to say that when we rocked up there, we, we had no idea who we were presenting to. You know, we were just happy to, to sort of get an invite. So in my mind, I thought, well, maybe it's going to be, you know, the marketing team or, um, you know, a select, a select, a few of interested people. Um, and when we, when we sort of arrived, they took us through to the back to the warehouse bit where they'd set a screen up. Uh, and we were sort of the, the star turn at there. And I think they have this meeting once every couple of months. Uh, and, and the MD, you know, who, ended up being a massive Star Wars fan, you know, and we had a good chat with him. Um, he introduced us. <laughs> we were like the star turn. Um, 
so it was, it was great, you know, and they'd got sandwiches on and all the rest of it. And it was just, you know, I was struck immediately what a great sort of team they were as, as people, very receptive, um, a lot of fans in the audience and even the, you know, even the kind of, you know, the older, older ladies at the back who didn't profess to be that knowledgeable of the subject, they were engaged in what we were saying. Um, I, I think, you know, we took a few bits with us, um, and they just, swarmed around it they were fascinated they were picking it up they were touching it um my kind of least famous my least favorite moment was when they started picking up the pencil sharpener and you know took pieces and things but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they they were incredibly receptive though weren't they and they did ask a lot of questions in regards to you know the line and you know the collecting side of it, and the and you know why we collect this kind of stuff, and where the passion lies, and the rarity of these kind of things. Did you did you find that? Did you find them to be receptive and quite open? Oh God, yeah, yeah. I mean, they. they um, I mean, particularly looking back now, we we kind of now know that they they had this line in development, and they were very honest about that. Sort of once we'd finished, um, so you would expect a certain degree of uh, of interest. But I, I think you know if. Looking at it from their point of view, you know, these three guys come in off the street and bounce around for an hour, like, getting excited about their business. What a <laughs> what a great thing, you know. They must have uh, have loved it as much as we enjoyed, you know, going to the factory and having our picture taken outside the sign. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if it had ended there, you know, if we'd have done that and that had been the end of the journey, I'd have been really happy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it, I think one of the highlights for me is when I realised that the sort of like the the people from the upper management were all Star Wars fans, and they were they were well into it. And I thought, mm. well, this is, this is exciting because these these guys are you know they just like us. They grew up with Star Wars, and uh, this could possibly uh, go places. So um, after our initial visit, Craig, I know you did a lot of work, and Mark, you also did a lot of work on uh, on putting together a second visit. But this visit would be away from what we've done before, but probably pushing more sort of concept and ideas in regards to the 40th anniversary. Uh, this is a visit that we did only a few weeks ago in January, so uh, Craig, if I could ask you first, what was the idea behind doing a second visit and uh, the relationship with Helix? They were quite open to us coming back? I think I, I, context is, is important here. I mean, you know, Mark's a, a kind of internationally renowned sort of designer and artist. I, my background is, is sort of creative direction in, in marketing, advertising, design. I recently went self-employed um, in the summer. Mark's been, you know, self-employed for a long time, and you know, I was in a position to kind of go, well, well, hang on a minute, you know, that if I walk away now and I don't sort of seize this opportunity to kind of just see what we could do with this, then I'd, I'd kick myself forever. And so I said, look, you know, we clearly know the market. We have some professional uh, sort of credibility and experience in this area and I marked a lot of character licensing uh, work in the past I've, I've you know, stationed you too um, so I said look we, how about we come back and we, we give you some thoughts, I mean this is this is obviously after they'd elaborated a little bit of their, uh, about their plans what they what they were going to do in terms of the 40th anniversary line the, the actual items they were looking at so you know I, I just saw that Kind of chance to keep the conversation going, and and you know, said, look, we'll, we'll give us give us a few weeks, we'll have some thoughts, and um, and we'll come back and show you 
what we think you could do with it, you know, where the potential lies and how we would like to see it presented to us as collectors, how we might like to see it sort of marketed to us. Um, and they were, they were very happy to kind of have us back and, and, and hear what we had to say. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good idea to say that the first presentation was sort of like, uh, very much like the one we did on the collecting track at Star Wars Celebration London with a few minor changes. But this one was more of a marketing and product development sort of presentation, conceptual ideas and insights into the marketplace. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely, you'd be right. Well, I was there. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I was there, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Craig, take us through the, the your basic idea behind putting this uh, presentation together then, some of the areas that you actually looked at. You know, I, I wanted to um, present this work in, in a way that kind of showed we'd really thought about it and that we'd considered, you know, some of the commercials around it, some of the some of the, the market considerations. So, you know, we, we started off looking at the market. I mean, we know a lot about Star Wars products. We kind of live it. Um, but, I, you know, for those weeks after um, November, up to Christmas, you know, every, every time I was in Tesco, I was taking photographs of, of the stationery that was in there. I was going to Smith's and, uh, you know, taking photographs there, looking online, and, and just compiling a little bit of the sort of background as, as to kind of what Star Wars product was out there, but also what kind of stationery product was out there. I mean, it's a very, very busy market, and particularly with the modern sort of Star Wars lines that are there, you know, there's a lot of tat, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of, there's a lot of very cheap product, there's a lot of very kind of bland looking, samey products and sort of using that I, I wanted to paint a picture of, of kind of what what they were getting into not that they don't know this stuff but I think it was important for us to kind of go in there and say look we've looked at it too um, and also consider their audiences so you know, we weren't going to stand there and tell them how to market to school kids um, but we do know a little bit about you know adult uh, fans and particularly collectors so you know I think some of the bits of kind of insight you know, were that while, you know, while, while fans uh, and collectors of our age might sort of be very nostalgic for some of the products, um, they're not necessarily in the market for a math set anymore. I think the, the window, uh, to be, <laughs> to be uh, somebody who's in the market for a, a math set is quite narrow. It's between about 11 and 16. So, you know, I, I think what that did was it gave us some context into some of the things we kind of shared with them. And I think we also, you know, certainly, you know, the contributions from, from Mark with the packages specifically, you know, the world's changed since um, 1978 when that first stuff hit the shelves. You know, people don't sell it in display boxes anymore. Everything's hung. Uh, and I think, you know, looking back at their advertising, it was enough to stick an advert in some comics and, and people would buy it. You know, in this day and age, very different, very different, very, um, you know, media's different. The, the amount of, of messages people are bombarded with so you know, we looked at, at ways that you could present a very vintage feeling uh, line in, in a modern context and uh, you know it was very important for me not to just go in there and go we've just done some stuff yeah yeah no absolutely <laughs> Mark uh, Craig brings up a really interesting point there about packaging and normally a license like Disney will have their Star Wars branded packaging stick very closely to all the products looking very similar 
But yeah. this is different for Helix, isn't it? And, and you've played quite a, a role in this in some of the stuff that you've doing. If you could just tell us a bit about the, 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 the Star Wars packaging, the vintage, and how it relates to uh, Helix going forward. Firstly, one thing that I think we all agreed on was when we put this presentation together was that Helix have got a very unique selling point, um, a USP uh, for corporate speak. Um, and that is they created their own look from nothing right back in the day um, and created a line that even now, when you look at it as a collection together, it just leaps off the shelf. Nobody else has used that Star Wars logo with the red and yellow. Um, the illustrations that they used uh, on the pencil cases, the Death Star, you know, everything was created from scratch. There was no such thing as a um, uh, product manual where you buy into a license and the licensor then gives you um, a, a Bible with, from which you can take images and you have to use in a specific way. Um, with specific fonts, specific colours. And th this is why when you walk into a shop, everything looks so samey. You know, there's no sort of real soul to a, a product without sounding too uh, deep about it. But when you look at the Helix stuff, it's really unique. And um, I think what we tried to get across was, you know, you've, you had a product back in 1978, no, 77, 78, that... Even now, is it's got a real sort of pop art quality to it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And if you're going to recreate the range, fair enough. You've got to try and capture that. It's not enough to just re, you know, re-churn this stuff out. Um, collectors won't like that. They won't buy into it. But you've got to retain that that vintage feel and that red and yellow logo on the Starfield background. But that style of illustration was was really going to be important in bringing this line back to life. And to be fair, I think they've really listened to us. Um, I haven't seen any products so far that um, hasn't taken that advice on board. Uh, do, you, do you think, I mean, I'm hopefully going to have a uh, an interview next month with the managing director of Helix, but do you think that they would have that would have been a hard sell to take to Disney to say that I know you've got all this branding for Force Awakens and Rogue One, but we're gonna do something completely different that hasn't been done for 40 years? I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm really surprised Disney went with this um, because it's so far removed from other stuff that they're doing. But having said that, I think they must recognise that actually, you know, Star Wars heritage has got you know, it's a, it's a strong selling point. Um, clearly, Helix is still very, very popular with collectors. Um, so, you know, whilst I am surprised Disney have gone for it, I think it was a very, very shrewd decision to, to do it. Uh, it was also really interesting as well. We know from the uh, press release that's happened this week and the, um, the Helix catalogue for 2017, they've actually taken one of your designs on board uh, if you'd like to tell us a bit about that Mark because I know vintage yeah. collectors are struggling to display certain Helix items well I think when you when, when you have collected this sort of stuff you recognise the sort of pitfalls of some of the products when it comes to display and storage um, and like Craig mentioned earlier not a lot of retailers have um, the space or the um, 
motivation to put huge cardboard counter displays. Um, everything seems to be on pegboards these days. Uh, very, very sort of generic looking shop fittings. So my where I came in, I thought, well, well how am I going to make this product look premium to a collector who maybe already has something like this and maybe want to buy into the line again? And one of the ideas that I came up with was create a, car, a very slim cardboard box which had a hole at the front so you could see the pencil case inside, um, which could be stood up. So if you put several pieces sort of diagonally lined up, they'd look fantastic on display. Same thing with the pencil sharpener. That Again, you know, how would a retailer, a modern retailer, sell that product now, um, given that the fact that there isn't going to be a counter display, which that's how they were sold originally. Um, so my idea was to create a nice little sort of wraparound um, display card which could be stood up and had the nice red and yellow Star Wars logo in the background and really set it off. And it takes a what is essentially a cheap looking product and makes it look more premium um, and hopefully collectors buy into that. And I th- I, again, I think Helix has done a really, really good job. Yeah, I think anyone who actually collects Helix items will all agree that the hardest thing to display is the pencil cases because they just flop over and... Yeah, there's such a pain in the backside to do anything with. Um, So yeah, the box idea, I I think as soon as they saw that, I saw a couple of light bulb moments with different people around the table and I I could sense that, "Mm, yeah, maybe that's we could do that. I I don't think they thought about it. in quite that way um, so yeah it was, it's nice for them to have been open to suggestion um, with regards to that uh, a lot of the uh, sort of conceptual stuff that you guys developed for this presentation um, were was media based uh, Craig if you could just take us through some of the uh, ideas that you've had and sort of like creating an awareness for Helix of the possibility of marketing Star Wars yeah I mean obviously they, <clears throat> the stage they're at at the moment is they're uh, they're, they're still prototyping, they're still developing the range, but they, they are going to need to sort of, you know, bring this to market and tell people about it. So, um, you know, I wanted to kind of give them my view on, on, on how that might look, how that might work. Um, and, you know, my starting point for for the advertising was their original ads um, from back in the day that appeared in, in Marvel with the, the R2-D2 and the um, wearing the mortarboard going beep, beep, beep. Um, and, and from there, you know, took it in a few different directions. I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's quite hard to um, sort of discuss in too much detail what we what we kind of went through because that's still very much kind of with them and it's, it's kind of their information to share. But, you know, what I was very keen to do was bring a level of sort of knowing wit and, and, and some, kind of some smart associations with the movie. Um, and it was just an incredible amount of, fun to uh to kind of go okay stationary meets star wars off you go um so we a number of a number of ideas were presented uh, and we've been looking at ways we can bring some of that to uh to life really you know i think we, we uh looking at a, a social media based campaign um there'll be there'll be obviously print stuff trade stuff around that as well and they've been very very kind of receptive the the um, the, com- the subsequent conversations have been very positive and they are currently 
ongoing. You know, I don't want to jinx it by saying too much. Well, you know, I thought the the adverts, especially that you created, were outstanding, and I hope at some point, even if Helix don't move forward with it, that we'll be able to show collectors because some of it is uh, ingenious. You know, it's uh, some. Some I tell you what, some of the best ideas for adverts I've ever seen, and I've seen, and I've seen a lot. They were easily some of the strongest concepts for advertising ever. They were, they, they were genius, and I don't use that phrase lightly. Yeah, I think if if you're a hardcore Star Wars nut and a Helix collector, it would definitely uh, you'd definitely be attracted to it. Some of it was dead smart. Um, some of the other conceptual ideas that you guys had was uh, to actually expand Helix outside of its normal product range. If you, uh, Craig, if you'd like to just run us through some of the ideas that you had, and once again, I thought these were really smart. Again, back back to the point of you know people may have an association with this even even the most sort of casual nostalgic fan you know to see that imagery back on the high street it's like wow yeah I remember that and I guess you know without again without revealing too much you know taking the model of um, a lot of nostalgic uh, nostalgia based uh, licenses like maybe Marvel do it very well you know the Beano do it very well you know they they kind of take their um their art, they take their assets and they, they reapply them in different ways. Um, so we wanted to sort of demonstrate how some of that artwork might look out of context. Um, and, you know, it works incredibly well on the most <laughs> random items uh, and hopefully they'll see the light of day. Um, you know, Mark mentioned you know, pop art. That's what it is. You know, it's it, it's kind of pop art. Um, and you can apply it to, to, to lots of things. You know, anyone can stick it on a mug. Um, what we try to do is look at, um, we look at what's popular, look at where the gaps in the market are. You know, I think a lot of kind of, um, you know, taking a cue from her her universe, you know, some of the, the sort of more female-centric items, they looked, you know, I was very pleased with them. No, they, they, they were absolutely fantastic. And I think, well, hopefully they'll go ahead with uh, some of the ideas because, you know, like you say, it is pop art and it is transferable to so many other things. One, of the, As we sort of closed the presentation, uh, one of the things right from the beginning that we've been sort of requesting is, you know, a future to the Helix line and maybe the possibility of them uh, finishing off what they began in 1978. I, I, think I, I think that was one of the things that I came away from the meeting feeling was that the fact that they they perhaps saw the 40th anniversary of Star Wars as being a, almost like a one-hit opportunity to sell this product. But I think what came across in our meeting was there is the potential to develop this vintage feeling, this vintage uh, style, and, and progress it, um, doing Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Again, this goes back to why... Helix stopped at Star Wars. They didn't progress the range any further, and I think now is probably the the right time to, to set that straight, and also apply it to things like Rogue One and the, the new films, uh, Force Awakens, and you know the, the rest of the new trilogy. There is potential there to apply this uh, design across the whole of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, if only I think we knew an artist who could pull that off. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think that, I think it's important, actually, I want to go back and just mention that I think one of the things that 
I was really not disappointed by, but wasn't surprised by. I wanted to know who the artist was that actually created the artwork for Helix back in the day. And um, I thought going to the meetings, I, I might be able to find that information out. And uh, I think the, the nearest we got was the fact that it had been done by, it had been outsourced essentially by uh, another company, um, a freelance company that they used um, on various other projects. And they, they, they employed an artist to do it. And we haven't got a name, but I think what would be nice if um, we could um, take that style and take it forward, move it forward. Yeah, one of the uh, biggest bits of feedback we got from doing the collector's track at Celebration London was uh, you put forward some conceptual ideas in that presentation, and one of them was the vinyl pencil case in the style of Boba Fett. Yes. Um, we got a lot of feedback from that. Is it difficult to replicate this art? I know you've been playing around with other characters. Is it tricky to pull this kind of stuff off? Uh, not really. I think... Um it's such a it's hard to describe it without being sort of detrimental to it really it's it's a very sort of loose illustration it's 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 not particularly tight um the the lines are very loose and um they use half tone uh, patterns to make up the shading so it's very sort of 1970s 60s 70s comic style um whoever did it just got really lovely style about it um, and I did spend about a week sort of messing around playing with the idea of doing new characters and I, I did a couple of practice runs and worked up a couple of mock-ups and uh, we came up with Boba Fett obviously Boba Fett's a big salad but very popular character um, and it, it looked good and then for this presentation I did a Tuscan Raider and Yoda to, to show them you know look this is how this pencil case range, we've got this range here, but if you wanted to take it forward, we can do different characters, and um, collectors would, would buy into that because it's characters they haven't got in their collection, um, and hopefully would sit alongside, style-wise, with the rest of the range. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty much getting there now with emulating the style of the pencil case and the, the, the artist that did them so fingers crossed we, we, we can we can cross that bridge yeah they did seem quite surprised that they could be confident to step outside the main heroes and do people like you know the the sand people and a lot of the ancillary characters and they you know they didn't actually realize how popular a lot of the you know the, the b and c characters were again this goes back to some some of the helix um, original artwork you know the Jowers on, on the on the Faltec pack. Um, who would have thought of doing that? You know, you, you'd have stuck with Stormtroopers or Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. Um, in fact, Darth Vader doesn't appear on any of the original Helix line apart from one of the Erasers. It doesn't appear on any of the packaging. Yeah, that that, that is a, a major surprise. Um, we haven't been able to sort of discuss any of this with anyone for the last couple of months. Fortunately, this week we got the go-ahead um, from Helix that the ink had dried. Uh, Disney had signed off on it, and they are now going to produce it. They are, we were fortunate enough to actually look at some of the prototypes. Um, Craig, let's let's sort of discuss what we know is going to be released. I know there's a, a professional 
office-based, non-vintage uh, set coming out. But let, if we just concentrate on the vintage stuff, what really stuck out to you? I mean, they've got, they've gone for things that they have um, sort of almost in production already. So they're, they're kind of based on existing products, which I guess if you're Helix is is a smart way of doing it. You know, they still make rulers, they still make pencils. Um, so they are um, they're making the, the Stormtrooper ruler uh, that will come in a little plastic sleeve with a, a little header card. Uh, and I think it's it's got a, a, a hole in it. You can hang it on your shed wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, they are doing a pack of um, pencils, graphite pencils, which are, have got the, um, the Stormtrooper artwork um, from the coloured pencil uh, box from the Vintage line. Uh, they're doing three, sorry, four uh, the final pencil cases. Um, and they showed us these prototypes. Um, and they go, well, they, 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 these are wrong. They, 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 we asked them to put them on white, they put them on clear, and they printed them both sides. And we all looked at them, and this is, there was just something about those pencil cases on that clear vinyl that was just, it, they just popped, you know. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a modern commercial consideration to have clear pencil cases because that's what's allowed in exam rooms. Um, which obviously wasn't a consideration in uh, you know, back in the day because I had my types tables written all over my pencil cases. Um, so you know we we were there when that was being discussed, and what a what a great thing to be in that room. Um, they they did cool. look fabulous. It has to be said, <laughs> they really did. They look fabulous. Yeah, I think if if people are actually concerned, I mean, one of the reasons why we went up there to consult on these products was to make sure that. Helix understood that there was a difference between honouring what happened before and then a blatant reproduction which would annoy the collector base and they really have taken that sort of advice on board because the I mean I really like the graphite pencils where they've taken the the coloured pencil box they've completely changed the shape of it they've used the same uh, Stormtrooper photograph that you can see on the on the coloured pencil box and you can also see it on the front of the of the Kenner card back um, so it's same, same, but different. You know the the, the, the I, I totally agree, Grant. You know the, the originals are the originals, and there's no taking away from that. And we, we, I think that was one of our main concerns was how close are these things going to be? And when they actually showed us the product, we realised that we we're safe because you know there wasn't one thing that. They showed us that I thought, oh no, that's not going to go down well because it's too close to the original. What we've got here is something quite rare. Is we've got a, a new product range that's still got that vintage feel, um, but it's a completely, almost a completely new product uh, um, with that with that vintage vibe. It's, it's very, very hard to pull off, and I think they've done an absolutely incredible job. So I, I think people who've got collections of this stuff and are worried about values of their original items falling because the you know the replicas are uh, you know exactly the same. I fear not. If anything, it's all it's going to do is bolster the, the market. If that's what you're interested in, I think you'll probably see more and more people getting into it because of this, and more people seeking out the um, originals. I, I, you know, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. There, there is a concern of the uh, Death Star pencil sharpener, obviously because it carries such a high value. But uh, Craig, you can reassure us that the new Helix pencil sharpener is different to the original. Um, abs absolutely. I mean, they, um, 
Mapid Helix, so, so the, the, the Mapid Pies, the, is the, is the French kind of group, um, they, they have a product um, which is, is the Globe. You know, they still make that Globe um, sharpener, um, and it's on a very different base. Um, it's, it's kind of got a wavy base to it. Um, the uh, I think the mechanism is different. You pull the sharpener out from the uh, from the bottom, and it doesn't split in half. Is that right? I, I yeah. Um, and it's and it's a slightly different size, slightly kind of different shape, um, and it's got a bloody great big 40th anniversary logo slapped on the back. So you know, there's there's not going to be anybody passing that off. Um, you know, it'll mean Helix appears in our eBay listings a lot more, which you know, we we can live with. There's, people are starting to do that anyway, even if it's not Helix. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we should point out that the 40th anniversary—it's not just a stick or anything. It's actually a part of the Death Star sharpener. There's no peeling it off. There's no disguising it. And also, the colours are far more vibrant and different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we, you know, back to that initial presentation that we made to them, and, and some of the inspiration and some of the kind of uh, the precedent of, of kind of people revisiting vintage lines. Uh, some of that stuff we put in there. We, I was at great pains to include that Power of the Force Classic Edition uh, four-pack that they did where they kind of basically recreated vintage figures and said, this is how not to do it. Yeah. And I think it's also worth pointing out that um, none of this artwork has survived. The, their, their art department has, has essentially had to, you know, whatever they've used, they've had to recreate it from scratch. So there are going to be subtle differences um, in, in the artwork and the designs. I mean, they actually showed us the flat artwork for the Death Star sharpener, and it was um, printed on like a very, very thin piece of al- aluminium, and hats off to the guy who had to re- recreate that artwork. It must have been an absolute nightmare, because if you look at it, the detail on it is really quite uh, intricate. Um, so to recreate something like that is very, very difficult. But I think he's done an absolutely. I think they've done an absolutely cracking job. And and you can tell it's modern, even though it's vintage. I mean, these things are sleek, they're shiny, they're colourful. It's not like you know a pencil case from 40 years ago. It is. It's a new product. There's no getting away from. I mean, look at the um, the vintage collection uh, line that um, Hasbro did with the figures. Have original figures dipped in value because of these figures have been really released on different, on you know, similar sort of cards? Of course not. If anything, it's had the opposite effect. Well, uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. Um, I'm not sure if this is the end or if it continues. I guess we'll find out. Uh, plenty of hopes and dreams out there. I never imagined when I was buying final pencil cases all those years ago that it would lead to this. I'm sure you guys would agree. Man, it's just, I mean, the, the, the times, that first time we went over there, I was like a giddy school kid, you know, it was like taking pictures of reception and, uh, you know, it was, it was like, oh, we're Helix, it's Helix, we're here, you know, we, we're doing selfies outside and all the rest of it. When we, we left them with a little gift, didn't we? We left them with a, a framed, uh, picture of, you know, some of, some of the collection, um, as a kind of thank you for having us. Um, and the, the second time we went back, it was in reception. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, you know, I came out of that meeting and I was just eyes a kite. Brilliant, you know, what a great, what a great thing to do. It, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Um, it was definitely the highlight of last year was uh, doing the collecting panel with you guys, 
um, that is something that will stick with me forever. And then this year, doing the Helix uh, thing is, you know, it's only January, and yet I feel like I've probably done the best thing I'm going to do all year. <laughs> that has been fantastic. I, I just want to add as a footnote as well, when we sat down to do the second presentation, a gentleman who I believe is their head of marketing uh, joined us, who wasn't there for the first presentation, and it, he turned out to be... Um, uh, he actually used to work for Palitoy at the height of Return of the Jedi yeah, and worked in their marketing chat. department and was uh, telling us some stories about how Palitoy used to hold back on Boba Fett's and speeder bikes so uh, to create this, there is a garage in Leicester somewhere full of Boba Fett's <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's pretty much what he said <laughs> Hope, yeah, that's true, wasn't it? He said they, they were holding back on boxes and boxes of Boba Fett's to create yeah. scarcity, uh, scarcity in the market. But hopefully I'm going to uh, uh, contact him within the next couple of days. It'd be great to have him on the show as well to discuss what it was like marketing Return of the Jedi back at the height of Palitoy. Um, guys, I'm going to wind this sh uh, Beyond the Toys section down. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and sharing our little adventure with uh, people who listen to this podcast. And hopefully it will continue. Hopefully we can come back another time. I'm going to contact the managing director of Helix for a, a small interview next month where he can just uh, discuss what Helix have been doing and their relationship with Disney. And uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, find some more of the finer details out. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the Vintage Rebellion. Cheers, Grant. Ladies and Germans, stop your bicycle, call in your lambs from the field, lay out a nice spread of fondant fancies, panda pops, and a helping of pickled onion monster munch next to your favourite chair. Sit back, it's the Market Watch! Star Wars Tracker collects sales price data from auction houses and eBay. There was sufficient data from the last three years to make conclusions on the market of Star Wars collecting. I'm concentrating here on loose and graded Kenner and Palatoy figures between and including the years 2014, 15 and 16, and I'm only really skimming the surface. I'm also conscious of just sitting here listing out price to the price, but I hope what I point out is interesting enough for you to not hit the forward button. I'm going to break down my warbling into three sections. First off, the first 12, secondly the middle 74-ish, and thirdly the last 17 and friends. The first 12, Darth, Chewie, R2, Stormy and 3PO, have been the most frequently sold across the three years. Just their order has slightly changed. Han's small head and Obi-Wan are always the less frequent. Lyra Garna is always the most priciest of the figures. This is down to her accessories, I guess. A cape and correct blaster, which fetch decent prices on their own, and I would speculate you could probably get around £10 more for the combination sale of her constituent parts than if you sold her complete. 
Her average has gone from £27 in 2014 to just under £50 in 2016, which is consistent percentage-wise for all the first 12. Just behind her, in a matter of a few pence, is Luke Farnboy. Be interested to see how his popularity with Episode 8 versus the passing of our beloved princess influences those prices in 2017. The highest prices paid for the first 12 is worth noting. In 2014, the highest price paid for a minty and graded first 12 figure was £77 for Leah Organa. Now in 2015, Leah, Luke and Darth all had sales of over the £100 mark, with someone paying an astronomical £635 for a cloth cape non-leddy Jawa. This was clearly an anomaly. By 2016, 7 out of the 12 had examples of sales exceeding £100. Leah, £212, Chewbacca, £192, and Luke, £144, for example. It appears those mint figures are growing in price, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that trend increase with the release of Episode 8 in 2017, where the top price paid, all 12, will probably exceed £100 each. Sales frequency has seen growth from 2014 to 15, but a slight easing off in 2016. This might be a reflection of the rise of other selling platforms, such as Facebook. And finally, some price statistics. In 2014, for a loose, ungraded set of 12, you would have paid a cumulative average price of £158.54p, which gives an average price of £13 per figure. In 2015, that price had risen to £216.61 and gave an average price of £18. And by 2016, it had risen to just under £300, which gave the average price as £24 per figure. Middle 74-ish. Middle 74 is everything up to but not including the last 17. These are usually the most unspectacular with prices. The range covers a few variants like different coloured Yoda snakes, Ugnaught smocks and the like. In 2014, 19 out of 74 figures had an average selling price of £10 or more. By 2016, that figure had risen to 51 out of the 74. So, will 2017 see the last chance we get to buy a loose complete figure for under £10? Maybe some of those droids and weaponless figures, but it's looking like a pricey year for Star Wars vintage loose collectors. One of my all-time favourite figures is the Cloud Car Pilot. He's often touted as one of the harder to find complete figures, again due to his accessories. It's true, a frequency of less than 100 per year due to that comlink has led to, in 2014, an average price of £12.71, 2015 £19.28 and in 2016 it's risen to £29.66 but despite that it's not the figure with the lowest frequency of sales. I was surprised to see the ATST driver being one of the least frequently sold figures. Only a bit more frequent than the A-Wing pilot. His average price from 2014 to 16 has gone from 8 to 13 to 21 pounds. Maybe there's a gap in the market if you've got a bulk quantity of these it could be his year for a crazy price increase. The cumulative average price paid for this selection of figures in 2016 is £1,167. In 2014, that was only £643.
the last 17 and friends. In 2015, the A-Wing pilot had the least frequency of sales for the main line of loose and graded figures, but commanded an unremarkable price in relation to its scarcity. 2016, the cinema market realised this, and the price has started to rise, and the average value has doubled to £84 in 2016. Anakin and the Imperial Dignitary are unsurprisingly the most frequently sold of the last 17. Anakin's value has gone from 7 to 9 to 12 pounds. Whilst a little surprisingly, the Imperial Dignitary is now commanding an average of 40 pounds. I guess it's down to the condition of his nose playing greatly on price decisions. A complete set of last 17 has a cumulative average price of 1,376 pounds. Add to that your first 12 and middle 74 and your collection before the heavyweight looses works out at £2,800. I always wonder whether my collection would look cool if I had a vinyl cape jammer. Being a stingy son of a gun, it takes me 5 minutes looking at the price data to convince myself to avoid at all costs. Up until the end of 2015, 24 had been recorded with a top price of £840. From November 2015 to June 2016, we had seen another 30-plus coming out of hiding, with several going over 1,000, and the average of 2016 edging ever closer to 900. The vinyl kick jar is not the rarest or least frequent sold loose figure. There's about 20 recorded sales per year. Demand is lightly tempered in comparison to other figures because it is a variant, and collectors like myself are perfectly comfortable with the cloth cape version. Most of the less frequent figures are, as you can probably guess, the DT Sabres. Ben topping that list with three recorded sales, followed by DT Darth with four, Luke Farmboy Orange Hair, or Ginger, with 13, DT Luke with 54, and completing our top five is Yoda with a green snake with 56. The least frequent standard figure, without variation on the chart, is the A-Wing Pilot, with a frequency of 88 across the three years, with an average of £57, but as already stated, that is growing quickly towards the £100 mark. Blue Snag, with his dented or non-dented shoe, hasn't really seen much growth aside from what's already been stated. For the top minty end, you are looking at over £300, but for the average price paid, it still sits between the sort of £120 and just under £200 price. Normally there's around 40 a year in sales frequency. What's been harder to find in 2016? A loose complete Rancor Keeper or a Yak Face? Believe it or not, it's the Yak! The third most frequent last 17 figure in 2016 was Yak Face, behind the Imperial Dignitary and Anakin. We cannot use the Yak Face as a rare Star Wars figure. It's not, taking into account the amount recorded on the tracker, which for last year was 172. Add to those the ones picked up on forums, private deals, Facebook groups and any other method you can probably safely state that every day you can buy a yak face. Why then is the frequency high yet the price continues to grow? Here's some speculations which may or may not be adding to the price. Number one, yak face isn't discriminated by his accessory. He did get packed in with a few weapons and without one at times so his frequency is higher because the accessory doesn't always determine that someone will purchase him. Compare him to the A-Wing pilot's gun, where his frequency statistic is solely determined by his weapon. I pretend my yak is from the Trilogo card because he has no weapon. Reason 2. The USA. Yes, he wasn't available in the USA, but is that really the main reason for the crazy price increase? I see plenty of UK to UK sales going on. Just look at the various Facebook groups where one appears. No shortage of people who will easily put down anything from 150 to 200, and it's not just Americans. Reason 3. More collectors entering the market, forcing the price up. Yak Face advertises rare. 
It's something we don't have much affinity with in comparison to one of the original 12 or mainline figures, but it's almost a talisman or poster yak of Star Wars collecting. I would have thought that Americans had a ready-made excuse to ignore him as much as I ignore Blue Snag, but we can't ignore that perceived shortage will have people fighting for and pushing that price up. Reason 4. National news stories of auctions making people aware Star Wars means big money, with many big carded fat sales hitting the headlines and forcing rarity perception and thus prices go up and up. Reason 5. Fake yaks. A forgery can reinforce the genuine article. Oh look, there are fakes! Which means the genuine article must be rare and expensive. People justify the forgery as a placeholder, as that forgery price increases slightly in value, so does the genuine article. Obviously in the Star Wars market, repos are bad, and must be burnt, along with the people who make them. Reason 6. Star Wars Panic. Star Wars Panic is the irrational lack of realisation that there were millions of figures produced. Financial decision meltdown occurs the moment it appears on the screen, as it's clearly the last one ever to be seen. Credit card limit is checked, wife is out the room, button is pressed. Now, the answer is likely a lot of all these reasons given, and maybe none. But Star Wars collectors can be a little bonkers, and I think the average will probably be hitting £300 in 2017. So, let's have some final summary data. I always break down loose into three categories, as I've already discussed. The first 12, the middle 74-ish, and the last 17, and a few of his mates. Technically, these figures are a little bit squiffy, because there are variations, but you get the general gist. The average price for a full set of all the main figures as already mentioned works out at around the £3,600 mark. And that doesn't include main variants, but does include a vinyl cape jower and an indented blue snag, but no rebo band. If you add in DT sabers, or no main variants, before you even start on the Lily Lady or PvP figures, that loose price is sniffing undercarriage of £10,000. Maybe I'll try and present an ultimate loose figure roundup price if anyone is interested in the future. Now, the highest price paid for any of these figures was 2100 for that vinyl cape jower. The best bargain was a removable limb C-3PO where someone won an auction for 1p. Other notable mentions must go to the person who got a vinyl cape jower for £278, a dented blue snag for 88 a Leo Organa complete for 13 and an A-wing pilot with gun for 32 So, finally, how do you do with my question? The most frequent loose 5 non-graded Kenner Star Wars vintage figures. At number 5, the Death Star droid. Number 4, Bubba Fett. Number 3, R5-D4. Number 2, it's R2-D2, but his solid dome. And number 1, it's also R2-D2, but with his sensor scope. Bubba Fett is the odd one out because he's got a weapon, and it works out each one has around 4 sales per day. And now the top 5 priced items for the entirety of 2016 on StarWarsTracker.com 
At number five, this cheeky scamp loves to dress up and pull off his shiny helmet in front of space princesses. It's a Luke Stormy Power Force 92A AFA 85 mint on card for 7,017 UK sterling. Is that a snake around your neck, or are you just pleased to see me? Oh, it's actually a brown snake Yoda Meccano 18A mint on card for 9,920 pre-Brexit quits. If it hadn't been for an aunt and uncle barbecue back at the homestead, this little sand gimp would still have been whining about power converters. It's a 12A DT Luke for £11,767. Buy a car, or buy a graded AFA 90 Luke's DT Darth Vader for £14,000. There was some considerable bounty on this guy's head, and somebody clearly has a Salak Pit-sized wallet. It's a Boba Fett Meccano 18A mint on card for a jammer size 26,040 of the Queen's coin. Don't forget to join us next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. I don't know if it's a new feature. I've just not looked at it. But but the um, the portfolio stuff I didn't even know it existed. Is that something new you put on? Surprisingly, that's been there since day one, actually. Um, but, but I think you've hit it right on the head there that not many people actually know about it um, for some reason. I think they get caught by you know the headline price guide, which you know is synonymous with the Star Wars Tracker name. You know they look up prices and then pretty much just leave it there. Yeah, from day one, I always wanted the portfolio aspect of Star Wars Tracker to be central, really, and the price guide was secondary to that to support valuations of all the items that you'd put into your portfolios. Exactly yeah. what is the portfolio section? What does it actually actually do? You can think of it as an inventory list, if that term has more meaning. Um, but I've decided to go with portfolios just to, I know, in a way, legitimise um, Star Wars collecting and the values that are you know, exchanging hands these days. So portfolio being a financial term of you know assets that you own and you know they, their value grows over time. So I'm sort of borrowing that idea to people's Star Wars collections. Basically, you know, it's just um, a glorified uh, list, really. Like, you could do the same thing in, in Excel and just list out the names of everything you had and uh, when you bought it, how much you paid for it, and, you know, if there was a little story behind it, some providence, perhaps. Um, it's just a way of organising all your notes to remind you of what you have and, and to keep it organised. So it's data of your figures and your collecting that you put in as your yourself. So does the, the tracker sort of pick up on that, on the data? So if I put in... You know all my mint loose figures and and i i say i bought them all for like you know 75 pounds would the tracker actually pick mm-hmm. up on that as in contributing to the price guide yeah um no i i made a conscious decision to segregate those two things so all the data that you enter into your portfolios um so if you bought a i know a bib fortuna halfway through the year for three pounds um that just stays in your portfolio it doesn't contribute to the price guide and I did it that way because um, basically just to ring fence the price guide and make sure I could uh, keep in control of the integrity. Because last thing I wanted was you know people to you know either maliciously or not to start to disrupt the prices in there. So you know they record a B wing pilot for a thousand pounds you know a hundred times and suddenly you know all the figures don't make sense. 
yeah, the price guide is always based on public sales that are auditable. You know, you can go and have a look and, and go to source on them. And um, whatever you put in your portfolio stays private to you. Think of a button. You can always get a mark-to-market valuation of whatever your portfolio is. Every week um, after I you know, harvest prices from a week, I'll send out a market update email which has you know the hottest items of the week and such and such. But if you've actually entered in items into your portfolio, it'll give you a, a, an updated estimated valuation on everything in there um, based on the latest sales. And, and it's sort of um, the criteria is, you know, the last six months to give a decent range of prices, you know, what is your portfolio worth today? You're starting to develop a mm. Star Wars Trucker app for the phone. I have, yes. So at long last, um, I'm finally into the home stretch with this. So it's been a long time coming and it's something I've always wanted to do, but I've never wanted to rush it. Um, I've always wanted to do it on my terms and, and have the functionality Reason being that, you know, if I enjoy using it, chances are, you know, other people are going to enjoy it too. It's actually been usable for the last probably four or five months. I've had it on my handset for that long just to, you know, road test it and, you know, make sure it works out on the street at home and such and such. I'm getting close to making it publicly available now. So last couple of weeks I put out a call for a whole bunch of beta testers on... Uh, I asked for people to join up through three Facebook groups. So I picked a group that uh, was known in the US, uh, here in the UK, and one in Australia, just to sort of get a broad range of people to get on board and, and help beta test this thing. And so got a pretty good response and um, lined up about uh, 20 people who are currently testing it now and giving feedback and making sure it can be the best it can be. Uh, but I'm hopeful within the next month, um, a month or two, that it'll be up on the App Store and, and people can actually get this for themselves and start using it. And, and, and how much of the, I mean, how, how similar is it to the, the, the desktop application? Is it, is it pretty much the same but in mm. miniature format or is it, is it a lot less features? It's a good question. I mean, this is part of um, why it's taken so long to get to this stage because um, you know, logistics just go against you here. So you've got a screen real estate of, you know, 300 pixels across, you know, 500 high kind of thing. So I've had to really pick and choose what to show on the screen at any one point, um, but still make it really quick to navigate around. But essentially, no, it's all there in one form or another. So um, all the price guides will be there. So you can you know, click on your loose figures or bring up statistics as usual. All the portfolio functionality is there as well. And personally, I think it's done much better through the the iPhone actually. I'm surprised at how, uh, if you can tangibly click something, how much quicker that can actually be than uh, clicking a mouse and navigating around menus and stuff. I'm actually yeah. quite pleased with how the portfolio aspect has turned out. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, so, what? I mean, is this going to be a chargeable app, or is it going to be a free for a while? Or I mean, I mean, how is it going to work? Or is it is it going to be one of those irritating ones where you have to pay? You know, was it in-app purchases? Um, no i've always seen this as just you know um improving the service so you know if you have a star wars tracker account then you can go to the app store it'll be a free download on the app store and you know you just punch in your details and away you go um so yeah it's just um a broader star wars tracker service that now includes another way to access it um this being through an iphone now, I just want to clear something up because people keep asking me. Now, you are not paying me to uh, to advertise Star Wars Tracker, apart from getting free access. You know, there's no commercial money going on. I am not a rich man from Star Wars Tracker, and 
I don't know whether you are yes, as well. I, I, can, <laughs> I can collaborate that claim, yes. <laughs> I think people think I'm like living off Star Wars Tracker. <laughs> it was, uh, Star Wars Celebration, we, we also saw you there and did your presentation mm. as well. I mean, how, how did that go down? What, what was sort of feedback yeah, to the room of, of your findings? Were, were there a lot of were people in agreement with you or did anyone sort of come up and say, you know what, you're way off? <laughs> um, I think, well, I had no one come up to me and say, look, you're dead wrong. Um, this was wrong, that was wrong, blah, blah, blah. Um, so from that perspective, you know, I'll take that as, um, you know, people were um, happy with what I presented. Um, but the yeah, celebration presenting there was actually quite um, uh, overwhelming, actually, I'll, I'll say. So it was my first ever celebration, and my panel was up on the very first day. So I didn't really have a lot of time to actually take it all in and get comfortable with the surroundings. And, you know, suddenly I'm on presenting to a room of, you know, a couple hundred passionate collectors that have probably got me under the microscope. Because it was, it was a risky topic because, you know, prices can be quite an emotional topic for people. And everyone has their own view, which is neither right nor wrong. But I went into it with confidence because I think it's the first time that a panel like that has ever been presented based on actual market data, someone's opinion, not someone's road of collecting that they've walked that gave them the view they had. It's actually unbiased data, which, you know, you can't do anything but just present and talk about. So from that perspective, you know, I, I really enjoyed the talk. And, you know, I think I covered a lot of ground and perhaps gave a bit of insight to people that they might not have known already. And I actually did what I dub a studio recording of the same presentation that I did in my room here. And I put that video up on, I've got a Facebook um, page for Star Wars Tracker, so I put it up there as a pinned post, just in case everyone missed it or um, people come along and, and find it, they can listen to the whole thing again there. And it's got the accompanying slides that I've presented. So, you know, if you missed out, you can, you can go and have a look there. Massive thanks again to Jared Cope, who is always such a generous guy in letting us use Styles Tracker and making me appear to have half an idea what I'm actually blithering on about. Right, now I want to welcome back Ron Salvatore for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready to go, Ron? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. Your favourite Star Wars movie? I'm going to go with the boring answer and say The Empire Strikes Back. Favorite Star Wars scene? I like the scene in the um the Bespin Freeze Chamber when Han Solo gets frozen. I think that's probably my favorite scene. Favorite on-screen character? Let's go with um Princess Leia in the first movie. Your favorite lightsaber duel? Oh, definitely Empire Strikes Back. And a bit, bit of a topical one. What have you preferred, Force Awakens or Rogue One? Force Awakens, I think. I think I, I think that was successful uh, more so than Rogue One. Favorite figure as a child? As a kid, my favorite figure was actually Luke Hoth. I think because it was the most uh, realistic-looking figure. Well, that's probably a bad reason to like an action figure, but I like the fact that it, the style of it was different than the other ones. And what's your favorite figure now? I'm not sure I have one. Maybe Blue Snaggletooth is probably the one I have the most affection for. I like the first, the White Leia, too. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? I guess, I mean, as a kid, along with everybody else, I wanted a Tarkin figure. Um, so I guess that would be my answer. But as an adult, I'm not sure what would have been the neatest one to have. Uh, certainly Tarkin's a good choice, though. And how would you improve one figure from the line? One figure? How would I improve it? Jeez, these are hard questions. <laughs> I'd have to actually think about that one. Um, I guess the, the Vader figure is always one that I thought would have been cool to update somehow, whether they did an entirely different sculpt of it. 
or just added some other feature to it because that's an early figure of a major character that was out the entire time and it was never refreshed at all. Uh, so it would have been cool if they had done something different with Vader. Your favorite toy vehicle or playset? I always liked the uh, Tatooine skiff. I just thought that, you know, it's first of all, the rarity makes it cool, plus it's a neat-looking item. Um, also, the Ewok battle wagon's always been a favorite because it's just so bizarre, you know, like, and it makes the Ewok seem kind of cool to have a battle wagon. Vehicle or playset you'd wish they'd made? I always really wanted more from, you know, Bespin would have been cool if they had made more Bespin stuff because the Cloud City thing was something I didn't even know about as a kid, the, the Sears playset. Also, I would have loved anything involving, um, like, Luke's homestead on Tatooine. That would have been something I really would have liked as a kid. Your favorite card back image? It's probably got to be something from early in the line. I love the original Leia. Uh, I really like Luke X-Wing. It really looks good, especially with the Boba Fett offer on there. I always thought that was a really nice-looking card back. Death Star Droid is a really nice one. I tend to like the early stuff the most. What is your favorite foreign license? Not so much just the figures, but I always liked the Takara stuff, uh, especially the stuff they did that wasn't the action figures, you know, the uh, die-cast toys that launched missiles and whatnot. To me, they had the most interesting non-U.S. toys in Japan just because they were so different, whereas a lot of other countries just released versions of the U.S. products. Japan had its own, you know, lineup of stuff, including those large-sized figures, that, uh, or the mid-sized figures, I should say, which are like eight inches tall, which I always really liked. Rich, I believe you have a question to ask before I round it off. Yeah, Ron. Um, can I ask what's your favourite link between the Kenna toy line, and this could be production or pre-production, and the original trilogy? Well, I mean, this is the, the obvious dopey answer, but I mean, just the, the action figure line in general, it would have been hard to do a, a better tribute to a movie series than what Kenner did for the original, uh, you know, the first three movies. Uh, I mean, we can complain all we want about quality or what characters and vehicles they chose, but I mean, it seems to me they really went all out on trying to um, give you a microcosm of that world, which uh, was quite a feat, and I don't think another, obviously that was the first time a toy line ever did that, and toy lines nowadays, if they do stuff for movies, they release a few figures or something, and that's that, you know, but Kenner really did the whole thing from start to finish, and especially by the time they got to Jedi, it was like, there's not much in that movie that, as a kid, I remember loving the Jabba playset that had all, you had all the aliens for Jabba, or most of them anyway, you had the Java figure itself, the Rancor. It was like the whole thing was nailed pretty much top to bottom. Uh, so, I mean, that's quite a tribute, I think, to Kenner as well as to their relationship with Lucasfilm. Favorite Star Wars book, be it reference or novel? Oh, definitely it has got to be um, the Steve Sandspeak from Concept to Screen to Collectible, which you, pro- you guys probably heard the interview we did with him on um, the, the Kivecast, uh, which was basically, you know, my telling Sky that that was my favorite Star Wars book. And that was really when I was late teens i think that came out um that was really the book that hammered home the influence of star wars for me not just the story behind the movie but the story behind the toys uh how how really merchandising was a central aspect of the appeal of star wars i don't know if i'd ever really thought about that before when i was younger and it sort of made me see the whole franchise in a new light um so that's definitely my favorite book about star wars i think Uh, what was the last vintage star wars item you purchased well, um, the last, I'm more or less a toy collector, but I collect movie posters too, so the last thing I got that was a, a vintage Star Wars item, I think, was a couple of posters from Japan. They had at least a few movie release posters in Japan for the, the first movie, and I got two of those posters. Finally, what is your Holy Grail item? 
I mean, sometimes people pick wild things that they're likely never to find. Like I can tell you, like uh, I would love to find the original Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker sculpts, but that's kind of a who wouldn't? Um, something I've been wanting for a while. Two things. Uh, one is the large size plush Regal Chewbacca. Always been on the verge of getting that a few times, and I missed out on it for whatever reason. The other thing is the Power of the Force store display that Kenner did. So those are two things I really have been wanting for a long time. Wonderful. Well, Ron, thank you ever so much for your time. Apologies that it was rapid fire until Rich got involved. (laughs) (laughs) You threw me with that one, man. I'm like, oh, well, no problem, guys. Thanks for the questions. Thanks a lot. So for a rapid-fire question, I'm stepping outside of the toys this month to ask each of you, what is your favourite Princess Leia moment from any of the movies? And let's start with Grant. I think the fact that they build up Darth Vader and Tarkin as the most vicious and evil people in the entire galaxy, and she doesn't care. You know, she's just like, you know, holding Vader's leash, you know, recognising foul stench. I thought, you know, looking at those again after she's passed, and thinking, you know, because you just take it for granted, I just thought, this is an amazing character. So I think when you first get introduced to Princess Leia, I mean, after all the destruction that you see, the fact that she isn't even phased and even tries to blag her way out of it, I mean, that that's just amazing. We've entered the Alderaan system. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Beautiful. Pity-weedy? Well, it's a bit longer, um, but uh, I, I, I love the, the kind of the transition from when Leia is the, the bounty hunter, that she's come in, rescued her, her boyfriend, and then gets captured and <laughs> put in a bikini. Who are you? Someone who loves you. Leia. I gotta get you out of here. What's that? I know that laugh. But she's not humiliated enough that she actually kills her captor. I think that says a lot. Um, Not just about the film and the plot itself, but... Just, it says so much more than that. I think that that, that, that has been an iconic moment in uh, in movies. Not only the fact that she wore that costume, but the fact that what she did. It wasn't just like some slave girl. She she showed herself to be someone who was on a mission, followed the mission through, and when she had a chance, you know, kill. And uh, I think that said a lot about her character. It, it, all all in that moment, from the bounty hunter bit all the way through, in, in what, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Fantastic. Lovely. Uh, Jez? Yeah, I think Return of a Jedi is definitely Carrie Fisher's movie. Um, going on from what Pete said right through the beginning, but it's the end or bunker scene right near the end when she gets shot because I think there's so much going on there, which is which is brilliant because she's there in battle, she's getting shot, and she's like, no, it's, it's okay. Uh, Han wants to check on her, three PO wants to check on her, and he's checking her, so she's got this strength that no, she's all right, and then you see two stormtroopers freeze. And then Han looks down and he sees the weapon 
and he sees that even though she's been shot, she's still a fighter. She's still this feisty one who's just not going to roll over for anyone. And that's when obviously Hans says, I love you. The moment just pauses and then she just says, I know, which I, I think is just the perfect way to, uh, to mirror Empire Strikes Back. And then Han just briefly moves and she just nails both stormtroopers with a single shot to each of them. And so that whole way that works is brilliant. Then you've got the scout walker rock up and then um, you see it and Han's just like, says something along the lines of just, you know, um, stay back. And without anything else, she just slowly brings her legs in and she hides. So what she's done in that whole scene is just there's so many different things she's shown bravery she's shown strength she's shown love she's shown commitment she's shown sort of i don't want to use the term obedience but just cooperation and it's just it's just a great scene which shows her brilliant and i think she's she's just looking incredibly beautiful on Endor. i think the colors work really really well with her complexion and uh, I, I really really like that scene i reckon it'd have been quicker to watch the scene um, <laughs> Jesus, you're so horrible to me. Rich, I thought a lot about this, and I'm going to go with when she removes her helmet in Jedi, when she first meets Wicket. Look, it's a hat. It's not going to hurt you. Look. Ah. You're a jittery little thing, aren't you? And it may just seem odd, but I thought she is such a fantastic actress in Jedi because she plays so many different roles. In A New Hope, she's, you know, quite feisty throughout A New Hope. In Empire Strikes Back, she starts off feisty, but she, you know, she, she heads towards the cave inside and she starts to get interested in Han. But in Jedi, she, like, like what Jez said there, she plays so many different roles. She's strong, the victim, she's happy, she's troubled. And I think when she's sitting on that log and she takes her helmet off, considering everything that's going on, you do genuinely feel sorry for her. She's tired, she's lost, and she just plays it so well. It's absolutely fantastic. It's like Meryl Streep fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. For me, it's just her um, her one-liners, her sarcasm and her feistiness. I think Grant touched on it the way she talks to Vader and Tarkin, but all the way through all the films, constant little snipes at Han and, you know, everybody involved. I just, just you know, you came in that thing, you're braver than I thought. You came in that thing? You're braver than I thought. Nice, come on. And the, should I get out and push when it won't go into light speed in Empire? Help if I, got that I love all those little those little one-liners. So great. Now, Rich, do we have any feedback for Semba's efforts? We do, Stu. We'll have a lot of feedback from episode 31. And I've got to say that Matt Fox's poster interview by far got the best amount of feedback. It's really great to say that a lot of people have not only contacted us saying that they've learned so much about that poster interview, about UK quads and what posters were available, but also some of them have actually contacted Matt 
and asking them about how do you go about linen backing, asking them for advice. And Matt's more than happy answering questions about posters. So if anybody's interested in linen backing, discussing pros and cons and what company does Matt use to do that and how much it costs, you know, just, just reach out to Matt, contact them, ask them, tell them what you've got and, you know, you'll pass on some sound advice. Great feedback from Ross Ball over on Stores from UK. Uh, of which a lot of the next bits of feedback is going to come from. I like hearing how you guys make me feel I'm hanging out with mates. It fills the gap between when I actually do hang out with mates, which, which is great because, you know, something like Ross doesn't have a lot of friends. So the fact that it can actually plug us in from time to time and, you know, it brings them all back to sitting around the table, listening to us and yapping away. It's exactly the kind of feedback they're looking for, Ross. So cheers for that one. Lots and lots of feedback on the Yuppie interview. Um, Simon McCorn in particular was very pleased um, that in that interview the HC Ford got mentioned and he said, you know, it's such a shame that everybody focuses on Helix when HC Ford released some fantastic lines and it's certainly something that, you know, Grant's probably got that penciled in for beyond the toy section at some point in the future. Um, but, you know, if you want to hear about the HC Ford, by all means, just send us a, a message and, and we'll look at it. A lot of people are querying our vector stance and asking, you know, have we ended with association with vectors and all that kind of stuff. I just want to clarify, we've said this umpteen times, we, we don't get anything off vectors. Vectors may uh, help us towards cost for t-shirts if we ask them and things like that, but we are never ever going to defend vectors if we don't feel they're in the right. And everything that we said about the website crashing, about the problems that people were having, were entirely factual. So we've got no problems at all telling people that. If Vectis aren't up to standard, we'll tell them and we'll tell Vectis that. And if Vectis want to come on and, you know, put their side across and what, how they're going to improve things, by all means, we'll do that as well. So, you know, we're, I suppose, a word of warning for any future sponsors. Jared Corp from Star Wars Tracker posted a screenshot on, the, uh, I think it was on the Star Wars from UK thread, which roughly tallied to exactly what Grant said about the top 10 trilogo figures. Most of the 10 that Grant had listed were actually in his screenshot. But it's interesting to note that in the last six months, a lot of those 10 Trilogo figures could be found for under £80. And five of the 10, you could actually get them for under £30. So in the last six months, it goes to show with a bit of looking, you can get some real bargains. Um, We had a lot of feedback on Clint's Canadian collecting, especially from the guys over at Tantive 11. Um, They loved that. And it's great to see that a couple of people weren't aware of some of the toy shows that are going on in Canada. And Clint, I think, on Tantive 11 has posted a link to, I want to say it's an Ontario Star Wars collecting group or, or something like that. So by all means, people in Canada, if you want to go and check out that link to see where toy fairs are, and hopefully you guys can get something like Father's from up and running. Other than that, we've had some feedback on the Christmas special, but don't expect to get a lot of feedback on the Christmas special because, you know, by the very nature of the time that they come out, you know, everybody's hectic. But it's good to say that a lot of people have reacted to the Chris Botkins interview and uh, we've seen people say, you know, that they've learned a lot about the Rebel Commando and a lot of people are now starting to think about collecting the Rebel Commando, especially listening to what, you know, what Pete said. Pete, I think you might have had one or two people contact you about the Rebel Commando interview. Is that correct? A couple of posts on the on the uh, Facebook thread. Um, someone actually decided to to start up a um, a focus, and Chris obviously you know said yeah, ask away, ask any questions you want. So I mean, it, it was trying to give a a, a more rounded picture of you know of how you how you get around to start up a focus. 
So, you know, hopefully it was useful. So, as ever, we appreciate every comment, guys. And, uh, Stu, if anybody's got any feedback in this episode, what can they do? They can find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion. Email us on show at vintagerebellion.co.uk. On Twitter at SWTVR Podcast. Or, of course, you're always free to message any of us across the forums. If you'd like to go back and listen or even re-listen to any of our previous shows, you can do so directly at SWTVRPodcast.com podbean.com or find the entire back catalogue still on iTunes. Huge thanks this month to Ron Salvatore, Jared Cope, Javier Rui Lopez, Stefan Callier, Brian Rackfall, Craig Spivey and Mark Daniels. Happy New Year once again from all of us here. Hope everyone stays healthy and has a great collecting 2017. Be sure to share your purchase with us here at the Vintage Rebellion because Jez loves to discuss them. But for this month, it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Uh, to me, she's royalty. Goodbye from Jezebel. Cheers, guys. See you next time. Goodbye from Petey. Good night, sweetheart. And it's good night from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. <laughs> This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Is it, How are you? Is it, is it Javier or is it Javier? It's Javier. Javier. Okay. Uh, In short, is Javi. To my friends, Javi. Javi. And Javi. is it Rilo Lopez? Rui, Rui Lopez. <laughs> I can't see that. Difficult. I think it's difficult for you. Yes, I can't see that. <laughs> Javi raps PPB better than Jez. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. You get that? Okay. <clears throat> Javi, yeah? Yeah, he prefers Javi. Okay. Right. Javi raps PBB. Oh, blimey, that's a bit of a um, mouth, wasn't it? PBP. Not for Jez, it's P- not. PBP. God, blimey. Right. Javi Raps, PBP. <laughs> I might be about to do some mine, I might tell you one. Javi Raps, PBB, better than Jez. Javi Raps, PBP. Javi. Javi Raps, PBP. Bloody hell. You try saying it, Grant. Javi Raps, PBP, better than Jez. You're retarded. <laughs> well, one more. Have he raps PBP? <laughs> Have he raps? Fuck off. Have he raps PBP better than Jez? Oh, you can work with something there, Rich. Yeah, that 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 should go to Paul the outdoor. Oh, Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. Come, whatever. Mm.